Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 8th of November 2020. And, and time, I, I, I just can't get over how time flies. I think, with me anyway, it reminds me of school. School, I hated school. It was boring. And I think a lot of children thought the same way too. And so much of your history and all that was to do with another country that really did. And, and had nothing to do with you really, except you're in subjugation at one point. And uh, I hate to even say country because it's not a country. You're, you're ruled by a central city in, in called London, the city of London. And so was the rest of England too, and Wales and Northern Ireland. All ruled from this, this amazing sovereign city eh? with its own laws and regulations and even the Queen supposedly has yet permission to go in to visit because it's a sovereign power with its uh, Egyptian obelisk that was brought over there planted beside the four main banks but but again I was thinking there too though it's like school right because on Friday you felt great because a school came out and you'd rush off your home or somewhere, go out and play or whatever, and you had a whole... And in those days, too, remember, time lasted a long time because so much so much that you saw was fascinating to you. You're constantly learning. Outside of school, that's where you did all your learning, really. And uh, if you lived anywhere near the country, you can go into the country areas and climb trees or jump over little streams and uh, great fun or, or, or go fishing, things like that. And the day would really take a long time to pass. It was terrific. Yeah. That was that's what life is supposed to be about. It was like that. But the thing is, you get Saturday. And it was so okay on Saturday. It was wonderful. And you get that little bit of trepidation when it was getting towards evening. You know, and you think, oh, well, tomorrow's Sunday. That means that the next day will be Monday. You're back at school. And sure enough, in Sunday, once again, it's a Sunday night. There you go. You try and make that. You stretch out the hours. As best before you fell asleep, because you knew when you woke up, you had to go to school, and, and that's what's like now, isn't it? To, to do with everything that happens with uh, with the COVID lockdowns, all pre-planned, of course, and you can see their old scripts already, which they had published years ago, and how they'd manage it all and all this kind of thing. And I always say you're living through a script anyway. And I said at the beginning that this COVID idea that. Uh, this would be permanent, basically. It was written in stone. I said, it's chiseled in stone. Nothing's going to change it. The whole, the whole world is to be on board with it. And that's what's happening. You can't get, in, in a real, any real situation, you could never get 100% of the nations on board with it, with all the, the same so-called leaders and their democracies, as I like to call them, on board with it, and their health advisors all on board with it. You'd, you'd always get other dissenting opinions in higher places, but that's not happening, which tells you that we're all placed in the right places initially for this thing to happen. And they could take it over and all run in unison, lockstep, as you call it, across the world. Because this changed the world, isn't it? The Great Reset from Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum. Uh, who told us quite, you'd be quite happy uh, living, you know, living with far less material goods and so on. You know, he's, they've already decided where they're going to take you, understand, with a great reset. And they were giving us all the clues for years and years and years. 
under the guise of climate change, and you've got to cut back and go into austerity. And I gave these talks years. It's like deja vu. It's like repetition, repetition. It's all literally Groundhog Day over and over and over for me. Because I I, even the immunity passport idea, I came up with that back in the 90s as well. So eventually you won't, go, you won't go anywhere without your some kind of identification to show you have had all your vaccinations up to date. And electronic tagging and so on. And I said, you've gone to grocery stores to get food because you all need food. And alarms will go off if, if it recognizes that you, you don't have uh, your valid um, up-to-date passport or your vaccinations. And it's all here. You're living through a script. And you are living through a script. This is, if you look at the League of Nations, 1919, formed at the end of World War One or after World War One. again, under, everything's done to, for your good and benefit. Just, just stop another major war, they said, right? And that the same institutions all set up, like a, a health authority for the world and all that, and, and you have to look at, the, and I read this stuff years ago on the radio show, they, they had lots of uh, ideas about the coming vaccine schedules they'd have for all, everybody, children, right, right through adulthood, birthday, death. Back in 1919, 1920, they came out with this kind of stuff. And they've been trying ever since to get the public to, to be pincushions and, and the recipients of mandated uh, corporate vaccinations, you know, private business, eh? which is a great business to be in if government, a true fascist government, isn't on board with it. And you call it fascist or communism, they're both fascist, really, both socialist, meaning government and big corporations work together uh, under the pretense of helping you for your own good. But if they mandate uh, that you must take their product and your government mandates it by law or an imprisonment and fines and all that, then that, that's no free society at all, hmm? So it's, uh, yeah, they'd all, they, they, they actually said that they'd have lifelong vaccinations and boosters and all that done through the time, and here we are. And of course, but again, the greatest tyrannies are always presented, and they're saving you. We're here to save you. And that's what they call the tyrants in Rome. Sometimes you had tyrants that were pretty decent at what they did, eh? Because a tyrant didn't have a really bad, bad name. Some were bad, but a lot weren't bad. But the idea was, here's, here's the Republic of Rome. And it's, it's gone so far off kilter as a republic by power-hungry freaks in the Senate and so on, who were grabbing land for themselves by disenfranchising farmers and so on, that occasionally uh, you'd have to bring in a, a general would stand up and say to his army, we're, we're taking over Rome because because it's, it's lawless now. If they don't follow the law they're supposed to be under, then it's not it's not what you think it is after. It's not the republic anymore. Same as the U.S., you know. And, and they bring in a tyrant. And he would rule like a dictator. And you better obey him or else it's martial law time. And he'd try to get things back on kilter. Some of them were pretty good, as I say. They would actually grab the land back from all the senators that had stolen it from the farmers and, and uh, dealt with the senators in the proper fashion and uh, can restore law and order to an extent back to a working system again. If, when those at the top don't follow the laws, you see, you're in an un, unlawful society. And 
anything goes then. We're seeing that today. For a lot, we've seen it for a long, long time, actually. It just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Uh, but uh, under the guise of it's for your own good, sometimes you get a bad tyrant who would come in who was really just in it for the power for himself. And uh, but it's, it's always a technique that's used, and many many top uh, philosophers from long long ago uh, and up to recent time too. But uh, top philosophers mentioned it too. If tyranny ever comes, it'll be under the guise of saving you from something, and just to help you. You understand that's the only way you can give up rights. Is when you're terrified, and and they say we're here to help you. Yeah? It's quite easy, isn't it? And if you have enough people on board together, which isn't hard when you when you have a, a corrupt system worldwide, where everybody has thrown everything else out the window, every law, every religion, basically the tenant of religion, out the window, and you've been living in a in a, a materialistic society for such a long time, where greed is good, uh, like Milton Friedman said, and he taught that greed is good. Uh, then all the barriers, again, you, you couple that with Nietzsche, and you say, well, all the barriers that kept um, totalitarian uh, systems coming forward and creating a living hell are out the window. You can do anything you want, you see, once you have not, no moral uh, guidance to go by. In fact, the old religions, which were pretty much the same when you look at the, the rights of the people uh, down through time, and uh, they were fought hard for, by the people, by the way, even in religion, religious society, that they fight to get those rights. And uh, But now they've been replaced by front people, the persuaders, you understand? You're persuaded to do everything and to give up your rights and freedoms. So you, you do it by giving them fancy titles or and little courses at university, and you call them ethics uh, experts and bioethics experts as well. And they then interpret what's good for the humans because you use scientific principles, you see. And of course, they're all funded and paid for by the big global corporations that run universities uh, to decide what kind of culture they want to be taught to future leaders. That's what universities are really for today. Uh, they, they give a, a culture to, to train. I mean, that, that's not new. I mean, Elihu Yale, I think it was Yale. In, in his, when he founded the Yale University, I said that, that really the purpose of it was to, to, to ensure the proper values would be taught to future leaders, etc. And that's what it's always really been, you know. And um, of course, now you have the skull and bones as well, <laughs> which is rather telling with its own war room. But, uh, but yeah, you, you're dealing with a system that's very old. Sometimes, if the politicians, who are naturally corrupt, I, I personally believe that. I think that only the really corrupt people go into politics, the psychopathic types. And, and they're up for the highest bidder, too, today. It's very evident of the big corporations that fund them to run in politics. And before they go into politics, many of them, especially in the higher realms of medicine and food, etc., and chemical companies, uh, were heads of the board. They were on the boards, sometimes the CEOs, the chairman of some of these corporations. Then they take seats in the FDA, Food and Drug Administration in the States, and other things, and the equivalents in other countries too. And they're back and forth like musical chairs, making 
laws that uh, the corporations they that they worked for can easily uh, pass under the under the wire, basically. So it's very corrupt and openly corrupt. And the lobbying, I mean, government, as I say, is just there for money. It gets your money, it takes your money from you. Government doesn't produce, produce money, it takes money from the people that it pretends to represent. And it's a very thin pretense these days, and for a long, long time, actually. And then it also dishes out money and grants to universities, then... Uh, work for, uh, for public-private enterprise, investigative uh, science, research and development for the big corporations, and then they hand all their findings over to the corporations, including the big pharma companies and the vaccine companies at times too, and, uh, and genetics and all that kind of stuff, and hand it over, and um, they get it for pretty well nothing. You know, they put the patent on it. You know, the universities have all been paid off, and no doubt there's big gifts given to professors and so on. I think everything is so openly corrupt, really, in this day and age. I really think it is. And uh, with the top goes the bottom, because the people at the bottom always accept that kind of corruption. Uh, if they don't complain about it, then it means that they themselves at the bottom are corrupt as well. So things at the top get worse and worse and worse. That's how we, at least to say, that's how you tolerate corruption. It depends how corrupt the people at the bottom become. And the more you become, the more, the more, less indignant you'll be naturally. And you'll hear that often said, well, well, if I was up there, I'd be doing this, I'd be filling my pockets too. That's what you'll hear. So there's no hope for that kind of society, you know. So for a long, long time, we've been living under the scientific tyranny, and it's getting more and more evident now. And their pretenses of science too, because the computer is a fantastic tool. Uh, they've trained everybody that somehow the computer doesn't lie, and that it's got a better brain, uh, metaphorically speaking, than humans. But because it can't tell lies, but all I can do is spout off the info that's fed into it. And they used to give uh, demonstrations of that years ago, according to the. You know, data they wanted for the climate, so for the climate agreement, they how much what they want to spew into it, and the terrifying things that were, oh my God, the world will be dry as a bone by the year two thousand twenty, and we'd all be dying of thirst and so on, and of course Al Gore and the rest of them would use these kind of statistics, and he said years ago too that eventually, I can't remember the year he said it would be, it was long past, but he said that. Uh, the children will wonder what snow was when you tell them what snow was. They can't imagine it because there will be no more no more snow. And uh, I, I can tell me that's an untruth. That's the terms they use, the untruth, not not lies. But because every winter here is, is, has got heavier and heavier for the last few winters, in fact. There's no lack of snow anywhere. Not up here in North Ontario. But again, it's, it's fantastic when you can get someone with a white... I don't wear their white coats on when they stand next to computers, you know. Because you're brainwashed to believe that's what the expert wears. And they'll stand there and tell you what the computer's spewed out and why you must follow its, its predictions. You see, it can't lie. As they have this little cheesy grin on their faces, as they tell you. But that's what the current system we live in. It's corrupt. And the agenda, even for the climate change, was always to reduce the population numbers across on the world. And bring in, again, what Bertrand Russell and others would refer to sometimes as a technotronic society. Uh, 
and uh, technocratic society. Technocratic too was a term that Brzezinski used, Zygmunt Brzezinski. The, the technotronic era, again run by experts and, and all the high-tech wizardry, they could literally alter people's brainwave patterns, as he said in his book Between Two Ages. And the chapter was called The Technotronic Era. So in the 1970s, when he wrote his book, the testing had already been done on a lot of the kind of standing wave and extremely low frequency technology. And they found that, that very low intensity signals would affect the human brain uh, very, very efficiently. And, they could, and he said they could actually make people, make people alter their behavior through technotronic means and blanket the whole continents with these waves. Eh? So they were being tested out in different areas and, and well understood. But you had that with a technocratic society where you've got uh, people um, being told to obey, obey, and obey. Uh, the true socialist kind of society, the kind of society that H.G. Uh, Wells and George Bernard Shaw envisaged, where you'd have a, a hierarchy of, again, specialists. You'll do away with religion, and and you do away with religious morality, and again, replace it with ethicists, you know, out of universities who'll, who'll work with law to see how they can change the law to bring in their regimes of the new ethics which would tend to justify what the elite were doing in the corporate level. Uh, so, so it's a fantastic way to, to justify tyranny. You know, very, it's very persuasive, you see. And that's how you manage the general public. You don't have to take, hit them head on and, uh, and say, just obey, obey. You can bring forth lots of, of uh, newly qualified people with New Times kinds of degrees, he'll give a lot of gobbledygook, be really impressive, and get you to submit voluntarily, you know. There was a guy in Britain, I mentioned him before, I can't remember his name, I know his face actually, <laughs> because he used to come on television now and then, and he would be presented as Professor so-and-so, and whatever topic it was, he was, he was the professor. And he would come on, and he would literally... He, be asked a question by the by the an interview the the, the, the the comedic interview about whatever it was the big topic of the day and he would just give a lot of very very persuasive technological jargon gobbledygook back and he made up lots of new terms and words and so but it sounded very impressive so much so you, you would you would like this guy you see you wouldn't like the people who tell you especially if it's a, if it's a tyrannical system they're pushing. You're going to like them. Say, well, it's not too bad, you know. And um, maybe he wants to take more rights away. But he has to do it to help us and save us. And this guy was awfully persuasive. And he used to have him an occasional comedy show as well. He'd do his little, his little act. But that's what you have today. You have all these, these bioethicists and ethicists coming forth who've already worked. And, and some of them have got law degrees as well, you see. So that on behalf of the corporations and the government agencies, they work in a global governmental agency, as far as I'm concerned, you know. And we have for a long time, but uh, they all work together and on the same agenda that was written long, long ago to gradually do away, like the Club of Rome said, but the idea of democracy, too inefficient, can't get things done because you have to cater to individual rights. 
and it's much better to have a collective society where you just tell them what, what's going to happen and that's it or else and, and train them into it. You can be trained into any kind of living, you see. And again, Bertrand Russell was, was a classic uh, orator uh, on, on the global society. He worked with five different major agencies that he claimed were given permission to, to recreate uh, a, kind of, a new kind of culture for the West. In stages, to, right up to the present day, you're still living through some of those stages that these agencies set out through fashion industry. Even the miniskirt, they, they came up with the idea and the promotion of sexual promiscuity, uh, which would lead to the dissolution of the family unit and the fallout uh, for massive sexuality, uh, for, with a loss of unwanted children or, or pregnancies, you would create an abortion industry, and that would tie right in with uh, Julian Huxley's position at UNESCO, where he said we'd have to devalue uh, people's ability to discern themselves as being the, the pinnacle of life on the planet, and take them off their pedestal and bring them down into the, the lower realms until human life itself is diminished. And that's what they did, very efficiently. And during it all, the people, the youngsters, well, did it, they followed the, the changes step by step every, every few years, rapidly, rapid succession. Um, all went in through this whole system, thinking it was their system, thinking the culture was theirs, thinking they were somehow at the cutting edge and they were creating um, the sexual revolution. They feel, and uh, and and they, they start the, the women's rights and so on. They very quickly morphed into um, abortion rights and so on. Uh, so step by step, they fulfilled the whole agenda that was written back in the 1940s. Huh? That Bretton Russell t- uh, touched upon. Quite fascinating, really, to me anyway. When you realise that's how the world is run. And we're still living through it. You know, you, things don't happen just by themselves on any level. Like Plato said, they, they can't, you can't allow it to happen spontaneously if it's not authorized, whatever change it might be. He said, in fact, Plato wanted even musicians, not just actors and playwrights and dramas to be licensed, but musicians as well, he said, because music can be, even then, could be used to stir the war like. Um, abilities innate within, especially young males. So, so music had always been used for for warlike purposes. It gets the blood up, and you get your your happy warlike songs on the go, and away you go. But also, it could, it, you could create discontent through anything that would attract the youth. It's hard to get the youth to sit and say, "Let's have a." Here they are on a nice, nice island, eh? one of the Grecian islands. Eh? And there's a school of philosophy, and, and they get beautiful weather, right? You've got uh, lovely blue skies, and uh, uh, that that deep blue, uh, greenish azure, they call it azure color, I guess they call it, of the sea, and a nice warm breeze, eh? Uh, and you're having a great time yourself, if, if you're wealthy. And... And this is philosophy school, and your dad wants you to go there, you see. And he's paid this philosopher X amount of bucks to Because, I mean, that's where, where school comes from. Is the word is from a Greek word meaning leisure. So you, you need leisure to, to go to school. Because the rest of the folk were too busy keeping the wealthy elite in, in comfort. And so they didn't have time to go to school. 
but here you are, as I say, here's this, this philosophy school saying, yada, 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 you know, and uh, let, let's, let's, don't just, what's the meaning of your life, right? Eh? And then it breaks off into a thousand different um, ideas, and everybody's arguing, and you get dialectics going, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and you could have, you could either sit there for all day uh, waiting for it all, or would have you heard someone playing a, a fancy little instrument, something maybe a harp, right? and singing some song that would get the foot tapping? Well, I guarantee you, any little boys and girls there would. Suddenly, be over. Especially someone their own age. You see, it doesn't matter if someone's created them as a, as a an idol to follow, as they've always done in the music business. Um, but as long as they think it's theirs, and they're talking about, yeah, yeah, we're going to have our, it's our talking about our generation, right? And uh, <laughs> and that rebellion and tapped in that. So so sure, you can actually. So what they're going to chew? What are you going to do? So listen to some boring old philosopher. Or go and listen to this this guy singing about the injustices of life and all the things he'd love to, and how angry he was because his hormones are jumping in, and he doesn't know how to control things. So he's angry about everything and yada yada yada. And so they, they can all kind of relate to that in a way. They go, well, that that technique's always been used, and Plato talked about it that they should actually be licensed because it's a dangerous thing to society for the stability of society. Quite amazing, really, eh? When you think about it, even way back then, that uh, Plato himself had to flee Greece in Athens. He had to flee uh, for quite a few years after Socrates died. And Socrates was his mentor. You know, many, he was a mentor to, to quite a few philosophers, actually. And Aristotle, too. But Socrates was often put across to the public as being someone that they, they just picked on. He was just too bright for them, you know. And he had he, these outrageous ideas and so on and blah, blah, blah. And, but uh, it was much, much. And he was, then he was, he was asked to drink the hemlock. That was his sentence. That was his punishment. Well, his punishment, actually, if you look into the records that they talked about, was, was that he himself was teaching people or the students to to become like a, like a, almost like an army to for for insurrection against their parents. It's t- old techniques are still getting used today in, in your face today. Actually, very open. The students don't know it, but if anybody else outside is watching, can see it. And uh, so Socrates died, and Plato and a bunch of them fled in case they got hunted down, because the, the, the ideas that had been taught and the techniques that had been taught of recruitment, training, and so on were, were dangerous to the establishment of uh, Greece at that time, or Athens. And you really think about it. I think that was probably a, a common thing that would happen in different countries, actually. The more advanced, the, the more it would happen at the time. But... Um, but Plato didn't understand. That's why he talked about licensing afterwards when he came back and he was he got a good position of power himself. Uh, he understood that, that what he'd been taught himself, the power of, of art, uh, music, um, some poetry, and, and stage plays. You know? Fascinating stuff, really, when you think about it. So nothing really changes. It's, it's, it's very powerful, a powerful, powerful tool. I can remember going to high school 
And um, in the first week I was there, some of the younger teachers there, some of these guys that were uh, just before class started, there were in there's two two there three of them in the class uh, just meeting I guess before the bell went off. And uh, we're all sitting there waiting for the bell to go off, and but they were chatting about music at the time, and they were having a debate about who the best female vocalists were at the time, and who was getting pushed. They were having a, a kind of uh, little spat about who the best female vocalists were. But when I listened to them, it wasn't so much how good they were; it was they really they knew they were, they were very left wing. And they knew that the techniques that were going to be pushed in the songs and had been put across in their songs were kind of revolutionary-type songs. And uh, and they understood that uh, they wanted to change everything, always for a socialist cause, supposedly for this equality uh, idea, you know, this strange idea of equality. That's never existed, even in the communist countries. But again, people who were that, that same age, they were the right age, young, you know, you know, they were teachers and they, they still thought that uh, everything was wrong and no doubt a lot was wrong. But they didn't know the, the reasons for things all being wrong. They didn't know them, they themselves were getting programmed by a, a system that already controlled the culture industry. Very important. Like Gramsci said too. Gramsci was a, the communist who... Um, I taught some of the, 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 the big, big uh, communists, actually. And, he's, and he said, and communism is really it's very, very old, an old idea, especially the type that proliferated in, eventually in the 1800s, but it pre-existed for quite some time. But Gramsci said uh, and, and wrote about it, how to take over cultures, step by, very slowly, step by, very Fabian in a sense, until the culture is yours, you see, you've conquered it without them even realizing it, and that's the, that's the most powerful one of all. Now, with all the universities you've got, and uh, throughout the twentieth century into the present century, teaching this kind of thing, and some of the higher courses too, they go into politics and social sciences, and but they went into the Leninist idea and also the, the Marxist ideas and the helpers, and they, they were all cognizant of Gramsci's teachings, which mean that uh, they understood. They obviously understood that a lot of uh, what he would, had taught already, had already happened, and they were all for it, because the socialistic values, or the Marxist values, permeated all strata, eventually, of society. And eventually, when the upper elite uh, come down with it too, uh, the pretty well won. That's when you see society breaking down because the old values are things that kept folks strong and wary against outsiders or any philosophy coming in to destroy as a, as a weapon of war. Uh, you'd, you'd spot them. Well, those folk were gone then. You see, they, they, their own offspring had become so softened that they now were defenseless as well. And that's that's what you're seeing across a lot of the U.S. at the moment as well. And the folk don't know it, but it was well pl- uh, planned and, and orchestrated. But yeah, I think about uh, Plato at times, it's quite fascinating to to look into the, the ancient times and realize that some of these schools were, were teaching the, the overthrow of the, the parents. And again, again, some of the, the schools that Socrates had and others once had too, 
and this kind of loose brotherhood, you might call it, were all teaching the same thing. They brought young females in too. Some of them became almost like agents of modern uh, spy agencies. They, they literally were told how to eventually how to um, seduce the, the older politicians, if you like, and uh, the important uh, nobility of, of ancient Greece and, and maybe even get hitched up to them, but definitely to influence them. Into a certain direction. I mean, it's fascinating, really, to see uh, how nefarious society has always been, in a way, <laughs> the human mind, eh? uh, especially when it comes to power and politics. The human mind knows no bounds. But today you have uh, corporations that are like countries. They are. And the, the corporations, unfortunately, also took over all businesses, until they are the business, and the country is almost a tool for their labor and for their products, you know. Uh, that's, that's how bad it is now with corporations. And I gave the talks many years ago on that too, when Quigley, and Quigley, by the way, gave lectures as well. You might have, I don't know if they're still out there, you can find them. But Quigley, Carl Quigley, uh, who was all for the agenda, he, did, he, he was an elitist himself, and he didn't believe in democracy for the people. And he was all for the CFR agenda, you know, the Council of Foreign Relations. And, and he was all for them creating wars to get their objectives achieved, you know. But quickly, he did say in Tragedy and Hope and other, uh, other short notes he put out too. Not, not that Tragedy and Hope's a short note, <laughs> but, but he did say in it that, that the corporations eventually will be the governmental system of the world. And the, and the CEOs of corporate, so it will be a new feudal system where the CEOs are the new feudal overlords over the peoples of the world. Well, if you look at Facebook and all the other um, social media platforms and Google, you know, they, they, from the beginning, as far as I was concerned, I, I, I didn't want a computer. I knew what they were going to be for. I even did talk uh, talk shows at the time on radio where I, I didn't so I didn't have a computer, and I said what it was for. I said these things aren't spontaneous. It's not self-made. People come out and just have these big organisations. They're all fronts. That's how the world is really run. And I said they'll be used against you eventually. And to, and sure enough, that's what you've got. So Quigley's predictions came. True, because he was in the know of a lot of it too. He he knew the folk in, who worked at ARPA that became DARPA, and he knew the the high tech experts and where they were going to take the world. But he did say that, uh, yeah, the feudal overlords would would be the CEOs of corporations. And you you think about it. You see, in a feudal system, you don't have democracy in a feudal system. It's a hierarchy of what used to be nobility at one time. And uh, you'd have your reeve, you know, of, of a town or a little hamlet or whatever it happened to be. And you would have your, your, your sheriff as well. The sheriff is, is uh, the Shire Reef. That's where it supposedly comes from. I've got my doubts about that too. I think it, maybe it's partly true, but. So he did a shire, and, and he did a reeve, a reeve of the shire, and that became a sheriff, supposedly, as English started to change. But he also had that coming from their wars, I think, and the Crusades as well, as far as I'm, I can think. 
uh, there's a there's a crossover between the, between the two cultures there when it comes to some of the the namings of these places and these people and positions. But you're you're definitely witnessing uh, an authoritarian system coming down the pike. And every, everybody I've mentioned before from years ago that were up there working and churning their books out at the CFR, it was a great source actually, because uh, many of the members in the CFR have their books churned out for, I'm sure it goes written, but they're written in the vein of, of how this person talks and their ideas and so on. That's how the ghostwriters really work. And... Um, but they, t- they, tell, they told you an awful lot of truth of where they were going to take the world. Some of the ones, actually, some of the best books were written during World War II by members that were traveling in the countries as they got so-called liberated. And before it, too, that they met together in, the, in big panels in the U.S. and in Britain on how to create a, a post-World War II society for Europe, European countries, and for Japan. And in the, in the U.S., I think it was Hopkins that uh, Roosevelt appointed to be in charge of a, a committee to create a, to create a post World War II culture for Germany and Japan before the wars were finished. Yeah. I mean, you would understand that we get simplified histories in school, eh? but it just starts. Bad man starts war. Uh, good countries go and fight bad man, and and then it's then it's over at the end of it, and now you got another enemy by that time. In a cold war, very simplistic stuff. You don't realise the massive organisations that war helped to spring up. Again, something that Quigley uh, related to as well. He, he mentioned that you get more done in five years of war in a social change. This kind of system where folks simply obey, and actually, the, the rights are suspended in war. You're under War Powers Act, and you all pull together for the common good. We're all in it together. That term and all these f- slogans that churn out, and uh, and people put up with it. You see, rationing and everything else, and social changes to change society. And Quigley also said that it doesn't matter what side you're on, they're of combatant, uh, combatants, you all change much the same. Uh, because they're they're adopting the same changes throughout the war in order to survive. So that's why they like war, you see, or the threat of war or the threat of mass extinction, like COVID (laughs) and that kind of thing, because you get so much done. And the World Economic Forum is doing exactly the same thing, as you well know, with its Great Reset. And all these organizations, none of which you get to vote for, the United Nations, as an example, the World Health Organization that also takes funding from Bill Gates. <laughs> so it's not compromise, is it? And, um, and it goes on and on, this kind of system. So, and yeah, you're living through a massive, a massive plan. I, I wasn't even planning to go here tonight, but there you go. Uh, it's just the way it happens as my thoughts start to uh, take off by themselves. But... You're living through agendas. The whole point is you're living through agendas. Things aren't just spontaneous. Some of these agendas take many years to plan and further years to refine. And then more years to, to game it to see if we do this, what would happen. And they go through all these different simulations of what might happen. 
they could throw it off and they try to eliminate things that might interfere. All in the game stage, basically, and the debating stage before they introduce it. And that's why they, they don't really feel... That's also why you see that no country is backing off that signed on to the agreements with the WHO and the various agreements after the two th- by 2004, they all signed on to the same, really their own national agreement. It's all the same agreement to do with dealing with pandemics and, uh, and martial law type scenarios. Eh? They're all on board exactly, uh, pretty well, except maybe Sweden and a couple other ones. But, but otherwise, they're all on board exactly with the same propaganda, in fact, using the same figures that they keep spouting out. And it doesn't matter the country, the same figures and the same nonsense. And using the same psychological warfare divisions, by the way, uh, that give you your fear, like the SAGE group that, that, that in Britain that uh, has got a subgroup attached to them this, that, that comes up with the ideas on how to terrify you. Lee actually said that if the folk won't comply, then the media, and hand it, this is a handout for the media, telling them to, to increase um, the story, exaggerate the stories and, and how severe it was, to, to scare them, to create more anxiety, and you're scaring them into compliance. Well, I don't know about you, but I would never, ever, um, ever, ever, ever <laughs> vote for any government that did that to me. I don't care what excuse to get for it. Never. I would never do that. This is all, all managed fear and terror. And when you couple that, I'll touch on it tonight too, perhaps. If you couple that with um, with incredible suicides, uh, rates going up and up and up. Uh, officially, they're really watching. This is a great experiment you're under right now, as you're all studied in statistics. Right? Every statistics now you control people's stats, 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 isn't it? And uh, and it's very machines and computers that predict more things and more things going to happen, blah blah blah. But the suicide rate is definitely going up, and uh, definitely age groups, but including young people, but in their bit twenty, twenty one, to twenty four, quite astonishing, really. And some 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 stories of really decent young people who just can't see their friends and so on, and they they they, they kill themselves. Uh, how tragic! Eh? It could all be avoided because I say this is the first lockdown in the history of the planet, where the healthy folk are locked locked down, quarantined, <laughs> and businesses plummeted to the bottom because it's meant to almost disappear, and you're supposed to go through the, the hardships of the Great Reset, the stuff they've been talking about for years that I was talking about for years. By reading their articles, and their, and their, I've got so much from the, the articles saved over many, many years on this. I gave talks, and it's, to me, as I say, it's like Groundhog Day. I'm just repeating myself because I knew it would come to this, not because I wanted it to come to this, but uh, they, they didn't be around the bush, you know. They talked about the fact that the people were ignoring their, their, their scary scenarios. They call them scary scenarios for climate change. I've got the articles from the, the, the big front groups that they use and the Friends of the Earth and so on, well-funded front groups that are meant to make the people think that, oh, there's thousands of people agreeing with them. No, they, they're all getting funded. All you know, the leaders get funded. And uh, like everything else, and the followers are just disposable. They do their job they're disposed of. But they, they talked about... Uh, 
that the people aren't going to, aren't listening to us and they aren't cutting back on their consumption and blah 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 and, and there's a lot more still eating meat and and so on and so on. It's a huge, huge agenda, a meatless society, long before they, they came upon the idea of doing away with animals altogether. Eh? They'd already planned a vegetarian type society. But again, it'd be mainly the, the vegetables owned and patented by the big genetically engineered companies, engineering, engineering and the, the pesticide and herbicide industry, chemical industry. Because uh, all these corporations survive on us. So it's much better and efficient to get the government to sign into law that you must eat their food, you see. <laughs> it's beautiful, beautiful fascism, isn't it? Where government actually complies quite happily with them. Same with the vaccinations and everything else. Vaccinations, it can take years to show you what's wrong. The side effects, it doesn't matter, they say. And uh, they want to mandate it. Uh, even though you still have the Nuremberg Laws that came out from the Nuremberg trials, that human beings were not to be experimented with, and they couldn't do anything to them, anything in their body without their consent. Well, consent is supposed to be informed consent. You don't just say, oh, this is a flu shot, this is a COVID shot, and it's good for you. And, it's, and you're supposed to disobey, and some nurse is going to grit their teeth because you won't comply and they get angry, you know. No, that's not medicine. That's not medicine at all. Like everything is supposed to go through legal legalities, and you can't put anything in someone's body without their consent. Everything else you put in their body without their consent, you'd have a moment of charges. If someone stuck heroin in someone's body and they didn't want it, I mean, the government itself would be hammering them for that, you know. But when it's, oh, it's for this corporation that we've signed, is we've signed it, you know, we've given them money. Your government has given them money. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, dear! Yeah. Fascism, fascism, and they got to get rid of their products, eh? or because they want the ongoing. It's like light bulbs. The light bulbs went down, down, and down with their life expectancy of light bulbs. With international meetings of the manufacturers years ago, planned obsolescence because one or two companies that were making bulbs that lasted for years, years and years. So they said, we can't make a profit like this. Uh, we could actually make bulbs that would last f- for the life of a person. But if you do that, then no one needs more bulbs eventually, or very few. And the companies go down. So you just make life of it shorter and shorter. Well, same with vaccines. and They want, they want guaranteed business. Because they've got all these shareholders, eh? And, and the shares go up and up and up. More folk want to get shares. Uh, the more contracts that they have with government, with the companies. So they, yeah, it's great business, but they want pretty well predictable shares and, and predictable levels of income. So they want like annual vaccinations of all kinds, all through people's lives. Yep, there you go. Eh? That's not fascism. It's to keep you safe and healthy, even though you can get viral interference and and problems um, when, when even after vaccinations. If you hit the, the actual wild virus, as like to call it, or even something that's similar in the wild, and you get a cytokine storm, and that's you, you'll be dead pretty quickly without treatment. You know? This is all understood, but you're supposed to accept these vaccinations because someone looks at you like an idiot. You're an idiot, you see. You, what do you know? And they won't just pump it into you. 
See, that's what size, size come down to. But at one time, that, that folk had rice. Folk did have rice. And if they're not terrified, they'll accept them. They're right. But when they're terrified, a lot will cave in. Oh, oh save me, save me. Because they watch TV every day. Hmm? The greatest propaganda tool ever devised. What can you do? But yeah, but again, now they've got their bioethics and their ethicists. And, well, you know, we've studied the law and, you know, it's, it's, it's quite legitimate to terrify the people to make them comply. And yeah, this is what they're telling us now, some articles like that. And I thought, oh my goodness, here we go, eh? Yeah. And it is interesting uh, if you just stand outside the box and, and outside yourself even and look, look at it all you know, from the outside and... You look at the tyrannies, uh, how long did you even have, even in Britain, this idea of democracy? It was a pretty recent thing, wasn't it? Because up into the 20th century, it certainly wasn't democratic. And even in World War I, uh, they hear about suffragettes, suffragettes. They never tell you that most of the men didn't have the vote either, because they didn't have property. The history is such an awful liar. Because you, you'll get authorized history, and, and everything's politicized for the present. So the topic of suffragettes, a lot of whom, by the way, were from wealthy families of revolutionaries who went over to, to Moscow after the, the Bolshevik Revolution. And that's, that's, you, you can actually trace some of them. But facts don't matter eh? when you've got big agendas to, to carry out and so on. And, uh, yeah, most folks didn't have the votes, even in the U.S., I've mentioned before. After the War of Independence, they, they had debates about that. They didn't even want to give them a, a, what they did give the people to vote, rights to vote. They still wanted it to be landowners. And then, even then, they argued about how much land they should own. They wanted big chunks of it. You know? But so, anyway, democracy, this idea of having. I mean, in the US, on paper, it was the first nation to give everyone rights, on paper. But what's the point of having them if you don't stand up for them? What it, Jefferson mentioned it a few times. And so did uh, Franklin. You know, what kind of government have you given us? He says, a republic if you can keep it. So, uh, yeah. Bush Jr. said it too. Well, what's, what about the Constitution? When they were signing the Patriot Act and so on. When he told them, well, you'd sign it to all the... All the, all the which I'm sure they're all quite happy to do, all the representatives sign it in the Congress without looking at it. He says, just sign it. If you won't be patriotic unless you sign it. So if you actually want to look at it, you're not patriotic. So they all signed it. That's, that's, that's the official version eh? <laughs> that goes down in the history. And you vote these prunes in. But Britain, Britain again, is no, no better. It, it's, it's, it had all the... I mentioned this before. Just like today, if you look into all the all the demands that are tacked on to loans from the U.S. government and the World Bank, all based in the U.S., are they? at least the groups involved in them. And you look at all what they demand to do to change their cultures, which is the same as the West, you see, which has changed again. <laughs> and must, I mean, before you get the culture and, and pass this law and change it here and change it there and all the rest of it, that never used to be done. At least we're told that anyway. But I think it's always been here. And today, uh, 
look at the money that's been dished out to the people, and and they're supposedly governments are you know they're supposedly borrowing like from the, from the Bank of England billions of pounds, millions then billions of pounds. Well, see, they're all with stipulations, and now that we're into the post pretense democratic system in, in Britain, for instance, and in a lot, a lot of Europe, then you have all these different conditions on compliance. And the compliance are going to do electronic, with electronic monitoring, passports, IDs, ID2020 is one of them. Eh? And, um, and again, a, a post-democratic system where you be experts continuously all through your life into an austerity type of living. It's all come to pass. They planned it this way. They, they wrote books and books and books, but they taught it. And here you are. And Maurice Strong said it too, that he wouldn't be happy until he'd dismantled all the industrial uh, organized, uh, factories and so on, and, and industry left in the West. He wouldn't be happy until it was all completely dismantled. Well, did, did anybody vote for Maurice Strong? Nope. Do you vote for the United Nations? Nope. Do you vote for the World Health Organization? Nope. Do you vote for the World Economic Forum? Nope. It gives you the Great Reset. They say, nope. You don't get to vote for any of these organizations, but they, like one big gang at the top, because the members often are, are, are the same members that belong to all organizations, some of the top ones, you see. And they've decided with their massive think tanks and with their, their advice of their think tanks and so of the world and how it's to be, and, and it's the, the one that they want with their smart cities, which they control, and everybody in it is controlled and actually owned by them. Because getting back to, to, the, to the money that the banks are supposedly dishing out to pay people to stay at home under this guise of COVID, it is a universal basic income, and along with it come all the conditions. See, not initially, but it's going to be within, maybe before Christmas, so start coming out, we can, you've got to take these vaccinations. Number one, you've got to get immunity passport. Number two, uh, but if you don't have all that, you check in with some counselors, you see, uh, maybe twice a week or something. Like. Uh, this is the new system uh, using a martial law type scenario to get it all through. But uh, yeah, the, the new set is not going to be free money for everybody, so you can buy and play yourselves as to as to manage you all and to have you controlled and obedient to slaves. Go back in the ancient times and read about the house what slaves were, the ownership of slaves through debt. That was that's written now it's in the Old Testament too, if you can read through it. If you if if you get get go into debt, you know, you have to give yourself your own body there as as a servant, a slave and work for the master until it's paid off. If you can pay it off, but with compound interest, you'll never pay it off. It's not meant to be paid off. But also, any children that you had while you're a slave belong to the master as well. It's quite amazing, this stuff. And you, you can, people will get into arguments of who's to blame and blah, 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 and, and point fingers. But here's the reality of it. It, it, it wouldn't matter who's doing it. Because it's, it's all the same. You don't have to say, your children will be mine, because you're in debt. But the children will be, there, there is anyway, corporations and banks anyway, because um, 
your children are borrowing too, you see. And you're borrowing on behalf of the children. So you all these stipulations coming down the pike. And, for, and a lot of young folk think it's going to be great. Well, we won't have to do any work, you know. We can sit and play with our phones all day. And whatever else they want to do. That's what they think. Yeah? Meanwhile, you have to go down into austerity. And I'm talking about ra- radical austerity. Under the guise of saving the planet. Did you notice, did you notice that as soon as Biden, uh, supposedly, uh, was in, in the lead, regardless of nefarious means and all the rest of it, it doesn't matter, it really doesn't matter. Immediately, all the, the, all the different uh, main, main media that was all for Biden, because deep state again, as they call it, you know, Immediately starts saying, "Oh, good, he'll he'll get us back on track with the, with the climate change agreements and back it to the Paris Accord and the, the conference of parties will be meeting again, and they'll be cutting back on folks' ability to live in, in the country and all that kind of stuff." You know, uh, all right, back on track. This is what they're saying. That's what the CIA wanted. That's what the global intelligence agencies wanted, because uh, they're all one. And that's what top corporations all want to do. They're on board with it completely. Again, CEOs of big and corporate big corporations are the new feudal overlords. And just like feudal overlords, as I say, they can censor you until you can't say anything. They own everything, you see. Oh yeah. So they are overlords. You can't use your platforms, you can't do this, you can't do that. If you speak out against anything that they deem taboo. And if not yet, they might declare some new thing to boo tomorrow. But you're not allowed to give your opinion on anything because you'd be called a social influencer. And only their own social influencers are allowed to the big traditional corporations that have been living on the tax money for years called news organizations because no one was interested in the garbage they've been churning out for the last 30, 40 years. <laughs> really? Yeah. But they're vital to a unified propaganda outlet with the same propaganda, unified news um, across the world. So whoever you look at, you get the same stories, saying the same things, the same opinions, you see. That's that's how you control people. People can't think to themselves. They can't believe that anyone would go to this land to deceive them or control them. And that's why it works. It's because you don't think that, (laughs) because you're... You're probably decent people, you see. But psychopaths uh, have no problem doing that. Those folk who are bioethics and, and in the bioethics field and the ethics field, the new ethics field for humanity, this this is replaces religion, you see. It's a mixture of law and social sciences mixed with corporate agendas. You know, there's just, just too many people. Why don't you just hit 65, die, don't claim any money that you've paid into for pensions, and let the government use that money on, on needful things, you see. I'm not making this up. That came out from an Australian professor a few years back who got all the coverage in the world, eh, from all the, all the Western media to, oh, he actually said it. Of course he said it, because he was chosen to say it. That's how this, these things are put across to the general public. But, uh, yeah, what you're living through right now is just the beginning of all. Now, remember, 
That's one hour past already, and I haven't even started. But uh, go to cuttingthroughthematrix.com, my website. You'll notice the other official websites I have all listed on that com site. Make note of them. And so if you can't get me some day, if I'm cut off or whatever on the com, you'll have these other sites, hopefully, they're still up, that you can go and get the latest from me. Uh, so these are all my official sites listed on cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Other people will upload my, my talks and then refer it back to me for, for anything else. But in my own website, remember, you get all the links to the talks I give. I don't just talk off the top of my hat at times. When I'm talking about the actual, I hate to call it news stories. They're called stories, eh? Well said, too, stories, because that's what they are, eh? You can do the, do the checking of these things for yourself, the verifications of them, because it's important to do so. If you're serious about things, and we've now reached the stage I talked about back in the 90s, we'd reach with uh, some kind of, of, uh, vir- of an, uh, health passport that you'd have to have with you at all times to get into any store. And so that's all pretty well here. Eh? And, and this week too, and last week I noticed too, I didn't bother reading them, but it was about the new apps from different companies. So again, they all got their hands out to make, all paid by our tax money, eh? to put shackles on us and manacles on us, tracking and tracing. Sovereign and independent, supposedly, Human, you're sovereign if you're born, eh? If you're born, you're not born. On, well, again, getting back to the slavery idea, they'll, they'll debate that. Well, you're born into slavery because you know your your nation, uh, and uh, you own pre-existing debts from previous generations. That's how they're wording it today. That's why no generation should be born into paying back the debt from a previous generation. Thomas Thomas Jefferson said that too. They all knew this stuff long before we came along. Because we'd done before, you see. And they had a good education back then. They didn't get heads full of nonsense and different Marxist uh, philosophies. and you know, They were taught the facts of history. What had been done. Why things had been done. What worked, what didn't work, and so on. But here it's again, yeah, you're born into debt. And so he said that if you're born to pay off the debt of a previous generation, you are a de facto slave. That's what he said. And that hasn't changed. Hasn't changed because obviously those who control money, money systems of massive loans, this is not the average little bank on the street. These are the big international lenders. The lent to nations, to, to their central banks, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's um, you're you're born into slavery. Eh? You're still paying uh, off the debt from that was accumulated from previous world wars. I've read three times from official newspapers in Britain that they just paid off the debt uh, of World War One. So after this, I read it a second time, years later, I thought, I thought he'd already done that. 
because they keep lying to you. Well, you can't because there's, there's, they haven't really paid the debt off. They're still paying off the interest at times on the debt. That's what we're when they say balanced budgets. That's what they used to always tell the public. Oh, we're going to balance the budget. And people would think they're going to start paying off debt. No, no, they're paying the interest. They're trying to make the interest payments on the debt. Kind of like Visa, you know, the credit cards they give people. They're all the massacre. They're all the same, but they can give you these very low rates of payment, and that's that's to suggest it. Uh, if you get a payment a slip coming in, and say you own you owe so and so. Um, your basic payment could be as low as 10 or 20 bucks, you know, whatever it happens to be. And they don't realize, though, that, that you'll never get away from it. They take years and years and years at that rate to pay it all off. And during that time, they've added compound interest on and daily interest and weekly interest and monthly interest, you see. And that's our money. Business is not there to serve the people. You know, the big business, really not. Never was. And they will argue, in fact, like laissez-faire capitalism that they had in Britain during its industrial era. It was to have a free hand. That was the idea of it. That, that oh yeah, you had terrible fallouts and, and children were dying every day of starvation, malnutrition, and down the mines and in the factories. And that didn't matter either. It was, uh, why, why should they have a moral obligation to society? They actually debated all these things quite openly. And their magazines, because they had magazines for factory owners and so on. And they had meetings with parliamentarians that, that also belonged to these factory group types and so on, who were voted in by them. But they would say that, and, and so he, that was their moral <laughs> debating point by then. Was, uh, was it was okay to make big, big profits and, and have a good part of the population living in starvation, on starvation wages, early death. Uh, malnutrition and and so on, and they say, "Well, we can't help it. We have no obligation." They go into, "Am I my brother's keeper?" That old, that old thing, you know, which um, which can take a lot of ways as well. <laughs> I keep getting sidetracked here, I'm probably. But I was thinking of uh, my brother's keeper. That's what, supposedly that's what Cain said when God says, "Where's your brother Abel?" You yeah. know. A rabble, and that's what he says. Am I my brother's keeper? Is, is, is his life and what I'm saying? Am I responsible for him? In other words, that's what they say. But you got to understand in the Bible, names are, are very precise in a way. They're de- they depict the character that is played at that particular point. And Abel is really, in Hebrew, Abel would be. Um, an unimportant person. You can see it's got the connotations of being not important and, and transitory, you know. That's what it means. So that's his function. That's why there's no great crying over over him. Uh, he's there to fulfill a role in the story that people are, some are disposable, you know. And really, there's different ways to come out of it because Cain survives, obviously, and Abel doesn't. <laughs> so is that right or wrong, you see? Is Cain the winner? It depends how you look at it, and that's how that's how it comes down to ethics as well. When it comes to laissez-faire capitalism, and then money, where money by itself becomes the profit motive, where you can actually play with money as a commodity, 
And then again, as, as, as I've mentioned last week, I think maybe touched on it. What's the purpose of society? Yeah. And then what's the purpose of economy? And oh, this is endless debates that have been carried on for centuries. Is, is, are the people there to, to, to service an, uh, the economy? Or is the economy there to serve the people? Uh, so it, that still goes on. But again, they've, they've kind of finished the idea because when Darwinism came along, you have the validation of inferior types and superior types. That's what really a lot of it was about. Again, trying to use a science, you see, a new science to validate what was popular amongst the nobility and the wealthy at the time. Well, we were wealthy because we're superior, you see. Uh, we married properly into other uh, successful families. So there's something obviously superior to us than, than all those folk at the bottom. And that's, that's how they judged it. So they used the, 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 this idea of evolution. We've evolved further, you see, than all those little rag, ragamuffins down below. So science was used, this, this new science was used to, to, to justify the conditions of everybody else and justify that really while a lot of these very wealthy folk were living off the backs of all these little people, nothing much changes there in some way except that you might have, um, today you have, you, you have a, a welfare class in some countries that don't go in a Marxist rampage for food and clothing anymore, just because they were, they were threadbare or, or, or holstein. You, you, got, you got them robbing for <laughs> showing us a statement on TV eh? uh, of the modern welfare state where they're, they're robbing uh, the footwear locker place, I think it said. It was in Pennsylvania or somewhere. and Because uh, they want all these, these brand name sneakers and all that. But also they want the big, big, the biggest TVs you can imagine. Uh, even bringing vans up, like U-Hauls and that, to, to put them into. I mean, it's quite amazing how you can, like, compare to, more, to, to today's revolutionary uh, classes, they're used, you know. Not the ones who guide it all, but the ones who are definitely used, as always, and what they actually go for, you know. That's interesting itself. But anyway, yeah, you, you, the whole idea of Darwinism really did, was set out to to justify the superior classes, right down to the perfect American societies of the Rockefellers, where they had a magazine out, uh, which went into this, and they showed you the, 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 better, the better family of the month, or the best family of the month, or, or the week it happened to be. And they photographed these people and go into their genealogical backgrounds and what they worked at today and their income and how superior they were. And, Big Billy is way ahead of, of um, you know, World War One and World War Two. this whole idea. Hasn't changed today, by the way. Because they did say, you know, in early days, and they've stuck to that pretty well in their arguments, that they, they decided when they set up the Cold Spring as harbor in the States uh, as a big genealogical research center pretty well for eugenics. And in breeding, and breeding better types of people, using the Cattlemen's Association's records of how to breed cattle, and they better cattle. They actually used that. But uh, they actually had decided pretty well, eventually, that anyone who would all have evolved, or everybody on the planet had evolved to a certain level, 
at that time, whatever year that was, in the 1920s and 30s maybe, maybe in the 40s, they decided that, that, that they couldn't breed any better. So the ones at the bottom that were still poor were defective and deranged and, um, and, and, and obviously mentally ill because they were poor. They classified mental illness as, a, as, as um, the reason for a lot of poverty, you see. In other words, poverty was a mental illness. <laughs> uh, uh, what else could it be? And uh, it helped to rationalize the sterilization in the States and elsewhere too. But actually being poor was classified as a mental illness. Uh, there's nothing to stop you from getting to the top, you know, and all that nonsense, all those lies. But they decided that, 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 that no one would advance any higher, really. Maybe a little bit with, with if, if experts chose their mates for them, you know, they said. H.G. Wells was a big campaigner for that, too. But otherwise, they would never get any better because the poor, the, the, the ones who had mental illness, because they were poor, that, that's a proof of mental illness, um, would just marry the same kind and they could never evolve any higher. That's what they, they wrote screeds and screeds and books galore on that. They just churned them out. And the factory owners all believed in it too because it made them feel better. Well, it's not our fault that they're dying young and and uh, they can't help them anyway. That was the that's the great kind of turn off. Well, well, you know, you can't help them anyway. They're 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 inferior types, and they'll marry their own kind if they live long enough to get married. And then even then, they won't survive long anyway. So uh, the idea of rights and democracy was was pretty well. It, it was born out of World War Two and World War One to an extent, but World War Two as well. And it was meant to be temporary, which it has been. Very temporary. Because as always, these big, massive think tanks, some of them, if you can imagine some of the, the size of bureaucracies and governments, some of these think tanks have, have bureaucracies of people working in different departments on problems with all their experts. And, and they're, they're the size, literally, of these think tanks, some of them, and bureaucratic-wise, of some small governments, you know, with, with multi-thousands of people working with them on, on continuous problems of how to manage us and how we t where to take the future and so on. So it, it's astonishing, really, to, to witness it all. This unchanging, this unflinching and unchanging system of exploitation. Of course you're exploited. If your government is taking your tax money, funding research through universities that are then given to the corporations that then patent them and then demand that the government <laughs> gives them permission to, to inject it into you, well, what would you call that, eh? Kosher slave, you know. And they bring it all the way. Oh, it's, under the it's under science, you know. Once again, science will we'll explain it and... And the bioethics groups and the ethics groups will, well, you know, I'm just, just you, you know, we, we've decided looking at the law, you know, which they're constantly changing. And get, lawyers are often, their whole job is to get around the laws by understanding it, right? So that, that's what these ethics committees, and I remember reading the one from the, from the, 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 the Rockefeller Foundation put out in 2010, 
part of which is lockstep inside of it to do with the future and technology and all the rest of it. But they actually have it all in there. And then again, and again, this 2020 year, they came out with all the recommendations for governments to take from the committees of bioethicists that they have working for them. Uh, well, I, again, I didn't vote for any university. Did you? Peter government's happy to do with their certainly government's awfully happy to go again in lockstep with them. So the, the very systems they have to knock down any any other gods before them, as I say, to, to put themselves up to godhood. They eliminate all religions and then they come out as scientists. We're scientists now. We're bioethicists. It's scientific, yeah. And we all see what, what's moral and what's not moral. And it's not moral for you to want to live past sixty-five. Goodness sakes, eh? What will you think of next? So again, I didn't finish what I was telling about CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com Send me a few bucks to help me tick along And you'll find out how to do it At CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com You can buy some discs or books if you want I don't churn out lots of books, there's no point anymore Because um, most folk don't read you know? they, don't re- they really don't read and uh, and if they do read, they're so overwhelmed with the data. Well, by it's deliberate too. It's churned out for them to get to follow, 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 follow. There's so many leaders to follow now, and alternate sites that uh, your, your whole life gets taken up by. That's intentional too. So uh, you you really think you're going through a, some kind of battle in real time. And you're not. So back to currentsremedics.com. Send me a few bucks, remember. Boosting this. Cash is fine. PayPal is fine. Personal checks are okay. At the moment, until they ban it all. And, um, and paper money is fine, too. You can send cash as well. It always gets here. I've never had cash get lost. And um, some folks will send it that way. And it's, it's quite acceptable. Getting back to what I'm talking about here, the... You've got to realize that uh, you're not living in this real time. You're, you're living through something that's pre-planned, step by step, and how you'll react to this step by step. The alternate media was taken over a long time ago from very uh, legitimate, decent organizations that, that didn't live for profit either, by the way, or sensationalism who often were looked down upon because it was like dry, monotonous, unrolling off agendas and what governments were doing and what, they were, and what departments were lobbying governments to have more say in how governments should act and so on. Uh, that's what they used to be. Awfully important because they came out with all the stuff from the United Nations, that watchdogs watching everything. That was so important. Today it's all personalities, you've noticed. Eh? And that was all deliberate. Do away with all the other organizations, and everybody wants to be a star with it, with their shtick, as they say. And uh, and a lot, some of them, I don't know how many of them, but some are definitely paid agents that, that um, help put other people under, you know. After all, see everything else, you eliminate competition, eh? If you're in the, in the intelligence services, same way if you're into, into counterintelligence, you, they put these characters out there to grab information that you're using 
And then they'll, they'll say the same stuff, which are attract the same kind of audience. Oh, that's good. He's taking so-and-so's stuff. And he's, but then it's a twist at the end. It's a twist it off into some other direction uh, that gets you. You're being played, as they call it. You're being played. So be very careful. And you're overwhelmed with data. I used to read the articles from the NSA and, and the counterintelligence organizations. And they talked about dumping so much data on the public that the folk would go into just shut down. You shut down your thoughts, and too much, it can't be assimilated. It was to be done deliberately, on a daily or even a weekly level that folk couldn't comprehend, and it would just shut down. You see. And remember, most data doesn't mean it's the truth. It's just bits and bytes of data. And a lot of articles you notice now too, even from the alternate sites. We'll have these these grabber headlines, just like the mainstream have been doing for years, and you think, "Oh, that'll be good." And then you go into you, you click bait it, and it'll take you in a circle, and it's just speculation or something like that. So you're almost at the end of an era where the information. I said this again back in the nineties, talking about what was coming, and I said that the generation that's alive now are the last ones who will be able to put across succinctly, coherently, and factually, and realistically. Because even then, it was evident, and more so after two th- two th- it was built to 2000 and past it, you saw the life going out of youngsters, whatever happened to them, with the dead eyes, you know. And their outcomes all the different Articles after 2000, as they got addicted to their phones, as they were getting more popular, and the texting, until another survey's come from the universe. Oh, you know, isn't that interesting that the youngsters can't communicate with each other except through text? They can't look at, they don't know how to act in, 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 next to someone in real life. The social skills that you, you have, eye contact and so, are missing. They don't, they don't know how to do it. Again, when something happens to the herd. We're all part of the herd here. You know, our owners, you know, like Charles Fort said, we're owned and we're farmed. When something happens, you gotta find out what's wrong. Unless you did it yourselves as the owner. And then you as the owner will say, Oh that's no crisis because we I did that, you know. It's the same thing with, with infertility in the West. Oh it's no crisis, you no. Know? It were just, it's just a cute, we're curious, we like to continuously monitor it as the sperm count drops in the males every year. But it's no crisis, no, no, no. Well, it's only no crisis because they know what's doing it, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> and they want it to happen, you see, that's it, that's the other why. They want it to happen, obviously. It was the same with the, the youth. Uh, if you don't want a, a real, a really sharp, Youth, then you you deal with them before they can be a problem. And uh, one thing is you do you, dim, you diminish the, the vocabulary until they can't a lot of them can't communicate. They don't have the words to communicate, and that's deliberate too. That's Orwell's linguistic minimalism. If it's a dictionary, gets thinner and thinner. You know, then you can't object or create a revolution if you can't convey the thoughts. There's no words for it. 
is very, very uh, successful in some communities, more than ours, in fact. It's interesting. All deliberate. Before we think that they're just living through it and things are happening, they think that all this thing, this, this stuff with Trump is... Um, it's all real in the moment. It's all just the real things that are happening in real time at the moment, you know. And you get the debate about, oh, there's vote rigging and, and who it's probably all true. But you've, you've just lived through, look at the year you're living, you've lived through, you're almost at the end of this year. You can't have all these, it's like when they say you can't have 130,000 votes dumped in the middle of the night. Supposedly in some voting station in the States In one of the states uh, All for Biden, but not for Trump It, it, it can't happen, they say And, and that would be true There'd be at least one, maybe one or two for Trump or Hoover no, But some for Trump, right? No matter how minimal or great it would be Regardless, you couldn't get them all for one person Or vice versa All for Trump And uh, you're supposed to believe it's all true But regardless, look at the year you've lived through And even before that, you, you had the massive, massive resistance and, and slanging since Trump got in. Right? No matter what you think of the guy, but you, you can even keep up with it, with the massive, the incredible name calling and defamation, and rather than just get to facts about something, they didn't. It was, it was, stand, it was standard smearing and hate and so on. And then you find out, and all the Russia Gate stuff that fell flat eh? after the inquiry, millions, millions of dollars spent taxpayers' money. And then the, the talk of deep state, and the deep state wanted the other parties to get in. You see, and they didn't want Trump, even though they say, well, you know, it still doesn't tally why they hate him so much, because he, because Trump played the game too. He says, you know. He was going to go along with the climate change agreement and, and uh, etc. But that didn't matter because years before I did the articles, and they were all published, where the, the Canadian provinces, Canada, and the states, they joined together, some of the different states, uh, on the climate accord and, and sustainability accords. And so, regardless of the federal side, so they could do it all state by state without bringing the feds into it. So it didn't really matter what the feds said. And they're passing their laws by the state, you see. So it's not that. It's not that they hate them for, for, for the climate accord and, and, and coming out of that. So what, what on earth is it, you see? Um, I think it was just the fact that they, 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 they thought if they had their own person then they could get things done a lot faster. That's what it seemed to be. Not the people at the bottom that were just, just, just taught to hate. I think it was much, much higher than that. And that it was the, if they got their own person in initially, they could have ran things through much faster. The military industrial complex has been ticked off because they wanted to, and they still want to, but the articles out now, of course, where they're talking about, we still want Assad, the Assad regime in Syria to be toppled. And you know, the CIA, you know, this, 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 this demolition machine is around the world, demolishing places, the CIA. They still want Assad out, and they were really ticked off that, that after all the years of using proxy armies with fancy little names that they kept changing, 
to do the work for them, still failing. They wanted boots on the ground, American boots, to go in and finish it off. And I think with their surveys on the American people the last few years, I've shown you there's a decline on, on what Americans will do for, for agendas which they really have nothing, no interest in and they don't understand. I, I agree with them. Why are they across the Middle East demolishing one country after another? I don't think the Americans are in a state to, a stage, a state to go on with it. At one time, you were entertained to death, deliberately. You, were, you still had some industry and lots of work at one time. And that was all taken away by your own politicians. Again, this so-called deep state agenda that belongs to the CFR and trilateral groups and so on. They all belong to the same clubs. And they all signed away your industry to China. China didn't steal it. And we funded China. And we funded the corporations to set up in China after the uproot from America and Canada. That was incredible through the late 80s, watching this happen. Factory after factory, closing down, being uprooted and going off to China through the 90s. And then when it was admitted from official governments, when we all demanded, the ones who were still watching what was going on, uh, the information and star chambers decided World Trade Organization who would get the business, who wouldn't, who would fund it. Well, we'd all fund all the taxpayers of the West would fund literally the companies to uproot physically their operations, including their industry, and move to China and send workers over to China to train the folk that would take over. We paid for all. And see, see the real big things in history are, are pretty well hidden from the general public. You're taught to be asleep at the right time. It's like that, isn't it? Take SOMA today. No, take it for a few years. And you're not taking SOMA and watching ridiculous, silly, immature stuff on TV and be entertained to death and and you float through the whole time when your when your industry's gone until everything you buy is made in China. And and then suddenly you realize you're in a service economy where you just import stuff to middlemen that then pass it around and it's to, to retailers at the bottom and and then you buy it. But nothing's made. All those levels of production are gone. And the levels of taxation for all those levels are gone for these companies. So all the taxation then under free trade, by the way, is then dumped on the taxpayers. It's been moved from, from export and import to the taxpayers. So then you have general sales tax and harmonized sales taxes and all this kind of nonsense and GST for some countries and VAT for other ones. They wanted to call our GST in Canada initially VAT, value-added tax, they do in Britain and elsewhere. But oh, we're not bringing that in. No, no. So they just changed the name and you got it anyway. So folk don't even know what they're living through as they're living through it. They don't. But they still think when they get a little bit of crisis and they, they kind of snap out, not, there's not enough soma, you know, and they heal a little bit and they get, oh my goodness, but this is terrible with the COVID idea, oh my goodness, and and we're all going to be locked down and businesses are, are, businesses are going to go bankrupt and, and yada, yada, yada. 
they still think that they still they're not, they're not quite con. They think they're conscious. If they're really conscious, they realise this this, took, this was planned years ago. As an event, you know, two hundred one was planned before, the year before, at least a year before, but the other ones uh, planned before that too. And uh, lockstep for the Rockefellers in two thousand and ten with their uh, the future, etc., etc., and that one by Rockefeller Foundation. You're, you're living through an agenda. But you always have been living through an agenda. That's just it, isn't it? That's what folk don't catch on to. You've always been living through an agenda. And you thought you were free because you could have had ten doors in front of you. You could open every one of them and walk in. But if you would enter these different doors, through different doors, and any different corridors, you'd find it all lead you back to the same little area of choices. You don't have a lot of choices at all. You really don't, you know. And it's a tale of your rights and freedoms. Do you think it's do you think it's a coincidence? Do you? The the legalized marijuana across Canada just in time for all this <laughs> to get your soma, eh? Nothing's a coincidence. Because as I say, they had, they had this whole thing for this year planned a long time ago. And then when you trace it back to find out when they're going to give themselves powers to police state you know, powers and all that, and the meetings they had after the first SARS supposed outbreak that fizzled out by itself without a vaccine. And in 2004, they started having big meetings to do with you know, just because you see, the, the, the first SARS one was also a test. They, they studied the populations, eh? and they, they, they can find it maybe mainly in the Toronto area and just north of Toronto. But they were studying it to see how the people were reacting to this this horror, this this horror called SARS uh, when it first broke out two thousand and three from China. And they tried it then with, oh, we had the mass, so it might, it might help me save your life. So everybody started buying masks and all that kind of stuff. And, but, it, but it fizzled out. Eh? We're not supposed to remember that because they don't want you remembering that antibodies are created very quickly. Uh, and most folk are quite uh, resistant to, to these diseases very quickly without vaccination. Yeah. But you see, the, this COVID has come along. Again, in lockstep with the World Economic Forum is the main reason that WEF and the Club of Rome will get their whole agendas through. This is the excuse for it, obviously. You don't close down businesses and nations until they're all bankrupt. Say that the government's borrowing trillions of dollars. You don't do that for something uh, that isn't toppling a lot, a lot of people. But they've done it across the world. This is the big global reset, not just financial. It's the whole sustainability agenda for the Agenda 21, the agenda for the whole of the 21st century. They contained the 2015, 2030, and so on every 15 years, what they want achieved in stages all through the whole century. But the, the original agenda is, is a blueprint for it, Agenda 21 for the 21st century. 
eventually no private cars. You won't need them. But was it Klaus Schwab said too? He says, well, eventually, you know, you'll have a lot less. Maybe even nothing at all, but you'll be much happier. I'm glad he decided that for us. This private club of the richest folk on the planet. And the managerial class that manages the finances for mass investments and so on of the richest people in the world. W-E-F. And backwards it's F-E-W, it's for the few. It certainly is, isn't it? So here we are going through it all and uh, the public just don't... They still think it's all happening in real time, by the day. And I, I hate to say it, but no, it's, it was planned. And it's written in stone. Nothing's going to change it. Nothing at all. No treatment uh, that helps to subdue the effects of it that hasn't been authorized by Fauci's has been allowed, as you know. He's the only one allowed to, to say who's going to get contracts, all his friends and so on, eh? The ones that pre-planned. The, I mean, it seems like Moderna was set up years ago in preparation for this. It has done nothing up until now. That's how the world is really run, eh? Futuristic planning, long-term futuristic planning. Therefore, just to always remind yourself how, how this year's been. You had the ongoing hate of Trump, regardless, by the mainstream press and so on. And uh, the far left is what he called for. They're not far left. I mean, they're all part of the same system, really. They all worship international corporations. They're awfully well. All of, all of them's awfully well off, actually. Because apparently, regardless of your political income, uh, money just comes your way. You just get richer. That's politics today. In every country, well, it's the same thing. But this whole year, the hatred of Trump, right? The, the idea of impeachments. And uh, it all fell flat, too. But you saw that the involvement of what they're calling the deep state with the FBI members, even the CIA, colluding with members in the Congressional Party to bring Trump down. That's interesting, regardless of what you think, I'm say, of the, the, the politicians themselves, any of them, on any side. It's interesting to see that amount of, of collusion to get somebody out, isn't it? And at the same time, then you get this idea of the COVID. Oh, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. It's like the votes that say that, that, that all getting found at night. Thousands of them all for Biden. None for Trump. Impossible, you see. With lots of outages and so on and chance and yada, yada, yada. But you never get everybody on the same same page to that, that many amounts just appearing. But regardless, you get with COVID. So there's the hatred of Trump impeachments. You've, you've got this idea of um, COVID, you know. And you're all going to die, you're all going to die, and they lock everybody down until folks start dying, because this folk can't get treatments for hospital care and so on. Never mind all the other scams that go along with it. Again, written in stone. So the hatred of Trump, Trump, COVID, and then you get organized, well, incredibly well-funded riots uh, that jumped on and piggybanked on to, to folk getting killed by police, yeah. Like the Antifa groups and so on, well financed, well planned, uh, and businesses getting burned down, including the black business, black neighbourhoods too, and their homes. Huh? 
and then and nothing been done to stop them <laughs> by the government, uh, either either state or federal, really, you know. Again, other things on the go. You've got this whole idea for the, the new system to come in. They're going that the robots will police the police the, the cities and things like that. It's all been tested out actually. The very advanced uh, technologies for identifying folks and the riot. I said that would happen at the time to the I said, all the followers. The leaders won't be touched, but you lot will be. And sure enough, they're getting picked up one by one. Some of them. Uh, through different kinds of techniques of, of identification, even with their masks on. And I said it too, all, all your phone messages have been heavily monitored by very advanced algorithms, and they know who everybody is, and who did what, and where and when, and so on. So they're starting to go after them too. So you're seeing the new kind of policing, which doesn't take sides either. It doesn't seem completely impartial regardless of who's, whose cause is a better cause. <laughs> Or who's the bad guys and good guys? It makes no difference, you see, because everybody's getting played for a bigger agenda. So yeah, hatred of Trump, the collusion of FBI, CIA members, congressional staff too, and uh, politicians. Uh, then you have, uh, as I say, the, the COVID, and then first demonstrations, then riots. But the riots are across the world too. So massive international color revolutions managed from, again by the CIA, and and the CIA is only part of the big intelligence system. They're all combined; they have been for years. And um, and so then you, then you're going to go back down to lockdown and poverty as businesses go under. And this is supposed to be for perpetuity, forever. One after all, oh, just another few more. Oh, just another few more months, and okay, take the vaccinations. You take the vaccinations. Oh yeah, you still have to wear a mask, uh, and 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 you, you, the vaccinations will tell you it won't stop you getting it. Eventually, you see. Say, well, initially they'll play the game and say, well, it could be some other virus, but eventually they'll say maybe next year. Yeah, it's it's the same one, and it's. It's maybe altered a little bit, a little bit, so that you need more vaccines. And, and so lockdown, lockdown, because you're supposed to have a perpetual passport for getting out of your house to go anywhere for the rest of your life. That's it, folks. And with everything else, if you're on, on government-assisted money, to get through the so-called lockdowns or the fact that your businesses go under or you're unemployed, They'll keep tacking on more and more little demands to make you, and hoops to you to jump through, to change your, your whole perception of what, what runs your, or your rights. See, the more, thing, more hoops you jump through, the more you're getting trained. They really don't have rights until you'll accept that. You'll accept that. <laughs> until, as long as you can keep jumping through the hoops, you'll accept it. And you're being trained, constantly trained. To obey, obey, obey. And with the social credit system, which is all part of it, all these agendas coming into place, ID 2020, uh, at the same year, <laughs> what's the chances of, of the, the, the hatred of Trump, CIA, FBI, congressional collusion, uh, COVID, um, massive demonstrations, then the riots and the looting and the burning down of places, uh, and then the vaccination mandate, mandatory vaccinations coming along, in comes the COVID again, doesn't go away supposedly, and 
all the healthier lockdown until you comply and get your vaccine passport or your vaccine apps and your testing apps, you see, permanent ones for us, your lives. And you can't buy or sell anything without the apps, you see. You won't be allowed at your home. And then you take the vaccine. They've already said for the companies, uh, it's not guaranteed to uh, stop any severe reaction uh, of, of you getting COVID. It, it might, they said, it might make it, make it more, less severe or it might help deal with the, the basic things like sniffles. And the, well, I can handle a common cold, can't you? Or just going out, going out in the cold, you know, those will run in the wintertime here without having a cold. But here's your, this is the whole agenda, ID 2020, all in the same year. Huh? All in the same year. Mm-mm-mm. And the folk think you're just living through something that's, everything's developing by itself as, as day by day. <laughs> Including this, this whole fracas with politics and the, the dumpings of, of multi-thousands of, of votes for Biden, Biden in the middle of the night, they claim me. Eh? And then even workers coming out from the polling stations uh, admitting to incredible fraud that they're witnessing too. So that will be, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Because the same agenda is going to continue, maybe just a little bit faster, maybe. And uh, they're already, as they're smacking their lips, and uh, looking at Syria again, and the CIA, and the, of course the military-industrial complex, that the big producers of all the equipment and machinery of war, uh, are just jumping happy with joy that, that they can get going again, maybe. You know. The beauty of war... And technology is that for every every round, every bullet that's fired, every shell that's fired, every every machine that, that carries the, the the mounting of the equipment that fires the shells, <laughs> and on and on it goes, eh? uh, all the way up to incredible costs for aircraft carrier. What's the cost of these things now? Never mind the aircraft themselves. These fighters. Uh, it's a fantastic business, especially when everything has been made obsolete very quickly. Oh, that's burned out. That jet has flown so many thousand sorties, and, and it's, it's five-year-old. So we need another $35 million fighter jet there, or maybe $40 million. It's costing millions now for the upgrades, that, like, like four times a year upgrades to the computer systems in, this, in the jets. Eh? <laughs> Great business, don't you? So... Uh, if you want to know who rules the world, look look at the, where the sharks are, you know. The big, big, big money. But we're literally, uh, you understand, the psychopaths have no problem debating conscience. of any, you know, Again, getting back to the laissez-faire capitalism, as they called it, in the Industrial Revolution time era. Uh, they have no problems with that at all. It, it doesn't enter their head to debate that at all. And um, and that's where you are with it all. It's, it's 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 still here, live and well. And the psychopaths are are living very very well, high on the hog, as you call it. And nothing's going to change it in this in this system. Nothing can change it. Even though you saw months and months and months, almost what eight months of. Uh, these burning down, these organized escapades in different cities and states, getting bust all over the place, some of them, and 
to, to scream and yell at people and burn places down, even kill some folk. Don't think for a second it's because they don't have the cash to send out troops or anything like that. They've got, they've got, they've all got the Insurrection Act and all the different things in place, by the way. I mean, you look through it, there's nothing they couldn't have done already. If they wanted to stop it. But again, they're testing all this new equipment for IDing people and what they've been up to, and then they're going after them. Eh? They're picking them up one by one here and there. The cannon fodder, I called them, because the, the followers are always the useful idiots, they call them. The leaders are the ones. They know what they're doing. They're, they're like agents. Eh? They're well-funded, well-trained how to get the following in the first place, how to use the followers, and so on. But they'll know themselves it's for a different agenda from, the, from their mantras that they prattle off. The slogans, yeah. and but don't think from even during all. Don't think the country's broke because money is made out of thin air, as you know. <laughs> and if you had got close to, to to changing the directed destiny, the scripted destiny of the U.S. at the moment, if you, if you had done something, you would have you would have seen the troops out and very, very quickly. If you tried to stop something, you would have seen it immediately, without hesitation. Something outside their war games, you see. It would have been unleashed on you. And you know, so, yeah, this is how it's done. There's no, there's no shortage of mercenaries for the military today, you know. So it's not like a moral problem there. In peacetime, that's what you, you you become. And when the propaganda dies off, depression sets into the military. Did the ordinary guys, the grunts? Eh? You need good a good culture to defend. You got, you got to have some kind of valid excuse to stand up for it, to, and to, or you're just a mercenary. You know? And a mercenary doesn't care who he's sent to go and fight or any across the planet when he's doesn't even need propaganda actually. And so that's, yeah, but they would have been let loose very quickly if something had happened that started to upset the apple cart, this whole agenda, with its color revolutions. And there's no doubt at all the CIA has been involved in it and it helps to, to organize it and they fund a lot of it too. And also you, you, you find the same thing with um, the delivering of paychecks to the leaders, to the organizers. It made great TV for people, I'm sure, who would see these armies coming into their towns and cities and going for the cops. It was uh, quite something. And again, it was meant to terrify the public in their homes, saying, oh my goodness, is, is the country falling apart or whatever? The country's going to fall apart, not because of that, it's because that augments it, but it's because of the, you, you can't close down all the businesses and you can't close down healthy folk unless you want See, there is a war on, all right, but it's a war on all the people, all the people. This is a war by those who own the governments, and it's not the people who own them. And that's very evident. It's always really been that way, though. But it's total war for total destruction. In a war, what do you want? You want to change society in order to dominate it. What do you do? You've got to take over their food supply and ration it. Or even keep it, withhold it all together to get folk on their knees. 
How do you do that? You shut down industry, you destroy industry, you, you just get rid of industry. Be, all been done, you see. Service economy, easy. Just cut off the sources of supply. Stop it coming in. And then you've got uh, the rationing situation, the, all the war-type scenarios. That's what you've got. And you have the characters at the top of the WEF boasting about their, their World Economic Forum. Great reset for sustainability, etc. Whole new way of living, or existing, as I'd prefer to call it. Because it's not going to be living, folks. It's existing, and not very pleasant either. With the new commissars appointed to every area. Isn't it interesting? You've actually seen them all under the guise of COVID. As a government employs these thousands, these folk, armies of so-called contact tracers. It's like the new Stasi. That's what it is. So they start off having one purpose, then you expand it into the next purpose, then it's, it's permanent, you see. That's all part of the, the Great Reset, too. And they'll have ones in your areas where you, you have to go and get permission to do things from your, your commissar. I gave these talks in the 90s, for goodness sake. Then after 9-11, I gave lots of them, too. Because it was all published where they like to take the world. And we're all thinking, well, how, how could they bring this? Well, it could be done by this method or that method or a war scenario, etc. Well, this is a war scenario, you see. A war. They even say that it's a war uh, against a virus. We're all in it together. Slogan, slogan, slogan. I tell you. So how do you fight this kind of war? See, you're used to conventional war. You know, you either wear a flower in your cap or a, or a color, a, a ribbon in your cap. And the enemy has a, a different color or flower in their cap. That's how it used to be, you see. Until you got uniforms. Once you get uniforms, you, you, you got a little insignia to identify who's who. And that's conventional warfare. But then you get unconventional warfare. And you've been in that for most of your lives, in fact. You don't even know it's being played upon you. It's unconventional warfare. And that's what you're in today. You see, your minds can't perceive it. It seems to be invisible. Uh, generally, you never hear of it unless someone mentions it to you. But you, you float through it again, thinking that things are happening by the day. Oh, my God, COVID just came out this year. Oh, my goodness, we're all locked down. Business going bankrupt. Folk are dying in their homes because they can't get any hospital for treatment. Uh, oh, folk are rioting and are burning and looting. Uh, they're even killing folk because they're going to vote for Trump, yada, yada, yada. Uh, it, it all comes, see? The Great Reset, the Great Reset. Oh, my goodness, the Great Reset. Into austerity. All planned that way. This is, this is all unconventional warfare. That's the dominant type of warfare in this day and age. So how do you fight? That's why they use it too, because how do you fight it? If you saw an enemy coming in to your country to kill you all, you'd stop it and you'd recognize them, you see. But what do you do when your own governments will constantly deny that they're colluding with anybody, but that's what politicians do. They're born liars. They're psychopaths. But they're obviously all working on the same agenda and destroying the economy of the planet on behalf of somebody. 
They're not stupid enough to say, well, we didn't didn't realize we were destroying the economy of the planet. Of course they knew. (laughs) And they're not the guys. The politicians are not in the think tanks. They just do what they're told by the big think tanks. But what a coordination when they're all on board, eh? All on board. When all the other, the evidence from the top two comes out with it, when the border goes through the figures, and you find out that the death rate is nothing like what they're telling you. And it never was. They're telling you too that there's folk with, I say, comorbidities. Folk die every, every winter, especially when you're going into winter and into winter, and then the spring too. Uh, the, the, the change in the climate gets you if, if you're weakened at all. That's when you. That's generally the time you you, you exit the world, eh? With bronchial problems and respiratory viruses and pneumonias. That's standard stuff. That's when it hits you. you know? So the figures have all been juggled beyond belief. We've watched countless videos and clips of massive tent testing bases being set up and these big tent hospital things, never used, never used at all. But it looks scary when you pass. Oh my, look at the size of that place. And all it's got in it is security guards, nobody else. (laughs) War upon the people, eh? That's what it is, war upon the people. To change their whole way of living and this is what they call sustainability. Yeah. You better start uh, going into the, if you can still get in there and buy some needle and thread, you're going to need it. You are going to need it. <laughs> I think I'm not kidding about that either. This is the long haul. This is the big one. This is not to be given to, to go up. And, and they, what did they tell you? The little quips that came out of this strange character, Fauci. The, here's a guy working for an agency. He's a bureaucrat, really, uh, with hands in different companies, mind you. You know, but uh, his fingers in different companies. But here he is. He told you right off the bat, this is not going to go away. He says things will never go back to normal. This is in the early days. He told you, he says, you won't be able to get out of your homes eventually without getting the vaccinations. In the early days. This was written in stone. Then. <laughs> and he was in on that part of it. Which means he knows the big agenda. It's got nothing to do with COVID, really. But it just happens to fall in line with the, the crash, the crash course in implement, implementing the Great Reset, the new way of living into utter austerity at rationing post-democratic society, where eventually private ownership, not, not just of vehicles, but of pretty well anything, everything else will eventually go. Oh, do you realize that? That's what it's meant to be. There'll be, there'll be big, uh, a few moguls who will be the landlords of the world. They'll own, own cities for rental. That's where they're going to go with all of this. That will be farmed out, public-private partnerships, as I love to call them. But uh, it's not for all, all the landlords to jump on board. It's the select few who were in on this thing before you even heard of it. Yeah, everything's decided years in advance. Even the ones who got the contact tracing, the, the company for the U.S., was done before. 
you heard of COVID, who would get it? I read the article of when they, a bunch that went to Africa for a meeting and that's where they sat and decided who was going to get the contract tracing for America, for the US, like a year, two years before her. This is not conspiracy stuff, it was the major media at the time, but like most stuff, it's ignored at the time because it makes no sense. What are you talking about contact tracing and that? Oh, as if, if anything actually happened and a disease broke out, huh? oh, okay, you go back to sleep, you <laughs> Quite something, eh? I heard someone saying some time ago that we don't have democracies. He also had come to the same conclusions. And uh, he said, we, We're a banana republic, he says. That's where we're going into that kind of scenario a banana republic, uh, kind of third worldism, where you're ruled by warlords. And that's what, that's what we have with the censorship going on. And everything's been taken over. The food supplies have been taken over by the few agribusinesses. I think it's reduced from five agribusinesses running everything to three. Pretty well. Off the entire planet. Hmm? Remember they took away the seeds and replaced them with modified seeds that are patented and you had to buy it every year. So all the stuff that, that farmers could get through tough times with by collecting on, that's all gone now. Because they all fell for the bait. Oh, if you, if you buy this stuff, you know, we'll give you deals and we'll make sure that your corn or whatever else is, is sold and for you. Step by step, preparation is so important. And this revolution is going on. It's not a revolution from the ground by Antifa or BLM. That's the front at the moment. The, the, the armies are used at the moment for the streets. For the ones who already rule and own your governments. It's those, it's, it's the elite's revolution. This is their next revolution. They had the, re- the last revolution. They also have this revolution. They re- they're bringing us all into their new system. The next part of their new system, you see. The new normal. <laughs> or the new, new normal. So there you are. And that's where it's all gone. They decided where it's all going to go. Otherwise, believe you me, if it was going contrary to it, uh, they'd nip it in the bud immediately. Everything has to be authorised. Planned. Everything. Again, back to Plato. Where where plays, he said, could be dangerous too. And plays, they're travelling plays. Even back then, culture is so important because through the plays you get your conditioning and you get your updates and what's politically correct for for any new normal. (laughs) And trendy. And the do-gooders, you see, the ones who have got more to lose... The people who stand and sip wine at parties, never sit down, they all stand and sip wine and chitter-chat, you see. Um, they, they've always existed in every, in every era. And in ancient times, in Plato's day, it's the same thing. The bureaucrats of, of his day would, would all be chatting away and uh, talking uh, trivia, you see. Polite trivia. Uh, and they all know exactly what to say, not to say. And they'd have to see the latest play, that they would chat about the latest play by so-and-so that was traveling the ancient world, you see. And they'd have to go, they would get advanced write-ups on what it's about, and that would be vetted to see if it was suitable. And before it came into the country, they might even demand some changes, because it might affect 
revolutionary groups or the youth in some way or another. So they actually actually asked for a good uh, um, summary of, of their play, what its intent was, what it showed, and so on. Almost like uh, the different ratings would have, like parental guidance or violence and so on. And they, they maybe even asked for, a, a, for a, a, a private performance for leaders before they allow it to be shown. That's how the how powerful. Uh, it, it, the idea of entertainment happens to be has a tremendous force on the public, and I can, and that's where you get your updates and what to copy, because again, the, the bureaucratic types, standing having their sips of wine, are the first ones to adapt, you know, because they know it's politically correct and they know what's, what's meant to be pushed in that little play that they've just watched, and they'll immediately start using the terminology and and. Uh, and, and adopting the opinions, because because the, the leaders of their own nation want it so, right? <laughs> and look at this today with entertainment; it's just phenomenal. It's all predictive programming, and it has been for years and years. Your values are changed and gradually is given to you for new values and modes of dress, modes of behaviour, terminology is incredibly on a roll right now. I don't, I don't even bother trying to keep up with the new terms I come out with. There's no point. They'll be obsolete by a week's time or two weeks' time. But the whole idea of it is to make you give up, uh, again, your ability to, to communicate properly in any rational, coherent kind of form at all as you adapt these new nonsensical terminology and you know, neologisms that they're churning out like crazy, you know. But yeah, entertainment's a powerful, powerful thing. And folk don't just become stars today either. This is the big... Why do you think you pay someone who comes out? I mentioned Sean Connery, right? Right, He's dying there and so on. But you think about it, it wouldn't matter who was playing the part, really. Because the the movies you were in, it had little one-liners here and there. There was was nothing in-depth like long conversations. So you'd have producers there, you'd have different staff there. Stand here. He'd stand there, say this, da, 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 da. cut. Then they go off to the next scene, and literally anybody could really do it. You see, um, and they, why didn't you pay them so much, so much money for that kind of thing? It's because you follow the stars, you adopt their attitudes, you will read the nonsense. It's all fiction, generally printed up about them, whether it's a rock band or an actor or whatever, an actress. And and you'll if you like them you'll maybe follow it. Oh, well, they they they're all for this, so I'm I'm for that too. In that case, that's as much thought as you give why you want to be pro or against something. <laughs> I like so and so, and that's how it's done. That's why they pay them so much money, because they must be convincing to the public uh, to have them uh, believe that they're real, you know, and that they're very special. But uh, it's very simplistic. I wouldn't mind getting a few million each for each line I come out with, you know. Read this, okay, blah, 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 blah. There's another million bucks right there. Stand over here, blah, 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 blah. Another billion bucks. Stand with a, a swimsuit on there and a, and a diving and a scuba gear there, you know. Um, okay, there's two million for that, blah, 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 blah. You know. Not bad, eh? It's, it's good, good work if you can get it. <laughs> but it's very important, the whole idea of the culture industry. And there's no better... It used to be no better example of predictive programming than Britain. Britain was ex- excellent at it, and all their awful dramas and plays 
they were showing you, no matter what the play was about or drama or, or made-for-TV movie, since the 1970s at least, how, how every marriage was horrible. Uh, like you couldn't watch anything with it and have them yelling, screaming, and it was heading to, to divorce. That was the message, you know, because they wanted the end of the family, you know, right? That's why you saw it. You just didn't see a happy family anywhere. And it was very evident as well, yeah. So it's, I, I think a lot of folk emigrated from Britain because they were depressed, you know. It was, it was looking like the French. The French are very similar in that respect. French movies often make no sense at all. And that's because it's a depression. You, you, you watch something for two hours waiting for a punchline or a meaning at the end, there's nothing at all. And that, that you're ready to kill yourself. Oh my God, I'm so depressed. That, that's really how it goes. It's, but on the other hand, too, the, the, they give you something exciting and with chases and things like that, and you're being hunted by bad people or monsters, they'll, they'll watch it. And in, even in there, they, they flood them with, with politically correct updates. And what you're supposed to, what the characters are supposed to say and think and do, so that you'll copy them. Mm, isn't that amazing, eh? Isn't that amazing how they, and they admit it, by the way, in their, in their own writing. Even the one about, as I've said before, with, with <laughs> you can watch on the European Union members meeting to do with vaccination in 2019, I think it was. And, and they actually said that they can put all the politically correct uh, updates and into all dramas and so on. And they said it matter-of-factly, because they're always doing that kind of stuff. So you, you get paid extra if you're writing plays or whatever, and you're paid extra to, to embed these things. And same thing with writing, with children's books. They're completely brainwashed before they're six or seven by, by the children's stories that mummy's reading to them. Ah. Well, there you go. I mean, that's really how it is. Most folk never, ever, ever catch on person, once they're brainwashed, will fight back. Parents got concerned if their daughter or son had been really inducted into a cult and was losing their brain and their ability to even communicate to their parents. Um, they would sit sometimes hire these guys who would kidnap them, I'd take them to a place outside cities, like a cabin or something, and uh, try and deprogram them as a technique to, to do it over and over. Because the person, once they're brainwashed, will fight back by all means and argue with them and so on. Until until eventually, common sense, this is the idea, eventually they'll get to a stage where common sense kicks in and they have to agree, well, yeah, that's true, up is up and down is down, and, you know. And that's, that was the, the technique. Well, that's what you would have to use with the, everybody in the public realm. Even if you train them and train them and give them screens of information, official sources, and books by the people involved in the big corporations that belong to WEF and so on. Um, you'd show them all that evidence, but as soon as an election comes out, they're right back to square one, thinking it's all completely real. All of it. You know. It's just astonishing how how it works. It's incredibly astonishing really how, how it works. As I say, you've, you've had COVID to, to, to give us a, a reset of, of the world, right? A whole new different way of living, a whole new structure of global government, or governance as I like to call it. Um, a new way of living from birth to death, being monitored, tracked, traced, uh, ordered, uh, you know, and you better obey them. With a new way of living, to, with, with to representatives, commissars in your area, collectivism, eh? 
that you have to obey. I give talk, I even give talks. I says, you know, eventually you'll have to. <laughs> folk, folk will say, oh, no, I'll never come here. I says, collectivism. It's like the old Soviet system, too. And Orwell showed it in 1984 in his book, where they'd have special little galas and festival days, or even prisoners' days, where you bring the enemy in and you boo them and hiss them or whatever. But you had to attend. You see, it's like being in the party, even the lower lower spectrum in the party. And if you were ordered order to come in your community for sustainability week or whatever, and you didn't go in there covered in green, you know, then you're a bad citizen, obviously. Why didn't you come in, citizen? You know, those take away your, your individuality, calling you something like a citizen, you know, or comrade. It's, it's always the French Revolution, they call them citizen. And then after the, after the Bolshevik Revolution, they called it uh, comrade. You know? so, but so that but the first thing is to, to really diminish your ability to, to even say I'm an individual. You're now a citizen or a comrade. You're part of the collective, and that you, you have to attend whatever meetings you're supposed to attend. And there could be one a week, you know, eventually, to be a good, good citizen. And then all these awards come out: good citizen of the week for your community, and good this for good that, and you know. I think little rewards. That's how they're going to train you all. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> they've already got the Stasi system where, where they've got the citizens. Literally, we used to call it cliping. I don't know if you know what a clipe is. A clipe is somebody in school in the class that would go to the teacher and, you know, so-and-so said this and so-and-so's doing that. And then uh, the class would always hate these kind of people because you always knew who they were, you know. And in a, in a Soviet-type system, they would be sent in, into your community and be this local spy eventually, and pretend that it's one of you. Same kind of character. But um, but now you're, for, you're, you're citizens. You always see the apple for the teacher types, eh? And they become clipes, and they're, they're phoning up all the different... Do you know the so-and-so left their home there? And, and I saw them wiping their nose in their handkerchief. I think they've got COVID. You know, and, I'll say, I know, and so your, your local Stasi, you know, Tracer will say, well... Have you, have you approached them about it? I don't want to get too close, no. Because the dumber ones will say, yeah, I did, I did, I got wrapped them, I told them. And, well, you better, get, you better, you better put yourself <laughs> in hibernation for two weeks now, too. Eh? <laughs> oh, really? So that's the kind of fools that you get. But they're, they're everywhere. And as, as the crisis uh, is intensified deliberately, in real time, the amount of study on us all in real time is phenomenal. They're spending billions of dollars. Our money is getting dished to, uh, to all these different tech giants to study us and study even more than they've been doing up till now to see how we're all adapting and who's not adapting and and who's going to be vaccine hesitant is a big thing too. They spent billions on how to convince the public to overcome their vaccine hesitancy, not not your natural awareness, but your vaccine hesitancy, and um, because they want you all to comply and obey. You see. So, uh, and if you do, that's you finished. You'll never have a right over your body again on anything. I hope you understand that. I hope you hope you hope you really understand where it's supposed to go. If you if you just give in here, and most folk most folk will probably or a lot a lot will definitely run to get the vaccine, and they won't even think. Well, you see, it's good and it's effective, but what's in it? They won't even ask the questions. Yeah. You can't help those people. 
You're supposed to have informed consent. We're supposed to say, they're supposed to tell you what it is. They're supposed to tell you it's it's a new type of vaccine that's going to alter your DNA. And they just don't know what the long-term effects will be. But they won't, you see. So you should have the brains to ask them that. (laughs) So they will tell you. Do you understand how it's going? And where it's supposed to go? But they always rely on this so-called democracy. It could be called it. It could be called the Soviet regime or democracy or social. It makes no difference. It's all the same. Uh, they, they count on, uh, on a good chunk of the public. And they know the magic number, the tipping point, as they always call it, of those who are for something or who will go and get it. And they'll say, well, you know, they all took it. You know, 60% took it. What's wrong with you? Well, I'm not part of the 60%. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an individual. <laughs> I think for myself. If they want to jump off a cliff, it doesn't mean I want to do the same thing. You see? But this, this is the, what they try. These are the little games they play on. on the, and, they'll, and they'll try to shame you to the Pavlovian type of response. And, and, and they've already trained the public already. Someone who doesn't get it could be a, a, a danger to the society. You know? And that's how they classify you, a dangerous society. It's the same after all revolutions. They use it they use it in the Bolshevik Revolution, they cut in the Soviet Revolution. Same kind of thing. Enemy of the people. You're an enemy of the people, you're putting everybody at risk. Well, how can you be? If they've taken the vaccine, then they're fine, they're, they're safe now, eh? Well, that's got nothing to do with it. <laughs> I tell you. But yeah, they're counting they're count on a lot of... They, they, see, they tried it already when the, the H1N1 swine flu. And by 2009, they got all these millions of doses ready, and they wanted the public to take them. But most of the folks said no when they had bad reports coming out of narcolepsy amongst children in, Australia, in New Zealand, Australia, and places like that. It, it kind of didn't do good to the, to the image of this wonderful vaccine that we really didn't need, because that, that faded away too, didn't it, by itself. But, uh, yeah, they, they don't want the same kind of things happening again. So they want as many folk as they can to take it right off the bat without waiting to see what's going to happen. And using the same excuses. Well, you're, you're, you're an enemy of the people. You put them all in danger for goodness sake, you know. And there you go. And then you say to them, informed consent. Okay, well, this do any harm to me. Well, I can't, I can't say that or no, I don't know. You don't know, and it's my life. Not your life, but my life. It's only what I've got. And once I'm, if I get damaged to it and I survive the damage, it may be permanent. Well, that's possible. That's possible. But don't th- look on the bright side. Now pull it some book like, look look at the sunny sky or, you know, look on the bright side of things. Uh, you know, some motivational book, you know, happy things. And you say, I don't want that silly book. I'm, I'm talking about reality. We're talking. Get back to the point here. Will this harm you or kill me? I don't know. And of course, they've got blanket immunity, so you can't even sue them if they kill you. Well, that's not a stupid thing to do is accept that. They want to pump a highly... This is a private business, eventually. They want to pump their product into you, this very expensive product that's going to be paid by your tax money. And they want blanket immunity for doing any harm to you. Well, if you want to go, well, again, H1N1, the swine flu, 2009. They tried it then, as I say, and they, the scare tactics again to, oh my God, thousands will die. And then they, 
they showed you again in this case scenarios they, they got some of these big trailers tra- like tractor trailer uh, uh, carriages that the big uh, tractors pull on the road the highway and they, they'd put maybe five abreast in the hospitals in London and England and you never saw any bodies getting brought in or out but they said oh they're full of bodies there's, there's thousands of them dying and then the, the mortuary's overflowing it was all made up stuff then too to get folk to get the vaccination and they terrified the, enough of the public back then too they showed you lineups of people who were so petrified and, and again there could be shortages of vaccines to, to, scare, to scare the true believers even more so they rush off to get the vaccine, and then they start, they start fighting in the queues, trying to get ahead of each other, literally physical fights. It's just amazing what, what happened then, and it's going to be even worse with this one. They will be fighting each other. You wait and see, I guarantee you. And they're already saying, well, you know, there could be not enough vaccines to go round right off the bat. And so the ones who, who are thoroughly terrified are going to go hysterical to try and get the vaccine. I tell you, dangerous times, folks, eh? Very dangerous times. But we all knew it was coming, at least a lot of us did anyway. And getting back to the idea, it's like going to school, eh? You, 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 until it's Sunday night, oh my goodness, I have to go back to school tomorrow. And you stay up and you stay up till your eyes are just closing by themselves. And oh goodness me, that's it. Well, that's where you are now, you see. You're back at school and the weekend's gone. And the bad times are here. Mm-mm-mm. And this is rather permanent, isn't it? I don't know if there's going to be another break from school. <laughs> because they play like suckers, just like children, like simple little children with arrogance of them all doing this to you. And they say, oh, a few more weeks. Oh, it's just a, it's just a, re- it's just a, what they call the last one, a circuit breaker test or whatever, resetting the test for the, for the circuit breaker, eh? Mm. And just a few more, but this, hey, this is to go on forever, folks. Fauci already said that afterwards you're still going to be wearing a mask even if you get a vaccination. Nothing's ever going to be, part of nothing's ever going to be the same again, don't you get? And if someone says that to you in that position at the beginning of this whole thing, back in February, where it was, what on earth? Why not? Well, why on earth would you believe in this man? He obviously knew the whole agenda then. To say something like, it'll never be the same again. Never back to normal. Because there's no normal anymore in a post-consumerist society with a great reset. You understand? He knew that. And that's the reason for the COVID. I'm also going to put up uh, some videos, possibly, I don't know how many, but one of them is a fantastic one from from uh, England, where they were having demonstrations against the, the lockdown. This has really been impossible. Like, it has to be three times worse than the, the training exercise they gave you back in the spring. That was to get you used to the, 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 the idea of it. And now you're going to, it's three times worse, they say, eh? More totalitarian, eh? Uh, even though, again, the hospitals are pretty empty. Even Theresa May has made some comments about that number's been all bogus and 4,000 a day are not going to die at all and haven't been dying, yada, yada. She said that in Parliament. That's the last Prime Minister that came out just still in the Parliament 
And I'll put that link up too to her little uh, clip talking about it as well, talking about the bogusness of it all. As they all play their parts, you see, you you got to always have someone speaking, uh, but the people themselves have noticed. <laughs> but I'll put up some videos of that one and one of a nurse in Cornwall who literally says they're closing down pretty well all of Cornwall because of three cases of COVID and none of them are ill or, or sick with it, really. And the hospitals have been closed down back to, to like, emergencies. And she said <laughs> that she was laid off for most of the summer, uh, they call it furloughed, and there was like a, a, a mini pay or basic pay or something just to get you by. But she, lots of nurses were, just, were put on this furlough idea because the hospital wards were all closed down. They're all waiting for this non existent rushing in of uh, COVID patients that didn't materialize. And she says this too. So she tells you in the talk to she's quitting her job, she can't take the lies anymore. Because, see, they're, they're supposed to, they're threatened by losing their jobs if they tell the public. That's your democracy for you, this, this farce of democracy. But again, we're all treated like children. Absolute children, eh? Oh, just a few more weeks, oh, a few more months, oh, a few more years, and oh, it's permanently here, you know. Now that you've got all the apps to go everywhere and you're used to, you know, it's going to be all permanent. Yep. Keep society safe that way, you know. Another thing, too, was going to mention was that I can remember a few years ago reading articles on the technologies and all the applications for your, for your technologies and computers and cell phones. And it was, again, from the top. I don't know if it was the Club of Rome, but it was one of the organizations associated with it, a technology company, talking about, again, post-consumerist societies and that how they would alter your spending habits into non-tangible goods. And that eventually, of course, most folk back then, a few years ago, would say, oh, that would never happen. Well, it's already here. Where folk literally are spending little fortunes on, and good, good parts of their income on, uh, on applications. Non-tangible goods. There's nothing to resell. There's nothing you can hold or, uh, you see? So it's so cheap for the, for the people who own the, the world to, run, to make all this stuff. There's, there's, no, there's nothing to get dumped into the garbage pits because there's nothing tangible. And, and they're all being trained to, oh, I've got to get that latest app for so-and-so. Yeah. yeah, I tell you. They make it all happen. It's, it's all been made to happen. And, of course, Clark Schwab is quite, quite happy. You won't need all these goods anymore as they teach you to live very simply and move you all, by the way, into your human habitat corridors uh, so that you're not living in the country. No, remember, on January 21, no non-essential people to live in the country anymore. You're starting to get a picture. You've all get crammed into these cities, these existing cities. Well, everything will be in this, that you need will be in that city, you know. You won't have to need a car. You you won't have to travel any far to get anything, and and so on and so on. This this is old stuff to me and some others, but that's where it's all going, and um, it's planned that way, folks. Almost all here. It's all, almost all here, really, isn't it? And they have been busy over the last ten years or so, busy throwing up massive high rises in depressed areas in in the towns in Chicago and in Detroit, even some places. But they're, they're putting up these big skyscrapers. It's not for businesses, it's for humans to get moved into. Long-term planning, eh? 
they've already got the whole century planned out, remember, the whole 21st century. And a good part of the next one too, I'm sure, where they want to be with society and eventually depopulation rates too. So again, before I forget again, cutting through matrix.com, send a few bucks my way. List all my other sites which are mentioned on that com site. Uh, don't put it off because one day, who knows, uh, with the social credit thing, they're, they're going to go after everybody who just doesn't, who isn't, doesn't belong to a mainstream newspaper, put it that way, or news site. Hmm? That's what's happening already and it's just intensifies as time goes on. They want just a unified opinion, authorized opinion for every particular topic. That's what they want. And I, they're not, I'm not making this up. They've said it. <laughs> they have their own censors. These are the, the banana, this is a banana republic, as I've said before, where you're future warlords, eh? Your warlords who wants for information and everything. You just do what your warlord says. When he says that he's cutting you off or whatever, you, you're cut off. There's no, there's no appeals court. There's no court you can go to. It's done and that's it. You're in it. This is your feudal system that Quigley talked about. With your feudal overlords, CEOs, corporations. Yep, it's all here, isn't it? And he wrote Tragedy and Hope back in what, two, 19, 1960s, it was, yeah. The man who literally was given access to the Council on Foreign Relations archives, where they have their own version of real history of why things really happened from the 1800s and the 20th century to the present. And that, that says something right there, isn't it? That's why he came out with his, but he said it was so important, their involvement in, in steering the course on, of history that he thought the public should know. <laughs> well, why are you still giving these trashy books for, for, for colleges and so on? Well, here's the official version. When you've got archives of the hidden histories, yeah? It's just amazing, isn't it? Just amazing. And, and what's even more amazing, too, the Council on Foreign Relations calls itself the establishment. Yeah. Uh, even even uh, to get higher from it, you may get, uh, get put up into some of the, the branches above it, the specialized areas like the, the Trilateral Commission and so on. But everybody goes into the Council on Foreign Relations. You can't apply for it. You've got to be asked if you want to join. They've already vetted you pretty well. And uh, they put out their own video a few years ago uh, claiming that they are the establishment and chuckling about it and going through a scenario of of young students that had all the right stuff and economics and so on. And if they would join it or not and why they should join it and they take you on a little guided tour to the, Har- the Harold Pratt building, they call it, in New York. I think that's where it is in a way. He's the, he was the so-called founder on behalf of the, 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 the organization back in England. He was the founder of the American branch, which they then called the Council on Foreign Relations. Quite boastful about their, their... And they have everybody in it. They have communists, they've got dictators. They quickly said that we don't mind who, who, who bring in, you know. They've got all kinds in it. And they said we're often mistaken for being communists because... Our goals are often so similar to that of communism. It's because socialism, socialism, collectivism, a planned society run by experts, you see, technocrats. That's, that's it right there. And it's interesting, too. I think he said in his own writings that uh, 
he he was brought in to the archive section where they have this incredible you know battery of information of all the, across the whole world their activities changing governments toppling governments replacing governments creating governments creating wars starting wars with ambitions uh, turning wars in different directions all that kind of stuff you know? and he took over for, from Alfred Zimmern and Alfred Zimmern uh, was the head of the communist newspaper actually he was a, he was the editor of the communist newspaper for Britain for years and he was the head of it for Britain, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, the British branch, the head, the main branch. And again, even that, you think about it, as he said, we don't care who they are, communists, fascists, dictators, all kinds. You know? So that was the person who showed him in the archives and put him through the paces and, and helped him out and so on. A completely different world and how it's run, isn't it, from the way you would get it from the daily newspapers. They're also owned by people and companies that are in the currency and foreign relations. They're big boggles. Mm-hmm. We live in fantasy, people. Just fantasy. And... And folk, most folk can never f- get through that. They can never, they can't believe that the future is planned. They think that that's the strangest thing because you have no option but to accept their own books at times where they tell you what they're doing, why they're doing it, and when they expect to achieve this part or that part or whatever. Huh? Just like it took years to prepare uh, signing all the, the agreements for the GATT Treaty uh, by the WTO, World Trade Organization. Uh, to get it ready for trade to, with China by setting them up, even training the Chinese in the Western universities to be designers and, and uh, for manufacturing and, and um, architects, engineers, and sending them back before they even had the factories to put them in. And then we give them all, all these Western factories. And we, we, the taxpayers fund it as the, as the taxpayers lose their jobs. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing times, really, and folk floated through it. You, you have to—they they believe in the media so much, as like Brzezinski said. They expect the media. That's how they've been trained. They expect the media to do their reasoning for them. That's what you said would happen. That already happened. And if the media doesn't tell you to be concerned or angry or happy about something, then the folk won't be. The, the media have done all the experiments to get them really riled up about. Oh, so many many girls in this part of Africa were used as as slaves, sex slaves, and and sure enough, you know, immediately you had all these different. Well, that's terrible. This and charities would open up and let's go and help them. These people, have a, they're really irate, and and that's that's their chatter. You see, I said that's what studied is the chatter. How did it succeed? How did it work? What kind of folk got immediately emotive about it? And what did it do to them? What did it make them do? And they study you. You see. That's what's done, so, so simply. But when it comes to, to things that you should be told about, if the, if the media doesn't tell you to think about it, worry about it, then you won't. That's it. How, how it was done in Canada with, with the genetically engineered vegetables. Now, this wasn't just the old style of um, hybridization of plants. 
this was literally the alteration of genes and inserting animal genes, insect genes, and different things from different species into vegetables for the first time ever. <laughs> and you're waiting to see what it does to you. Because after all, if evolution has any validity at all, we've been living on the same kind of vegetables for thousands of years, in some form or another, you know. And hybridization, we use splicing of different vegetables, but not plants and animals. Into well, now you've got plants. That, in fact, you might even some have some human ones in them now. And you have no idea how it's going to affect you. So they're studying you as you go through it all, and they watch your stomach ulcers happening all through society. And, they've, and uh, yeah, you're, they knew what was going to happen, and before they, they gave it to you, and how your body is going to tolerate or how it's going to work with. Uh, Increased pesticides, etc. And then they watch the sperm count plummeting and with phthalates and all that. And the pesticides and herbicides. But how they did it and how they launched it in Canada, because Canadians didn't have, have, have a clue. They had no clue that they were the test guinea pigs for the modified vegetables. They had no clue that the government, the Canadian government, it came out after it was exposed, had made deals, secret, they said secret deals with Monsanto and other companies to test their products on the Canadian public who would be studied medically without knowing about it. And they'd been on it for 10 years without being told. And it was when Tony Blair in England, the Prime Minister, when he was in, he wanted to, to bring in the modified food into Britain that some of the organizations in Europe and in, and in Britain uh, came out with all information about what had been happening to Canada. They said, well, you look, you know, like Canada, we, we, we hadn't a clue we'd been using it here. We, I saw the test beds in some places. I didn't know they were actually growing it and then giving it to the, to the people. But the, yeah... The NGOs in Britain says we don't want it here. They've had mutations of, of, of and some of the, the, the animals that, that fed and this kind of stuff and so on. What happened to them? Cancers, uh, stomach cancers, and intestinal problems, and all kinds of things happening. And Tony Blair at the time he wanted to pass it for for the for the big companies to dump their genetically modified corn and foods on the British public, but he didn't want to have it eat it himself. Or for the big massive, they call it a cafeteria, it's like a massive luxury hotel restaurant that the politicians all go to for the best of foods that, of course, the, the public pay for. And it's all subsidized, but he didn't want it to be, he wanted organic only for his own, for, for, the, for the politicians to eat it, but, but not for the public. No, they had to. This is the arrogance of those who believe the right to rule us. See, there's a difference in governing people and ruling them. And that people never know. And eventually, when time goes on, they say, oh, well, I've been in that for years. I'm okay then. So I'm not bored about that. That's what they think at the time. So they come down with all kinds of problems. Eh? And even then, they won't put it down to that. <laughs> so how they introduced it in Canada after that happened in Britain, it was because of a sudden outcry from people like me and others who were watching that. And I said, wait a minute, this is terrible. And 
So the CBC, it was a CBC Canada, or maybe CTV, came out with a, a little clip in, in their, their news to show you a girl on the roadside with, with two two folding tables selling, this, the idea was she was selling corn by the roadside. This is, this, is a, this is how they played the people, like idiots. And they said, some people are concerned about uh, corn being modified. Some, she says, is it, and, and vegetables being modified. And what do you think of that? And she says, well, I've got two kinds here, she said. And I was given two kinds and says, and I don't see any difference. Ha, 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 ha. And that was, that's how they put it across the pot. That was it. Until myself and other folk got into it heavier and heavier and put more information out. And then they had to come out again and try to pacify the people. Oh, it's okay. It's just normal, you know. And they brought David Suzuki out to power. Oh, it's okay. It's just sci- science again. It's science, you know. <laughs> like science, the new God, eh? Makes it okay. This is, this is a eugenicist, geneticist. Because <laughs> all geneticists are eugenicists. Eh? They'll get, that's the way they end up in their training. And uh, he, he talked about people being maggots, different kinds of maggots. And he, 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 there's a, uh, uh, it's maybe still up there. It's a YouTube clip from when he was uh, teaching at university, or a young, younger fella, and you hear him talking about the different kinds. He says, yeah, the ones at the top just poop, and the, the levels of, of maggots below them just just eat that poop, and that's how they live, and then they poop, and the ones at the bottom, and the ones at the bottom eat the remaining poop, it comes from the ones above. That's how he explains society. That's good enough for you, isn't it? That's good enough explanation. So you're conned, 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 and led up the garden path. And most folk never figure it out. Again, too, you can't blame them. Because they're hit with crisis after crisis. Eh? And see, once you get, I used to give the talks back in the 90s about like, like cattle and, and cowboys. And as I said, that, that old series in television, they call it Rawhide. And the song would, um, I don't know if it was sung by Frankie Lane, but the song was, was Rawhide, you know, and roll them, roll them, uh, and brand them. Don't try to understand them. Keep them doggies of the cattle moving, Rawhide. You see? And I, I, you picture it too, all these stampeding cattle. And, and you keep them all, and you see the frenzied eyes, you know, the white eyes as is, is in their frenzy and they're panicking uh, during the filming, all these things. And, um, and the cowboys are right alongside them and they could, they start going up the outside uh, near the head of them and, and firing their guns to make them turn to the right. So they go to the left of the cattle and make them go to the right, you see, get away from the noise uh, or vice versa. And that's how they manage the cattle. And the thing is too, as I gave the talks, it says it's like people. That's how they talk about us as people. We're in the fields chewing the cud, you know. And it's nice cud. It's good, nice green cud, and uh, it's nice. It's nice weather, and you're, you're munching away, you know. It's just nothing much to get upset about. And you don't want to get moved from to another field if the farmer. He says, "Oh, for goodness' sake, you know, what ways come them with along with that stick to try to prod us and whack us into that next field there?" And I'm quite happy where I am. Because uh, really, why should you move when you've got good food where you are? Eh? 
Uh, so they have to find ways to get you to move. And so fear is good again. Bang, bang, bang. Or they, or they can get uh, sheep dogs or other kind of animals or bark away at you and, and nip at your heels. Um, things like that to get, to get you away. But, but it, it, the thing is, once you get them going to the new field, the cattle are, are, are like, kind of like people. We share things in common. We've got a bit of common sense. And that we don't want to move when we're prodded, you know. So you you get in the new field and you you say oh well okay and you start munching away and and you're testing the flavour of that the new grass and oh, it's not too bad and, uh, but it, it, then the farmer might decide to keep going into the third or fourth field you see and now you're getting really fed up so they got to really panic you make you terrified and get you stampeding once you're stampeding they they can keep you going so far away from where you started. It changing direction many times until you drop and maybe even die. That's what will happen, you see. So that's a trick with humans too. You don't give them the breathing space. Long, long terms of breathing space uh, makes you feel comfortable. And you start to get, as a human being, you start to feel, yeah, I've got rights, I don't need to move from me, I'm quite happy where I am, you know. Uh, and that's what, that really ticks off those that, that believe they're the right to, to rule you. In fact, they own you, as far as you're concerned. You're, you're simple creatures, understand. You're, you're nowhere nearly as evolved as the ones that are managing you, who've got those little certificates from university. You know? And so the idea for massive rapid change is to keep it rapid, rapid change, until you, don't, you, you can never be sure about anything. You'll even doubt your own sensibilities. That's what they want to bring you with the COVID and the lockdowns and the continuous testing. For the rest of your lives, for all kinds of things, and, and and a whole new way of living. I mean, that's what it's all about, folks. Keep you off guard all the time, off kilter, until you don't know what's up and down, uh, until you will never, ever question uh, what you're being told, because you will not trust your own sense of senses anymore. That's what they're trying to get you. That's what you do with the cattle. Keep them terrified. And use all kinds of massive psychological warfare as for the greater good. It's to save us all. Or you're an enemy of the people if you don't do what you're told. You're going to endanger other people if you don't do what you're told, etc. This is from from governments. They've already killed enough people. The reports are still coming in. It's awful. Of folk who couldn't get into hospital during all this period because they're told to stay at home. And they were told that hospitals were overcrowded when hospital wards all over the world were shut down. <laughs> In reality. But it won't stop them. They're going to keep you panicked and panicked and panicked. Until you won't go. It's bad enough not leaving your home without your papers. Like like an occupied country. But now you have your apps on your phones. And everything work right. And, and your, your numbers please. For everything. Yeah, That's what you're going to see folks. And it was all tried, remember, all this whole app, application things for the phone was all tested out already in China in, in the spring. I remember doing the stories at the time where, where you, you see the color coding on their phones light up according to what the authorities said about you at the time. And if you went into a store with that thing and it was green, you were okay. And yeah, yeah. If, it, if it went red, 
uh, and you'd go into a store or any store or any shop or whatever, or even on the street, and it went red, it automatically notified the authorities who came and the police and they, they grabbed you. <laughs> That's all here for them, folks. That's it. And yet there's folk, folks who are going to snap up these, uh, they'll ask, I want to be safe. I want to be allowed out. Well, if, if that then, once you've signed on to it, when that thing goes red, <laughs> just just wait for the cuffs coming. <laughs> because you're going to get snatched if you don't drive right to the police station or wherever it is you're supposed to drive and and get closed in there. Right? It's all coming down the pipe, as per plan. Yeah. And that's so sad. It's so incredibly sad that it's all happening, and the folk just go along with it. Well, they might lay up one day, you know. <laughs> Back to Fauci. It's never going to be normal again. Never. What part of never? Why would he even say never? I say meant never be normal again. Eh? It's so atrocious. Even, even the years setting up the companies that would get all the contracts. They've been sitting waiting before this was even heard of. Now, in Britain, or in England, they have... Someone appointed as the kind of spokesperson for the Treasury, or the they call it the H checker, you know, for government. And right now, it's a guy called Rishi Sunak, and he says in this article, is to extend the furlough scheme beyond December as the Bank of England pumps 150 billion pounds into economy. Right now, the, the Bank of England doesn't take gold or silver. And, and transport to anywhere. Uh, I guess it just it's like it's like use of Federal Reserve. It just says okay, and someone punches into your computer, the government's computer, the number, and that's it. And that's how they create money. Because <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, literally, how much is the Bank of England supposedly pumped in already? Huh? With all the lockdowns and so on, from the spring to the present. Never mind the, the billions that every country's thrown out to their pals. Where they have corporations for all kinds of things, apps and chains for the public, and electronic chains of all kinds, and testing systems, and all kinds of vaccine companies that have got their hands out. Yeah. Billions and billions and billions, uh, trillions actually in the States too, because they, they, that they, each time they, they cover the people who stay at home, uh, because they can't work, obviously, if you're told to stay at home and all that, and the businesses are shut, then... And they have a different name for it, too, in England, is it, is it from the one they have in the States. But it's the same thing. And it's amazing as well, too. It really is the the, the sort of universal credit system, really, to, to paid by the government to stay home, isn't it? It's, it's, it all ties in with the Great Reset. So you're, you're in the Great Reset, as I said, I've said before. But in England, you, you, so you've got the Chancellor of the H-Checker, you know. Uh, and it's, it's, I always laugh about when I hear about that, but the Chancellor of the H-Checker, and everybody says, well, what is the H? Even folk in Britain say, what is the H-Checker? And it's, it's amazing how many folk never ask. But if you go down into the proper old Knights Templars areas of London, and you, you find it, it's behind one of their buildings where the temple was, and the temple bar's not far, the, the lawyers all come out of nowadays. But that's what they call Temple Bar and all that. But behind the building uh, is a, a big square. They called it a square where they'd sit with these long poles 
and it was I've seen it actually they used to have, this used to be a common thing at one time apparently before TV sets and all that where guys would go into park areas like local park areas and you had little pitches set out there like a, che- a checkboard or a chessboard but checkerboard really and they would use these things which were kept in the big park seats or like boxes and you'd bring out these big big checker pieces and you'd place them all and they'd play the game there with these poles and that's how they did it well the age checker was, it was set up by the Knights Templar Organization because they were the big moneylenders, remember, in the, in their day, they were they were the first uh, real bankers to give substitutes for gold and silver. They'd give you a written script, and you could take that even to the Middle East and to the, during the Crusades and different uh, and uh, and cash it in there for what you wanted. It's an international banking organization, really, <laughs> and. Uh, a long history to anyway again sticking to what I'm talking about right now was um, the H checker so that they they literally had in the figure of an H letter H uh, a kind of checkerboard and they used the big poles again and that's where they worked out their their their, their loans and what was the, what was due to get paid back in and interest and so on on that particular board it was an H shape it's still there and that was the so he's still called today. <laughs> And they never explained that to the public. Uh, the the Chancellor of the H Checker, yeah. the Templars, using this this technique of using checkers basically for debts and profit and all the rest of it and loans, uh, used uh, paper transactions as well. And that's where the word checks comes from. Your paper check, which uh, really is a note in a sense, like a bank note, but it's actually. Just a guarantee by the bank itself or the Templars at the time to refund whatever you wanted in specie, which is silver or the coin of the realm, basically. That's where the word comes from checkers and uh, H checkers and uh, a check. <laughs> so that's the story of that one. Who thinks that the same con games will disappear over time? So, anyway, this. Uh, Rishi Sunak is to extend furlough scheme beyond December's Bank of England pumps adding 50 billions into the con- what economy. <laughs> what economy is he talking about? And um, I love their terminology. And Rishi Sunak will make it a double bazooka by promising to keep the government's latest COVID bailout schemes in place even after the lockdown ends on December the 2nd. What's well, not going to end in December the 2nd? It'll be another month, or another two months, another few months. and. And that's why, because they can continue it. It's, it's, it's not going to stop, folks. You know. Even after the vaccinations, I said that. You know. So it's an 80% wage uh, subsidy scheme uh, on, on offer for specific regions hit by COVID restrictions. And um, the Chancellor is expected to announce the 80% furlough scheme will continue to be on offer in any area of the UK that faces the highest level of COVID restrictions including Tier 3 areas of England. I love this, this tier stuff. It's like amber. It's like Star Trek. They used to have amber alerts and yellow alerts and, and, and was it red alerts and maybe orange, I don't know. But all these different colour-coded. Uh, and you've all been trained into it step by step, eh? And it says the £150 billion boost uh, to the Bank of England's programme of quantitative easing, all that quantitative easing, eh? inflation, is on top of the £100 billion cash injection it agreed in, on in June. <laughs> uh, perpetual slavery, eh? 
It takes this mammoth quantitative easing bond buying program for the COVID crisis to $875 billion. I mean, you can't get your mind around these figures now, can you? It's not meant that you ever pay this off. You're, you are slaves now, right? Yeah, you're bonds people. You're bonded to the, to the system of debt. And your governments have happily signed you down to pay it off. Like, how many generators perpetual, folks? Because you'll never pay it off. Not with compound interest from the Bank of England. The bank's economic forecasts are even gloomier than expected, too. I wonder why, as it slashed its predictions of recovery amid fears, the new lockdown will push the UK economy into a double-dip recession. <gasps> oh, I love these experts, eh? That's where they get big money, you know, to, to say things like bazookas and double-dip recessions. What is quantitative easing, eh? It's a process that allows the Bank of England to print more money. It means that the more that they print, you see, not that it's backed by anything, this economy, they keep pretending, they, they still work it as though it were backed by something, you see. But it means that the, 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 the value, what, what, the purchasing power is less and less with every pound printed or created or blipped in the computer screen. Because uh, and that's why I, I, I read recently. It was uh, I love to I love to look at the old um, old books and old stories on people who uh, made a lot of money in the, say, in the early nineteen hundreds, nineteen twenties and thirties. And there was one that literally some inventor or something important that he got about a million and a half or maybe a million, maybe two million pounds or something at the beginning of the twentieth century. And it said that'd be about 180 million pounds in today's value. You would need 180 million to, to buy the same amount as you could buy with these one and a half to two million back then, you see. Because it, it's de- your currency is devalued so much. Because it's all debt based, it's backed by nothing. And for everything that's printed, every dollar, pound or dollar, it's the same thing with dollars that's printed. They've got a, 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 a whack is already off it for interest to the ones who created it. <laughs> so anyway, so try to say what is quantitative easing? It allows the bank to print more money. Yeah, and the process sees the bank buy government bonds from investors who also make money off off, off debt again, <laughs> pumping money into the economy in the process. How does it help? It, says it does this to help keep inflation low, <laughs> which in turn should encourage people to spend if prices are low. How can you spend if you're locked up in your homes and the stores are all closing down? Well, let's not get bothered up with facts here. It says, which should result in more money flowing to businesses and through the... Con- the businesses are going under, except for the big multinational corporations that are allowed to continue. Isn't that amazing, eh? They're allowed, but nobody else is allowed. And they don't even pretend to answer that that, that dilemma, that paradox. And and quantitative easing also tends to make it cheaper for households and businesses to borrow money by indirectly causing interest rates to fall, which again encourages spending. So borrow money, get into more debt, so you can spend it, right? So the bank will keep interest rates at 0.1%, holding off from taking the unprecedented move of negative interest rates for now, meaning charging you for having any money at all in the bank. Mr. Sunak will lay out how the furlough scheme, which was extended on December 2nd to pay 80% wage of wages, 
will continue to be on offer for future lockdowns in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland, even if the measures aren't replicated in England. He's also expected to announce, oh, see how they do it in Britain. Why would you even bother having these characters when it's already written what they're going to say? He's expected to announce that the 80% wage subsidy scheme, scheme will be on offer for specific regions hit by COVID restrictions. So there you go. Money, 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 eh? Must be funny in a rich man's world. And this other one, this other article here, is, uh, says, uh, at a glance, how Valance and Witty, W-H-I-T-T-Y, defended the lockdown, it says. The pair admitted that one member of Parliament called the avalanche of data that they presented on Saturday's briefing may have been too much to handle for the public. Yeah, we're just too simple and stupid, aren't we? Hey? Sir Patrick said, I would always like to get things simpler than they were and clearer than they were. Clearly some of those slides were quite complicated. Commenting on one spreadsheet that showed how some hospitals are already seeing more patients than they did in the spring. Well, you always get patients coming in as soon as it gets cold, especially in Britain with the dampness and so on. That's, and they've already, a lot of doctors have already said that. It's normal. Professor Whitty admitted it wasn't an ideal slide, he says. Hmm. But Sir Patrick defended the use of the now infamous graph that showed a possible 4,000 deaths per day by December. <gasps> said it was scientifically valid. And was not discredited despite recent days' backlash. Oh, oh. So we're still sticking to it, even though it's been completely, not just laughed at, but completely discredited. And Theresa May, I came out with the figures and went over it to, to give you the real results of what it worked out to be. Nowhere near 4,000 people. I tell you. And don't forget, getting back to the spring... When this, this prune, Matthew Hancock, who's the politician that was put in charge of health, even though I don't think he's got any qualifications in health. He's kind of like Bill Gates that way. But um, Hancock, back in the spring, we're talking about death rates. And so he says, don't forget, he says 10,000 people in England die every month anyway. And it's true. See, folk forget, because nobody died before COVID came along. I said, they've trained us very quickly. What do you think happened to old folk all down through time? You'll be there one day, it'll be your turn as well. Very possibly in the winter time as well. That's when the, the weather really gets you when you're old, you know. Dampness, cold. All kinds of bronchial problems. But again, let's not get into it. I'm getting back into facts, for goodness sake. It's just a, it's an awful nuisance, that, that habit. I'm, I'm really am trying to stop myself from doing that. Yeah. So it can be good, 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 good. And the authorities will say, then that's a nice lad there. He's doing what he's told, you see. Because at the moment, I'm telling you, I get, I get my computer, my computer and my server and so on. It cuts me down, all it slows everything down. It's, and uh, I had on the phone a few days ago, uh, someone had called me. I just mentioned something. And during the sentence, it was an important thing I was saying. I mean, the phone just went dead, cut right off, you know. And you know it's getting tampered with, because I've had that too often, that kind of thing as well. That's what really happens. Again, the banana-type republic with warlords uh, running everything, and you've no comeback. Who do you complain to? And that's what they do to their citizenry. That's standard stuff, folks. And we've been living through that for a while now. 
So anyway, this is the, the two characters in Britain who, who are still defending the lockdown, right? And this is, um, the communities in the North and Midlands in particular have responded remarkably to this because of that I'm confident that rates are substantially lower than they would have been if this had not happened. But we, you hear the, the rubbish, eh? Ah. And they're still going along with it. They've got that same character that was in before with um, giving us a bad, bad uh, computer data. Remember back in the spring? He, he isn't fired, you know, he's back at work. His computer spewing out predictions of big numbers and stuff. That's what I'm saying. He's the guy I want, that Neil Ferguson. I really want him, uh, if it ever. Uh, I want him in charge of, of the lotto, the winning the lotto thing. And 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 if I ever won or win out the lotto and he's in charge of it, I'll get about a thousand times more than I thought I'd get. Because he, his computer's good at that, you know. So that's what we'll get there. And so, yeah, and don't forget, too, they admit, too, they're giving you these scary scenarios. There's, a, there's quite a few articles about them admitting that. Once again, it's scared. I've said before, when do you believe liars? You had it all exposed in the summer as, as people had their breath to go back and look at everything and say, that was wrong, that was lies, that was lies. They even admitted the lies to, to get the folk to comply. And here they're doing, like, when do you start believing liars? Never. That's the answer, Never. You, you would train children not to believe liars like that. But this is all aimed at you as supposed adults. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'll put up the, 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 the one with uh, Theresa May, the last Prime Minister, who's still in, I guess, the House of Lords and, and giving her talks. And she goes through the, the, this fake 4,000 and, and comes down to reality with it and tells you about that too. And speaking out against the lockdown. <laughs> and then the moment Boris lost his battle against the lockdown, how the Prime Minister was told dead bodies would be stored in ice rinks in the second wave, and the National Health Service chief warned of 4,000 deaths a day, as aides say, I could have wept, it was so awful. Oh, oh dear. It brings tears to your eyes, that, eh? doesn't it? Hmm? Tears to your eyes. Ice rinks would store them. They tried that in the spring, that same scary scenario. They actually pay guys to dream up these lies. Big money, too. Big, big money. I remember I read the articles before, and they handed out from that, that firm, that company, that was hired by Sage, you know, the Sage Group that runs all this in for the British government, admitting that they were told, they put out leaflets around all media outlets, uh, and they put stuff into their websites to tell them how to put it across to the public to terrify the public, to increase anxiety so they'd comply. They should all be, at the very least, put in the slammer and put in trial for what they've done. But anyway, back to the ice rinks and stuff. And I tell you, my mind goes into odd places. I don't want to even go right now. But it said that um, doomsday predictions from the government's SAGE Committee of Scientific Advisors, again, a bunch of liars, the whole lot of them, the PM fought valiant battle to keep the country open 
which is another lie, arguing with himself and endorsing Memphis Chancellor's hawkish warnings about the economic carnage it would entail. So scientists and Matt Hancock that was put in charge, the member apparent over Matt Hancock literally, you know, he doesn't, he didn't know that this is the guy they put in charge of the, the, the supposed all the medical departments for Britain. He's, he's not a doctor; he's a politician. Eh? They put me, he didn't even know that, that uh, malaria was spread by mosquitoes. This this is the the the, the, the <laughs> this is the man <laughs> that uh, they put in charge of that. You feel safer now, don't you? And anyway, and Michael Grove warned that the COVID nineteen death rate will be worse than in April. And in Quad heard that the current rate of infections hospitals would soon be overrun in every part of England with the death toll hitting between three and four thousand a day by Christmas. Oh dear, that's just horrifying. And then this article gives you the key points in COVID lockdown Mark II, it's called Mark II. I tell you. Do you realize if they tried this stuff into the generations that lived prior to World War II, they'd be laughed out of Parliament? Because folk had common sense by now. And this video one with Theresa May, it says, Johnson, Johnson, Prime Minister Johnson, you know, scuttles out of house as May, that's Theresa May, the last Prime Minister, leads assault on the lockdown plans. I'll put that video up and you can hear her take on it. She's saying everything is factual, but she's playing her part as well, you see. That always give you someone to say what you already know yourselves. To make you think that there's still some legitimacy to government. That's what it's for, obviously. I'm sure if she was in the moment, she would be saying exactly what Boris Johnson's doing, you see. What he's saying. But I'll put that up too. And also, I'll put up all the politicians, a list of them, who voted to lock down the country. And the ones that said no. And this is for, for England, I guess. And believe here's what it tells you a lot just with the numbers, right? The eyes, as they say, you know, that voted to lock down, 516. The nose, 38. Mm. There you go. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder who's in touch with all these eyes, you know, but uh, did they get little free holidays or something? I mean, what is it they get out of it? Well, I guess their careers will go up and they all know that, politicians know that. To do what you're told from superiors, that's how you get into it. You learn not to ask questions. And and then um, if you if you do all the right things that you're told to do, you go up the ladder. It's, it's based on faith, you know. Nothing to do with morality. Heaven forbid. But it's, it's interesting to see all the eyes in it too, the names of them. Mm-mm. Yep. And then we've got uh, this one here. Oh, uh, they tried this in the spring too, from Sage again, the group that's managing the the terror tactics for Britain. And it says the Sage files, papers presented to government claim COVID-19 is mutating. But you see, all viruses mutate, folks. And I think back in February or March, China already made there's about five different versions that were still going. And that, that happened. Most of them are harmless, actually. A lot of them, harm, a lot of them mutate into harmless versions, which is good because then you get the harmless version and you get immunity to it, which gives you immunity to the more dangerous type. That's not normally what they say. 
Anyway, it says that London isn't seeing a spike in cases, but patients are dying faster in the second wave than they did in the first. Oh, my goodness. So you're dying faster. Oh, oh my goodness me. Right? And um, I guess that's because the folk are scared to death. Literally. But it says, it's a, it's, but again, because of what they've done, they've avoided a second wave, and, and it's all its tragedy, it says. See, no, they're finding that the folk aren't dying right now. At least not many of them. There's still folk dying with other things, of course, naturally, as they do. Their time is up pretty well. You know. Scientific advisors have been warned that the coronavirus is mutating and could become more infectious. According to Sage, papers published today. Again, these, these liars, these liars, they say, Jay. The new and emerging respiratory virus threats advisory group, that's what they, they that's, that's the nerve tag, they call it. New and emerging respiratory virus threats advisory group. So again, this is going to be another permanent one. So the UK did not have the capability to research these mutations in depth and where they would be harmful. It's one of a number of papers released by the government today. They give an insight into how scientists are steering the pandemic. Well, that's definitely steering it. The idea was uh, explored. I guess the steer it for the steers getting back to rawhide. The idea was explored in a scientific report handed the scientific advisory group for emergencies. That's Sage. You see, so you got Nerve Tag and Sage, <laughs> which then presents the findings to the government to help inform public health policy. Another document shows how scientists have found that London has so far avoided a second wave on the scale of those happening in other major cities in England, such as Liverpool and Manchester. They speculate this is because more of the, the capital's population has some form of immunity to the coronavirus, having, it, having had it already compared to the northwest, which did not have infections as high as London in the first wave. So this is, what, this is very scientific. And experts speculate... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's because more of the capital has some form of immunity. So that's natural herd immunity. You have got your own antibodies. That's how you. If you get the thing, obviously you don't get sick or or stay sick. If you survive it, it means you have antibodies, or you'd be dead. Right? That's always the same with viruses. And so, folk, most folk didn't even know they had anything, and they've already got antibodies anyway. The idea of lockdown is, 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 was first time in history because you, also, you want it to, to get herd immunity. That's what you want folk to. And most folk never get sick with these things, you see. So you, 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 you stall it for reasons of your own nefarious um, ideology, perhaps, by stopping it, herd immunity, by keeping folk locked down and apart from each other. Right? And even then, again, the countless articles come out talking about the lockdowns, masks versus no masks, yada, yada, saying that it doesn't make any difference. From the, from the countries that didn't do any lockdowns, eh, etc., and their data. Actually, the, the, the lockdowns are, again, it's, this is the reset. This is the great reset technique, you see. And Sage also attempts to end the debate about a segregated approach to lockdowns whereby the most vulnerable are shielded and the young return to normality. That would be the normal way they do it, you see. Like some doctors have come out and, and, and mentioned this already. I'll put, I'll put uh, I mean, Gupta was one of them, I think. And, but uh, so Sage attempted to end the debates. They don't want folk to just, just lock down the, the vulnerable and shield the, the elderly and so on. 
and let their, the young folk go because they don't want the, the, the business to go back to normal. Obviously, obviously. They've never done this in history before where you lock up the healthy and, and crash the economy. It said the approach which the health sector has also uh, shut down a flawed option, it's called, could lead to an uncontrolled epidemic in the young world, also causing mental health problems in those forced to shield for longer. Uncontrolled epidemic in the young, what's this not happening? Eh? But I'll put this article up too. So, so it says you're dying quicker than they were before in a week rather than two. Uh, but they get reasons for that too, eh? Uh, that they're saying that, that maybe it's because... Um, they're getting better treatment now. They actually say that in another article. Because of better treatment, they're dying quicker. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. you know. uh, I'll see if I can get to it. But um, anyway, this same article goes on to say that uh, as the UK's outbreak slowing, an array of st- uh, statistics revealed cases are no longer growing as quickly as they once were, although the epidemic is still growing. Above it, it just tells you that for are dying quicker. Government scientists today uh, claim the, the crucial R rate has dropped slightly, and the SAGE estimates the reproduction rate for the UK has fallen for the first time in a month. It's standard wartime stuff where they give you the propaganda. It's like 1984 in the movie versions, and you hear them you know, talking about the, the government's declarations by using statistics that, that um, yeah, you know, Ingsoc and... and, and, and uh, or whatever it was, is in Eurasia and East Asia, and we've, we've put up ten thousand new tanks today, and Mark known so and so's, and with such as such such as caliber cannon on them, and yada yada yada, and and, uh, and folk all cheered. Yeah, well, it's the same kind of stuff, isn't it? Wartime scenarios, just churning out statistics. It sounds like there's a battle going on, a real life battle. And you can almost envisage the troops there killing off viruses in the field. Going through the mud, getting the white coats all dirty in the process and charging it to the taxpayer, you know. But that's how it is. That's just how it is. So is the UK's outbreak slowing? <laughs> I tell you. Just like a war scenario, like, like, like almost, like, almost like a sports game too, because that's how war games are based, you know. Like, like sports game and... And Soso's running up the field, they're carrying the ball there, and he, and he jumps and he throws the ball and he catches the ball and he, and he pushes the ball and kicks the ball and, 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 he, and he gets 10 million pounds a week, you know, or 10 million years, you say, for yeah, this grown adult. You know. Okay. That's how they give you it here, eh? Speaking of, on a TV briefing alongside Prime Minister Boris Johnson, Sir Patrick said, there are some areas where we're beginning to see real effects on what's happening. And... Uh, and they give you the, the rates are coming down in young folk or flattening off a bit due to the huge efforts that people have made in the, to try to adhere to these changes in behaviours that we, we need to have in order to get this down. All, all, these, all, the, all these numbers down, you know, no, nobody's sick, but, or very few, but get the numbers down, right? We're fighting the battle. Another one too, it says, Home Secretary Priti Patel, <laughs> Priti Patel, will order police to stop protests involving more than two people during a lockdown. So the cops are getting ordered out again, eh? And um, it's just disgusting, eh? This, these characters. You understand the law is going out the window. I'll put up another article tonight, too, from, from a, one of the top lawyers of Britain who was on the high court, you know, Lord Sumption. 
And Lord Sumption gives a, a talk on rule by decree as opposed to rule by law. And I'll put up the link for that too. And I think if I can find it, um, it might be on the, the Peter Hitchens blog where he talks about Lord Sumption. And there's a link to a video with Lord Sumption reading his own take on the, on the illegal type of... Um, they're not laws, really. They're decrees, as I say, by government, which is unlawful. But who cares in this day and age, eh? As the new system takes over, so I'll put them up, and uh, you'll enjoy them, I'm sure. He goes through this long talk. It's interesting. It's a, a video clip where he goes through uh, the fact that this is not a, they're not following the law on anything here, and this is the sort of stuff you see again in third world countries where they just make up the laws as they go along, because as they're not laws. If they're not passed as laws, they're not laws at all. And the cops don't have the right to do what they're doing, and the politicians don't have the right to order them to do what they're telling them to do. And so he goes through it all, and literally line by line, and destroys it. It doesn't make any difference, and, but that's what he's doing. There's a good job of it. Now, the two, the two people idea is for protest, right? For pretty Patel... But uh, it'll depend who you are, eh? I guess that you just get the right uniform on and, and the right coloured mask on and so on. And, uh, and if you, you have as many as you want, obviously. And go as close, in fact, you can go as close as you want and don't borrow social distancing, and that'll be okay, like it was already. It, it made a complete mockery of what they were doing, whether they're going after individual folk <laughs> who, who would have a seat in the park and things and beat them up and grab them. But when I came to these uh, these riots and all that, that was okay, you know. So there you go. So it depends who you are. So I would just wear black or something. I'll wear all black and black masks and all that, and, and tell them you 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 know we've got the right to do what we want to do because we're blah blah blah, blah and that's it. You you get away with it. All depends who you are, isn't it? Obviously, it made a farce of their whole lockdown measurements and 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 harassing individuals as they were doing. And. Um, a huge change is coming to thousands of pumps within weeks, as Gladys and his Birjiklian warns her patients is wearing thin with coronavirus rule breakers, and they now face one thousand dollar fines. And uh, so that's that's going to in other countries. You've got that happening as well. And um, New South Wales, Australia, eh? So that uh, Birjiklian. She's our patience is wearing thin. There's your democratic leader right there, eh? Sydney venues that continuously break the rules at a press conference on Monday. That's really bad with Australia, I tell you. It's really sad how they're just putting up. Well, they've got no option. You see, where do you complain to when you find your whole government's in on the big agenda? You see, your government's beyond compromised, beyond long ago, actually, before COVID came along. And that's what you're seeing today. So what do you do now? As I said before, the old conventional war is when you see folk coming in with uniforms going to eliminate you. And you fought back without question. You'd have to ask for rights or anything else. You did it. And, uh, but when you're in a conventional warfare like this... Uh, you, you suddenly you turned around and it was, who do you complain to? I gave this talk again in the 90s because you find all the organizations and the, 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 that you think are there to help and protect you 
and for you to, to go to with problems that really don't exist, at least not in the, in, the, in the state that you have been trained to believe they exist, or for the reasons that you think they exist. They've come, everything is different. Your, your, your countries were gone long ago. So there's, a, there's a, another woman who, who's kind of like she's got the Clinton syndrome, and she's getting rather ticked off about all you characters, you know, not disobeying and doing what you're told. And this is the new democracy, you see. It's really technocracy. They really love communism, too, because then they'd, they'd tell you, and, and if you didn't do what you're told, they'd just set the troops on you. You see, they, they really admire, they, they all admire China. They say they admire China, too, right? They all say that. That that's what Justin Trudeau said, too. They admire China back in the spring because they don't have to, they can get things done very efficiently. They don't have to bother to cater about individual rights and things and democratic rights. They can get things done and under control quickly, you see. That's how he put it across. They really salivated the thought of having, the, having a Chinese-type system and a population that can't really complain or else, you know. That's what they want, isn't it? Little robots. See, Winston Churchill used to play with um, toy soldiers. He did. He did a collection. He did the war games, battlefield collections and so on. And I've met some of these characters like that. They're, pretty, they're really are fanatical. They can really get into it like it's all real. But Winston Churchill did that. And so it was no real big deal when World War Two came along. And, and he just kind of saw the, he kind of saw the troops like toys in a sense, you know, like war games and all that. And I think that's how people like Justin Trudeau and all the rest of them see us today, the little, little toys. And this woman too, in New South Wales, who see them the same, they should just obey, you know, just obey, like little clockwork wind-up toys or something. Uh, they, they obviously don't see you as individual people with human rights and democratic rights, etc. They, really, they don't, do they? They really don't. We're in dangerous, dangerous times, which I knew would come. And all they needed was the right spark to make it happen, so they planned the spark long ago too. So this... Uh, this New South Wales Premier, Gladys, yeah, it says that uh, it comes after health authorities struggled to contact trace diners. Right? So they've got contact tracers, you see. At Jasmine's Lebanese restaurant in Liverpool, where there was no electronic customer sign-in system uh, before a, stat, a staff member tested positive to coronavirus. Well, was it a fragment they had uh, of a dead one? Was it many little fragments? What was the scale of the positive? Did you try a second test and see? Were they ill with it? Were they not ill with it? Uh, did they have any symptoms, fevers? I don't know. So she's really ticked off, you know, about it all. Because that um, they couldn't trace some of the diners at the restaurant, eh? And then this leads right into, it continues. It says... Um, she said, I want to make it very clear that government's intention about potentially making QR codes compulsory. So here's the real aim of it all, eh? for big corporations again, for more money off the taxpayer. We don't have any room for complacency. And as I foreshadowed last week, mandatory QR codes are still on the table for New South Wales. So I just want to make that very, very clear, Ms. Berjiklian said. Well... My goodness. Well, at least she didn't say a Hillary, though. She could have said, you know, um, 
we came, we saw he's dead or he, we killed him. You know, we're just talking about Gaddafi. So here's what Gladys will be doing. She says, businesses that do not have an electronic sign-in system, and this is going to be permanent, folks, will be fined $1,000 on the spot if you're caught without one. There you go, an electronic sign-in system. COVID-19 marshals. There you go, marshals. They would also stand by the venue entrance to make sure customers have checked in. If the government makes QR codes mandatory, all cafes, restaurants, bars and pubs would need some form of electronic customer sign-in system. It's everything, folks. And they already lined up the companies that would get all these, these apps years ago. <laughs> and they'll get funded by your money once again. Eh? So there's a $1,000 on the spot. Eh? Wow, on the spot, my goodness me. There you be. And so the restaurant, because one staff member tested positive, it is, will close today and will remain so until further notice. There you go. That will teach them, eh? <sighs> Gladys, Gladys. Mm-mm-mm. There's another one, too, with um, GPs, general practitioners, preparing to give COVID vaccine to over 85s. That's the 85-year-olds, yes. And National Health Service staff next month, it says. And um, at present, there's no vaccine for the virus, and scientists are racing. See, it's that worse than it. Hey, there they are running through muddy fields in Flanders and Flanders and Mons and all these places and getting covered in mud, selfless, out of breath, trying to save you all. Hey? They're racing. You see, they're racing towards it all to find a suitable jab that can be rolled out in order to protect people from the, the killer bug. This is a killer bug. You understand, very few folk die. And we can't even know if they died off it or with it. You see? Because lots of folk will be will have it as well. You don't know you've got it. And even then, it depends on how much um, uh, samples, fragments, this is the test with the PCR test. And they go through a system of multiplication. You try to find out if it's maybe an actual infection or it's just fragments from old old viruses. So that's why they can't lose with, with the iffy testing and all the rest of it. Eh? And uh, so it tells you about the two types of vaccines which they're, got, they're preparing for release and all the rest of it. So they want to also go into care homes as well, as they call it. So they keep getting you ready for it. You know, and That's part of the programming is getting you ready for it. Oh my God, they can't get this yet, but it'll soon be here. And uh, that's the whole idea. I don't think folk realise how many organisations are at work right now uh, playing um, this game, getting you all conditioned for it coming out with, with predictive programming, step by step by step. It's all worked out with propaganda pieces. And it's, I'm not making this up, by the way. I've got lots of articles with, I should admit, the companies they employ make up the pieces, the propaganda pieces, to get you conditioned to, to accepting things, you know. And the folk who don't want it, they've got other programs and they find ways to get round your vaccine hesitancy, as they want to call it, you see. Meaning, meaning your common sense, your natural common sense. <laughs> you know, sticking that in me. And I mentioned last week about the military to be used in parts of prison. And here you get UK brings an army to help with the first China-style mass COVID-19 testing in Liverpool. 
uh, following in the footsteps of China and tiny Slovakia, UK is embarking on its first moonshot mass testing campaign. The city of Liverpool, known to most, here's your propaganda piece, make it sound as it, known to most people outside the UK as the hometown of the Beatles. Eh? Well, they also had Jerry Marsden and a whole bunch of folk long before, you know. According to The Guardian, up to half a million people in the city are set to be tested this week, and if the system proves successful, it will be used again. You understand, <laughs> with the testing system they've got, and even Theresa May touched on it, um, you know, they, they, they have, uh, they're not positively guaranteed that they've actually got it. A lot of them are false positives. It's guaranteed to get lots of false positives. That's why they picked this one. <laughs> I'm sure of it. Why else would they keep pushing it and calling it cases if they say, well, I think that might be positive, you know. It's, it's not illness, you see. It's different from a case. You're not really... It's, it's, they didn't used to call things cases unless you're actually ill with something. That doesn't matter anymore. Anyway, it says, and if the system proves successful, it'll be used again. No, it's perpetual. With the self-isolation period for those who test positive set to be reduced, uh, no kidding, especially when a lot of them don't have it, up to, it's false positive, up to half a million people are due to be tested in Liverpool in the government's first attempt at mass testing and tracing. Oh, with, with the military, this is dangerous. Do you understand what you're seeing here? Hmm? For the folk who've got memories to remember the Soviet system and the East German Stasi system. Here's the military, you know. I remember last week, I think I read the one too, where they said that some of these guys, these tracers will be in plain clothes for the military. These are military guys, for goodness. You don't use military on the public. You don't do that. So the scheme is part of the government's attempt to meet the demands posed by local officials who have demanded more money <laughs> for both test and trace programs as well as more funding for the government's furlough plan for workers. Hmm. So to help carry out the program, the British Army will be deployed for logistical support. You don't deploy the army on the public, period. Anyway, it says Prime Minister Boris Johnson recently rolled out a system of coronavirus restrictions with three standalone uh, tiers, and Liverpool and Greater Manchester are both in the third tier, which imposes harsh restrictions that mirror the springtime lockdowns, with the main difference being school is still in session. You know, school's perpetually in session because we're all getting trained. Uh, with this kind of stuff all the time. And it says, although it's a favourite of epidemiologists, well, I don't vote for any epidemiologists. It says, contact tracing has largely failed in the West as officials struggled with non-compliance in the US and Europe. In the UK, the government's test and trace system has been a not notable blemish for Bojo, as Boris Johnson, despite pouring more than $15.5 billion into it. Well, who got the contracts, eh? Perhaps Bojo has finally discovered the secret for why these tactics were so effective in Asia. It's much easier to test and trace when mandatory means mandatory. Well, again, this is why they're, they're pushing this mandatory stuff, eh? Another one, too. Your, this is quite good. Your age, your ethnicity and wealth could decide where you get the coronavirus vaccine first. As experts, oh, I love this, these priests, experts, eh? Consider using Oxford algorithm. So another, I wonder how much that costs for this algorithm, eh? So it says, the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunization, JICVI, 
which is responsible for shaping the UK's vaccine strategy, has already produced an 11-tier priority list already. 11 tiers, eh? According to the Telegraph in this newspaper. Um, it says, BAME people, B-A-M-E people, are not genetically more at risk of dying from COVID-19 studies, says. So, so that's black, Asian, and minority ethnic. I guess that's bad. You can come up with these acronyms. All day. What rubbish, eh? But anyway, it says they're not genetically more at risk of dying from COVID-19. A study concluded last... Well, before that, the hype in the spring. Oh, my God, they're more going you know, at risk. Blah, blah, blah. Well, now they're not at risk, you see. That's, that's how science... This, this conclusive science is so elastic. So it says BAME communities are now... Uh, are two to three times more likely to die from coronavirus than other members of the population. Oh, well, that makes it more easy to understand. They're not genetically more at risk, right? They're just three times more likely to die from coronavirus than other members of the population. Analysis of the NHS data has previously revealed. And that's what, I think I remember that was to do with uh, the ACE2 receptors in the lungs and, and epithelial tissue. However, scientists in Japan and US find no difference in seven genes associated with viral entry of SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19 across ethnic groups, it says. So there's no difference, they say, in seven genes. That's the entry type genes. Pre-existing medical conditions and environmental factors are more likely to blame for, for people of ethnic minorities being more likely to die of the disease, he said. It could be uh, due to uh, their work and medical history. They're not sh- see, here's your science. It's all, it's all speculation, isn't it? And uh, this, it's also a repeat of what came out in the spring with the same kind of article and the same, with the same kind of conclusions, eh? And even actually, it's almost like a repetition. I'm sure it is word for word for something that came out in the spring. They just recycled, recycled the same story. And maybe because they're poor and so on. It's not that at all. They, they came out after that, remember, in the spring and says it wasn't because they were poor. Uh, a lot of them had uh, definitely other problems to do with diabetes, type 2, and overweight and so on. And, and high blood pressure was another thing too. And men were more likely to die from COVID-19, they said as well. And the Office for National Statistics, ONS, the ONS. Yeah, there you go. That's really a, just a repeat uh, of what they had out in the spring. The head of Operation Warp Speed and the Gates Foundation are pushing bioelectronics and vaccine patches, it says here. So Donald Trump announced he was appointing Dr. Monsef Slau, or Slowy, former executive of the vaccine manufacturer GlaxoSmithKline, to lead Operation Warp Speed, the public-private partnership launched by the Trump administration to rapidly develop and distribute COVID-19 vaccine. Dr. Slowy was a professor of immunology at the University of Mons, Belgium, and he earned a PhD in molecular biology and immunology from the University of Libre, the Brussels, the University of Brussels and Belgium and completed a postdoctoral study at Harvard Medical School and Tufts University School of Medicine, Boston. And uh, following education, he joined uh, the pharmaceutical industry, serving on the board of directors of GlaxoSmithKline between 2006 through 2015. 
and he's served in several senior research and development R&D roles with GlaxoSmithKline during his time with the company, including chairman of Global Vaccines. So we're supposed to be awfully impressed. Are you impressed? And um, at the moment, he sits on boards of several pharmaceutical companies and biotechnology organizations. And 2016 was appointed to the board of directors of Moderna Therapeutics are going to get the big vaccine contract department. And a biotech company that is leading the way for messenger RNA, that's what they call mRNA, you see, therapeutics and vaccines. This is the big stink that's going on about this type of vaccine. And Moderna is also developing one of the COVID-19 vaccines, which might be administered to the public. That's the one that Fauci promoted, right? And um, isn't that something? I mean, here's your here's your dilemma. These supposed experts already work for the big, big, big vaccine manufacturers. They're getting the contracts. So how can you appoint them uh, to be in charge of something? Operation warp speed and so on. You can't have folk that are compromised already. Uh, They've got vested interests, at the very least vested, (laughs) maybe invested as well. You really can't, can you? It says, when Slew was appointed to head Operation Warp Speed, Craze noted the conflict of interest related to him leading the effort to develop a COVID-19 vaccine while holding stock in two of the leading vaccine manufacturers. Uh, Slew said he would sell his Moderna stock worth a reported $12 million and resign from the board of directors. However, in a recent interview, said he was keeping around $10 million of stock in his former company, GlaxoSmithKline, calling the shares his retirement. And it goes on and on and on there. And bioelectronics and pharma co-vigilance. The criticisms about Slowey's involvement in OWS go well beyond financial conflicts of interest. However, one other area of concern is the fact that several of the companies connected to Slowey are involved in the emerging field of bioelectronics. It's currently a partner in medical ex-investment firm chairman of the board of Galvani Bioelectrics chairman of the board at uh, Sutrovax and sits on the boards of Artisan Biosciences, Human Vaccines Project and the aforementioned Moderna Therapeutics. Oh boy, I tell you. This is interesting. Galvani Bioelectrics was uh, formed out of an agreement with uh, Verily Life Sciences, formerly Google Life Sciences, isn't it? Google's everywhere too. It's a small world, isn't it? An alphabet company and GSK. That's a glass of Smith Klein. The goal is to enable the research, development, and commercialization of bioelectronic medicines. Bioelectronic medicine is a relatively new research field focused on tackling chronic diseases by using miniaturized implantable devices <laughs> that can modify electrical signals that pass along nerves in the body, including irregular or altered impulses that occur in many illnesses. And GSK has been active in the field since 2012 and has stated that chronic conditions such as arthritis, diabetes, and asthma could potentially be treated using these devices. That's massive monopolies, isn't it? They, they depend on things like this COVID coming along. It's very, very um, conducive to their plans of well, controlling so much of the market. <laughs> Money will destroy us all too, isn't it? But again, if we're the herd, they've got to have the farmers making money off us right down to the bitter end. Eh? Here's another one too. Five years imprisonment and or a $66,600 fine 
for refusing coronavirus vaccination. Mm. Isn't that true, eh? Six, six, and a six. They love, they love to these little, these little jokes they put on the public, don't they? And that's from BMJ. And they talk about uh, from Australia watching the fast track development of coronavirus vaccines with mounting concern. Under the Australian Biosecurity Act 2015. See, I've got it all worked around the same, every kind of at the same time. They'd already planned all this kind of uh, ways of ma- managing pandemics and so on. Australia could be at risk for five years imprisonment, my goodness, if you refuse a vaccination or a $66,600 fine, which there's nothing here legal about any of this stuff, according to that lord uh, that runs on the the British system, which is also what Australia really runs on. It's, the, it's all derived from this empirical British um, Commonwealth-type system. The emergency power has been active since March 2020, has been extended December 2020, with the potential for unlimited extensions. There you go. So, yeah, if you don't take, you take your vaccine, you get imprisoned, right? And, or a huge fine for a virus which is not a threat to most people under 70. <laughs> We need to talk about this, it says. And they've all the different uh, details of it here, too, and links with the with the healthgov.au Australia and legislation.gov Australia, etc., uh, etc. Et it's got all the links attached to, to, to this actual article in the article itself. I'll put that up, and you can read it for those who want to see where it's supposed to go. You know? Quite suddenly... Your democracy. Oh, I've got rights. Yep. Rights. And Canada introduces new mandatory COVID-19 rules for international travellers, it says here. Anyone entering Canada by air as of November 21 will require to submit a quarantine plan and a novel coronavirus self-assessment before getting on a flight, according to new rules released by the Public Health Agency of Canada on Monday. So they can, they can assess themselves. Hmm. A news release from the health agency also said travellers entering Canada by land are strongly encouraged to do the same. So it's the same old things they did before. And tens of thousands of passengers connect from international to domestic flights before quarantine. <laughs> uh, so I'll put this one up too for anybody who cares about it. Canada's um, pretty predictable in most of the stuff. It's, it's been socialist for a long, long time, you know. Really communist in a, in a way, very communist too. And I know people in the, the bureaucracies of, of the civil service in Canada who are communists. You know, no doubt about hard, hardcore types too. And the Canadian press put out this article here. It says Trudeau, the EU leaders, that's the EU, European Union, meet ahead of the U.S. election, just ahead of it, to reinforce support of world order. And it says, so Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in the European Union, uh, two, there's two top political leaders that pre- express faith in the American people Thursday ahead of the vote and so on. And it says, the choice is up to the American people. That's a big joke. But it was clear that three leaders are at least eager for a reset of strained relations to help them cope with the major challenges of the day, including climate change. They're all on board. As soon as they thought, oh, Biden probably won, you know, and immediately the other oh, climate change agreements will all go back to what it was and blah, 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 you know. That, that's sustainability, which is, again, the reset, which ties in with this so-called COVID-19 and so on and so on. 
Mrs. Trudeau was asked how that was man was factoring into the government's plans, and he referred to the 2000 presidential election in which the ultimate victor, which was George W. Bush, was declared a month after election day and a subsequent Supreme Court ruling was held, you see, to make it happen. So it's not over yet, as they say. And these coding things for restaurants, again, they've got in Canada too. Canada's Helsin Helsin rolls out QR codes for restaurants to give businesses more contactless, self-serve payment options, payment company Helsin was launched QR code functionality. They launched it uh, for merchants using their online store and hosted payments and pages in online food ordering. Easy to deploy QR codes to give businesses more options to accept payments while following social distancing requirements. I was wondering how you can do social distancing and eat at the same time. Maybe if you or, did the, I was thinking of patenting something like a, a kind of frisbee, you know. And you, you, you can turn it upside down, you see, like a little dinner plate. And you could order this stuff, and so you wouldn't have to go so close to the people at the door of a restaurant or something if they take away. They could just put it in, uh, the food in the frisbee, you see, and, and throw it at you. Yeah? Now, for small meals, they have small ones, they can fit right, they'll fit right into your mouth. You just keep your mouth, you practice in front of the mirror and, and extend your lips, you know. And, and so it can straighten your mouth, and so even your hands don't have to touch it, see? And for those who still have dogs and things, you might train your dog to catch it, but yet have a dog that's not going to eat it at the same time, or you'll really be starving, won't you? So you've got to think of these things, and you might even get a grant to develop it properly, see? Then you can live off the taxpayer too and be a, a good capitalist. So there you go. They're, they're, all, they're all after the money, aren't they? These cons and so on and so on and so on. Ay ay ay. This other one too goes the anatomy of a QR code and how does it work? I mean, you're just dying to know, aren't you? Well, I'll put a link up. It says like they're back. It's like barcodes that enhance convey information through graphical code of black and white pixels. And so, but QR codes are two dimensional means that if information is conveyed by reading both the horizontal and vertical, it means, means basically they can get all your data and your address and phone numbers and everything else too, a lot of stuff in it. So if you're in a restaurant, they, they'll know how you track and trace you and yada yada. You'll pay for it all and it saves them having to chase you up. You, you actually, they'll actually know it's you, you see. COVID-19 security measures will make health a prerequisite for travel. <gasps> there you go. And for public health, eh? it tightens the noose around civil liberties. Imagine starting at a TSA security checkpoint on your way home for the holidays. I can't afford the holidays. You're getting ready to go through uh, the awkward travel procedures. Instituted almost immediately after 9-11. That's when you lost all, a lot of your freedoms, aren't you? When the Transportation and Security Administration, TSA, was created and air travel in the U.S. morphed into a search and seize their operation with the implied possibility of your detention and interrogation. So they go on to, it's a new digital certificate called Common Pass, designed to serve as a clearance mechanism for passengers based on a health diagnosis underwent its first transatlantic test October 21. 
under the watchful eye of the Centers for Disease Control. It's amazing, too, when you go into the characters who are on the board of it and the companies that go back in and out of uh, private businesses. <laughs> They're not like musical chairs. And it says, There's a group of slighted participants embarked on United, uh, United Flight 15 to Newark, New Jersey, as being screened and tested for COVID-19 at the point of departure in a largely ceremonial exercise. They include initiative co-founders Paul Meyer and Bradley Perkins. Ah, dear, dear, how much money they go off the taxpayer too. Common pass overview. Ah, another big PR piece. This is feudal revivalists. This is the same article. In medieval times, the commons denoted the de facto and collective ownership of land, which peasants used to plough, sow, and harvest, or raise sheep and cattle. Well, what it actually was is strips of the worst land, because the lords owned it all, you see, and they had their tenant farmers getting all the crops in for them. And often the farm workers, the ones who worked on farms, had to grow their own stuff on the common strips to get their own food just for themselves or their little animals and so on. This is the rise of land-owning classes in post-Magna Carta Europe and England in particular slowly eviscerated this form of communal privilege. It wasn't privilege, it was a right. Through the enclosure system which redistributed the commons to the proto-capitalist class in partnership with the monarchies and created a system of oppressive labour exploitation known as feudalism. So they go into the 1604 Enclosure Acts of England and so on. And uh, since today that scene has been repeated as the internet and information commons is being carved out by big tech and led by organisations like the Commons Project, which avails itself of a name that connotes the total opposite of its purpose. The co-founders Paul Meyer and Bradley Perkins are the non-profit CEOs and chief medical officer, respectively. Perkins began his career over 30 years ago at the Centre for Disease Control, again to a small world, eh? After nearly a decade, worked at the Rand Corporation's Healthcare Policy Division. Ooh. <laughs> He's a Yale Law School graduate who was writing President Clinton's speeches years before receiving his graduation diploma from the storied institution. And so Perkins became the Chief Technology Officer, a publicly traded cross-national operator of hospitals and clinics called Vanguard Health Systems. I've heard of them. They were established with funding from Morgan Stanley and controlled by Blackstone Group since 2004. Mm-hmm. Aye, aye, quite an article here. It's too long for me to read here. But anyway, before he was named Young Global Leader by the World Economic Forum, so he belongs to them too, yeah? Uh, or the Henry Crown Fellow at the Aspen Institute again, and even before becoming a term member of the Council on Foreign Relations, he's done all the right things, eh? And receiving MIT's 2003 Humanitarian of the Year Award, uh, Meyer found himself in war-torn Kosovo, installing a new internet infrastructure system to replace the one destroyed in the war, only days after NATO bombs had stopped shelling the Serbian people. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. That's a small world with the same characters and the small, same organizations everywhere you look, isn't it? Aye, aye, aye. I tell you. Then I'll put this link up too for those who want to just look at a longish link, you know. That's from Mint Press News, that one. 
again, before uh, the time is passing here, once again, I'm going to keep reminding people, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, my website, list all my other sites which are on CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com in case any of them go down, any of them go down you see. And uh, you can buy the boots and discs or give me straight donations, which are awfully welcome. And use PayPal, send cash, or you can use personal checks still. And MoneyGram too, I think they're still doing that as well. Again, banks can still give you regular checks for you, even smaller checks, um, if you can get access to them. As everything's changing naturally very quickly, until you have just the authorized media out there, you know, the, the cartel types that all belong to this, they all have the same exact same stories and same opinions on every single item. So help me out and keep me ticking along because we're going through, as I say, the biggest change of your lives, folks. And this is permanent. If, unless folk do get out off their couches and start letting that, relearning that word called no, that one that upsets um, people like Gladys that I mentioned earlier in New South Wales, you know, that upsets them. They get awfully impatient when you say no. <laughs> that small little word, eh? It's a nuisance thing. This, this idea of democratic rights really gets up their nose. It really does. <sighs> you, you just have to learn to obey, you know. And they make it harder and harder to do your own thing and until you can't move with all the different things. They, they say, oh, we're not stopping you from going there. Well, you say, well, I, I can't go anywhere without a coronavirus pass. I want to go to the store, you know. Well, you know, we're not stopping you. We're not stopping you from eating. We're not starving you to death. You could get this little thing here and pay so much money and get that little pass and, and then go and get a test and then go and get... Uh, your COVID uh, measuring thing at the store and, and, and bio-measured through, through the stores, security cameras and equipments and, and all that stuff. We're not stopping you. If you do that, you can go and eat. You know, that's a tyranny, folks. If you don't take the vaccine, oh, you can't go anywhere now. Well, everybody's safe now because of all had vaccination. Well, uh, that doesn't matter. <laughs> so again, as I've mentioned before, um, yep, the common passport and all the rest of it, and it's the way it's all gone. Britain should be paid to take COVID-19 vaccine. Here we go. Oxford professor. The same Oxford. It's always Oxford, Oxford, eh? This was, it's another ethicist, you know, ethicist. That's what they go for. They, they, they find ways to try to change laws or get around laws to make you obey people who pay them to do this and change the way they think, you see. And and if you allow them to decide what, what's moral uh, for yourself, let them do the thinking and, and the judging, you're, f- you're finished, folks. You don't elect these characters who just replace religions. They are their new religions, you know. So here's what it says. You have Sky News. Eh? People should be paid to have COVID-19 jab so the country reaches herd immunity as quickly as possible. A leading ethicist has suggested, <gasps> ethicist, expert, you see, ethics and ethics. You don't have any ethics yourself, you understand. They, they, get, they get trained to have ethics so they can get around laws to change things, to make you obey and stuff. Professor Julian uh, Savalescu from the University of Oxford said incentives would help to uh, overcome rising vaccine hesitancy due to perceived safety concerns. Perceived safety. 
There are safety concerns, like folk getting paralysed in the spine and stuff like that, you know. Never mind the long-term effects, which they say nobody knows yet. Mm. Never mind the permanent changes to your to your DNA from the RNA programming it's going to get. And it says people could either be given a financial inducement to have the jab, right? This is like annual management. Do you understand? This is this annual management. Financial inducement to have the jab. Or they could be paid in kind. Perhaps for going the need to wear a face mask in public. He writes in the Journal of Medical Ethics. You should, if you want to see psychopaths at work, you should read that, you know. The Journal of Med. There's nothing ethical about it. Or moral. It says the advantage of payment for risk is that people are choosing voluntarily to take it on. So it's talking about legality. If you if you take money for it, see, you have to, it's a contract, a legal contract. Anything that happens to you, then you, there's no way, even if you have a right to, to sue, it, there's no way you'd have a judgment throw out. You, well, you paid for it, you know. You got paid for that, you know. These con men, what evil characters, eh? As long as we are accurate in conveying the, the, the limitations in our confidence about the risks and benefits of a vaccine, I'll say that again for the heart of thinking, as long as we are accurate in conveying the limitations, limitations, right, in our confidence about the risks and benefits of a vaccine, so they don't know either, see? They're supposed to tell you that before they give you a jab. We really don't know. Then it's up to the individuals to judge where they are worth payment. See that? It's up to you to decide. Huh? And to achieve herd immunity, which would stop the coronavirus spread and the epidemic, somewhere between 50 and 80% of the population would have to be protected. You understand, if they'd left it alone or, and, and just really shielded the elderly, right? To start from, and we all know this, and all, lots of professors know this, and doctors know this, and epidemiologists know it. If they'd done that, then the spread would have been quick and fast. Folk would have got sick, and they, they got over it, and they'd have herd immunity by mixing. That's how you get it, by mixing, not getting locked down separate from each other. That's standard what's always happened before. This is not meant to be factual and scientific. It's not, or practical. It's for a purpose, for a new way of existing. As post-prosperity of any kind, by the way. Except for those who are getting all the money and all the programs that are going to manage you. Anyway, so co- coercion for the public good is already accepted in wearing seatbelts and conscription during wartime. See how they try to rationalize it? This is a, well, you wear a seatbelt, you know. But it says mandatory vaccination would be unethical without first knowing a jab was completely safe. However, another way of looking at this, this is what let's look at it a different way. How can we get around this? Eh? So, looking at this is that those at low risk are being asked to do a job which entails some risk, albeit a very low one. So they should be paid for the risk they're taking for the sake of providing a public good. Oh, ooh, mm. Since any vaccine will have been tested on tens of thousands of people before being rolled out, but rare side effects may remain. You can't even say rare because they're not completed yet. We don't know if, it's even, if they're even rare. <laughs> but there's no long-term effects. And by the way, it's not tens of thousands of people. When you look at the actual test cases and so what they're doing.
And maybe those who are poor may be more inclined to take the monies and the risk. So there you go for the poor. They'll take the money. They'll sell their blood even there. But this applies to all riskier and pleasant jobs in a market economy. That's his ethics. Total psychopathic, you see. It's not necessarily exploitation. If there are protections in place such as minimum wage or a fair price is paid to take on risk, what a psychopath. I guess you've got a degree in psychopathy now, that's what ethics is now. I prefer the old ethics and old morality of, of leaving it to religion and the personal's own idea of them and God and what's right and wrong. You know? That's my take on things. I'm telling you. Mm-mm-mm. And by the way, I mean, we know already that certain folk can go and riot and demonstrate and there's no, there's, no one's going to arrest them. Right. First, not social distancing. <laughs> and everyone else is going to get big, big, massive fines, which are unethical and, and non-constitutional. But the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, said it was okay for COVID patients to vote in person. Ah. So, so we're told we can't gather even if we haven't tested positive for Thanksgiving or Christmas. That's what the CDC and other state bureaucrats told us. And the CDC car- uh, carved out an exception for protesters and rioters. That's true. That was okay, you see. We can't go to church if we have no symptoms and haven't tested positive. Nor can we go indoor dining or many other places. For months we have been told that even if we are asymptomatic, we can be spreading the disease. We close down businesses, sporting events, schools and other things if so much as one person has tested positive. But if you've tested positive, CDC says, you can still vote in person. <laughs> if you've tested positive, you can vote in person. You? So you, can, you have to stay at home if you've tested positive, unless you go and vote. <laughs> uh, the Center for Disease Control Prevention said people who are in isolation after testing positive can still cast ballots in person. Isn't that a danger that every polling place becomes a super spreader when you send people that are sick to stand in long lines next to other people? I tell you. <laughs> I tell you, it's quite something. Now, I mentioned before, too, the facial recognition has been used to identify people that were in riots and so on and, and who've assaulted people and so on. The follower types, not the leaders, eh? But uh, this is uh, so it used to get you know, Lafayette Square protester accused of assault, and it says that the man grabbed another officer, a police officer, before police caught up with him and attempted to make an arrest. Authorities said that the man wrestled free and vanished once again. The presser might never have been identified, but an officer found an image of the man on Twitter, and investigators fed it into facial recognition system, court document state, and they found a match and made an arrest. Now, they're, they're not telling you in here that they're also doing it through... I mean, biometrics can still do by measuring your eyes and space between your eyes and and, and so on, and, and the shape of your skull, and yada, 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 yeah. But all, and also, too, they, at a distance, they can, they've already pretty well got your biometrics all measured out in types of eye, iris and all bit. And they have, eh? But they also have got all your chatter on your phones including all the ones that the folk, the folk who were in the riots and the planned riots and demonstrations uh, thought were safe from. Who do you think invented them? I mean, you had um, 
yeah, that all came out with it, with the big dumps that came out before. Um, on the programs that the CIA and FBI and so on were all using inside internally, uh, they gave you the programs that you think are keeping you safe. For the color revolutions, there's the CIA that invented them all. So they know all your chat before and after and, and during, and who's who, the voice recognition, etc. Anyway, it says it talks about facial recognition, and experts say they're unaware of the existence of the National Capital Region Facial Recognition Investigative Lead System. It's called NCR Frills. And uh, several, I guess several, that's the name of the person, said that that Lafayette Square case was the first time they had seen its use, disclosed to defendant despite thousands of searches in bank robberies, human trafficking, and gang cases. So NCR Frills has troubled activists and privacy advocates who said it could have a chilling effect on First Amendment rights and leave defendants unable to challenge a match. Since this use is not disclosed in the vast majority of cases, that's Washington Post. I'll put that one up too for those who uh, are interested in it. Also, I'm going to put up too uh, the report I mentioned before about the mental health, the fallout from the lockdowns, eh? And it's the governments that are doing the, the, these studies on us all, as, as little animals. And it's mental health, substance abuse, and suicidal ideation during the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's, uh, this one was done in June. This is like, like um, from 24th to the 30th, 2020. It gives you the weekly reports, past volumes, and so on, surveillance summaries, past volumes. And there's an article on, on statistics on, on deaths, suicides, and overdoses, and all the rest of it, and mental health in general because of the pandemic and the lockdown. Not because of the disease, but because of lockdown. And uh, they go through different uh, adults, uh, young folk, um, racial, ethnic minorities, essential workers, and so on, uh, all the different groups, how it's affected different people. It's not a bad article, actually. So during late June, 40% of U.S. adults, that's all adults, reported struggling with mental health or substance abuse. 40%. Wow, wow. And they have different levels of it, too, in this this, this, uh, article. It's not a bad article, actually, but I'll put it up again, too, for everybody who wants to go through it. Now here is uh, an article to show you the insanity of it all. As you're locked down and folk can't get into hospitals to get treatment, to keep them alive for different things, and so folk are dying because of it. And if that's not bad enough, right? <laughs> in Britain again, Matt Hancock, uh, the minister in charge, he was appointed to be in charge of the health of the nation, supposedly, today confirmed people are allowed to travel abroad for assisted dying during the second coronavirus lockdown. Isn't that nice of them? Remember the previous article, too, I mentioned with the um, with, uh, suicide rate going up and up and up because of the lockdown and so on. So they, and, and, you, and folk who are dying at home, they can't get treatment, they can't even get painkillers sometimes. Uh, so, so here you are, eh? So members of parliament had expressed concerns. They're really concerned about the people that the four-week England-wide shutdown could deter people from making such a journey because of the government's stay-at-home message. So, they, so they're going to allow you to go out to kill yourself. See? 
So, but the health secretary said the rules state that people leaving their home need a reasonable excuse to do so. I'm going to kill myself. And travelling abroad for the purpose of assisted dying is a reasonable excuse. It's funny how they don't see anything else as reasonably. But as long as you're getting topped off, you know, that's, that's fine. His comments came as MPs pressed for the government to change domestic law on assisted dying. So this is the reason it's in the paper, obviously. Uh, it's the, because the, with, with all the chaos they're causing, the, the pain, physical pain that we're getting when they're, when they're getting really ill and they can't get in getting operations and all the rest of it, they, they want to change the laws. It's a good time to change the law so you can kill you at home. Eh? Assisted dying, eh? And so assist, apart from that, too, you're, you're stuck at home watching these same old BBC repeats, and that's enough to drive you to it, too. Assisted dying is currently outlawed in the UK, but it's legal for people to travel abroad for the purpose, as long as it's allowed in the country they go to. Isn't that nice? Then? But that's what they want to do, you see, bring in this law to help bump you off. And save money, you see, because you're into a new system, this great reset. It's a system of when to die and how much they should spend on you and what's your value to society and so on for those who haven't quite caught on to all yet. So there you go. Operation Warp Speed is using a CIA-linked contractor to keep COVID-19 vaccine contracts secret. There's your, there's your democracy and this great um, <laughs> corrupt system we live in eh? Oh, sorry, democracy. Sorry, I thought it was democracy. That's right. And um, $6 billion in COVID-19 vaccine contracts awarded by Operation Warp Speed have been doled out by a secretive government contractor with deep ties to the CIA and, and the Department of Homeland Security, escaping regulatory scrutiny and beyond reach of the FOIA requests. And it was published in The Last American Vagabond originally, but it mentions that NPR quietly reported uh, last Tuesday that the U.S. government's Operation Warp Speed, public-private partnership launched by the Trump administration to rapidly develop and distribute COVID-19 vaccine, had taken the unusual step of awarding contracts to vaccine companies, not directly, but through a secretive defense contractor. And uh, the defense contractor is South Carolina-based Advanced Technology International, uh, NPR mentioned it. They first named the defense contractor. They declined to explore the company's deep ties to the CIA, DHS, and Department of Defense and how ATI is helping to lead those agencies' efforts to militarize healthcare and create an all-encompassing surveillance panopticon that only not only monitors the world around us, but our physiology as well. This is, this is, this is your future, folks, of military surveillance. I mentioned that years ago, I said, your big eating machine in the military you've done across the world comes back to home, it'll be eating you too, and you will not be pleased. And here we are, years and years later, uh, with all the technologies. Uh, I read the articles from the 90s, and even the 80s, where the, it's in a more peaceful world with fewer wars, the military-industrial complex has to have outlets. They go into total surveillance systems of all kinds. I did that talk... Years and years and years ago, and here we are, when it all comes to pass. Eh? And that will be their income, you see. We are the business. Oh. But I'll put the article up too. And um, 
So everything's public, private. Additionally, all, all the things that government agencies are, should be doing, they're dished out, they're farmed out now to, to private agencies. And that's contained in this article too, if you want to, to look at it. And um, another article too, which I've read through before, I think, uh, similar ones, COVID testing, we've been duped, lost in this whole pandemic hysteria. Are some key considerations that when carefully analysed, uh, place the whole COVID-19 narrative in a highly questionable light. The gatekeepers of information, dissemination and manufacturing consent at an alarming rate, but their fatigue is setting in and their masks are falling off. What better, albeit unlikely, source to go for some much-needed illumination than the New York Times? And during a quieter time back in 2007, the New York Times featured a very interesting expose on molecular diagnostic testing. This is the PCR test, are you? Specifically, the inadequacy of the polymerase chain reaction PCR test in achieving reliable results. The most significant concern highlighted in the Times report is how the molecular results, most notably the PCR, are highly sensitive and prone to false positives. At the centre of the controversy was a potential outbreak in a hospital in New Hampshire that proved to be nothing more than ordinary respiratory disease like the common cold. Unfortunately, the results wrought by the PCR told a different story. I put that one out a while back, do you remember? Where um, the, the, the thousands of workers were furloughed and there was all big panic and, and uh, they were given antibiotics and, and, and a vaccine and the hospital beds, including intensive care. And they're all out of commission. Eight months later, what was thought to be an epidemic was deemed a non-malicious hoax. It was just false. The culprit, according to the epidemiologist and infectious disease specialist, too much faith in a quick and highly sensitive molecular test that led them astray. That's your piece here. At the time, such tests were coming into increasing use as maybe the only way to get a quick answer in diagnosing diseases like SARS and deciding whether an epidemic is underway. It can't really tell you if you've actually got an active one or not. Eh? The inventor, remember, of the PCR test said it shouldn't be used for diagnosing. It's for use in the laboratory only, for what they do there, but not for diagnosing disease. And it goes into the... The rest of the article says, your coronavirus test is positive. Maybe it shouldn't be. According to New York Times reporter, Apurva Mandavili. And I'll put that article up too. I've got a couple of few articles from from uh, uh, India, from the, the Times and the Economic Times too. The PCR test amplifies genetic matter as bits and pieces, right? from the virus in cycles. The fewer cycles required, the greater amount of virus or viral load in the sample, the more likely the patient is to be contagious. That's how it works. So, and it depends what lab you go to, according to the result we give you. So unfortunately, the cycle threshold has been ramped up. What happens when it's ramped up? Basically, huge numbers of people who may be carrying relatively insignificant amounts of the virus or particles of it, not even contagious, right, uh, are deemed infected. However, the severity of infection is never quantified, which essentially amounts to a false positive. Their level of contagious contagion is essentially nil. That's why I'm sure they picked this, this 
<laughs> I'm sure that's why they picked this particular test. They can't lose, you understand, if you want to ramp up fear. And he goes on and on and on. It talks about PCRs are highly sensitive and prone to false positives. And it mentions the, the, the potential outbreak in a hospital in New Hampshire that proved to be nothing more than the ordinary respiratory diseases like the common cold. But the PCR gave him a different story. It was false. Yeah. I says, thankfully, a false epidemic was avoided back then, but not before thousands of workers were furloughed and given antibiotics and ultimately a vaccine in hospital beds. But it was all false. So I'll put it up anyway and for those who want to see it. Global biometrics market forecast to surpass $82 billion by 2027, despite the pandemic. Well, it's because of it, I'm sure. Biometrics, eh? That's growing at 19.3%. Uh, the 176 page biometrics global market trajectory and analytics report says non AFIS systems will reach $34.7 billion, but AFIS systems are all expected to grow at a 20.6% CAGR over the next seven years. And uh, it's mobile biometrics and so on, yeah. Increased number of uh, mobile payment transactions, banks rapidly digitize, and a new tech navio uh, report suggests it says, we are the business, eh? And also they're putting voice recognition into it too. Uh, so your voice bi- biometrics will grow by 2.6 or 19% CAGR from 2020 to 24, driven in large part by law enforcement, BFSI, and healthcare applications. Take Nevio rights in another report. E commerce and so on. Government ID cards. And uh, COVID-19 has driven down the global market for a government-issued smart ID card by 11%, according to ABI Research. Uh, we are the business. We are the business, eh? Peter Hitchens has some good articles out now, too, in England. And this one here says, Britons are being sentenced to a slow, agonizing death by number 10s as Downing Street panic squad. And have a panic squad to terrify you, right? Writes Peter Hitchens. One of the filthiest tactics of the panic merchants is to claim that anyone who opposes their strangling of the country is callous and cares only about money, not life. It's all psychology, eh? Dissenters have been pelted with slime of this kind by Johnson, Prime Minister, the man who ruined Britain, and by his den sidekick, Hancock, Perhaps the first health, health secretary in history who doesn't know that malaria is spread by mosquitoes. Well, Johnson and Hancock, if you care so much about lives, get in touch with Lisa King, as I did. Ask her to tell you about how her husband, Peter, a retired taxi driver, aged 62, died. This is important because last week I read articles to you from the mainstream again of lots of people who'd, who were dying of cancer at their homes. And so. They couldn't even get medication. Died in utter agony because of this farce. So here's Peter, right? A retired taxi driver, age 62. It's a horrible, upsetting story involving a grown man screaming in agony. In my view, it's an absolutely direct consequence of Hancock's conversation or conversion of the NHS into a national COVID service which treats everything else as a nuisance. And isn't that true? When they stop operations, stop cancer treatment, stop everything. 
and, and emergency surgeries, Vulcans all just spoofed up to stop. Stay home and, and die. You can't even get to see a doctor. Eh? So Peter King was grudgingly granted, as so many now are, a remote session with a GP, a, a, a general practitioner, right? It's, I guess all teleconferences are, are just on the phone or whatever, who were unable to meet him because of COVID, right? And apparently ignorant of his records because they don't know anything about you, right? Diagnosed his severe chest discomfort, this is remotely, as reflux, like, like acid reflux. I said, I'm not especially interested in blaming this doctor. Under the conditions created by Hancock, he was presumably doing his best. I don't think so, because he shouldn't. Uh, there's definite uh, clues as to what's chest discomfort or heart attack or reflux or something more serious. Uh, I mean more serious than your gut, you know. And it says, but it was not good enough, right? Actually, the trouble was far more serious. A stone, a gallstone, right, was trapped in his gallbladder. And the resulting delay meant he was overcome with indescribable pain a few days later. Because the bell can't get through, you see. And uh, the, the, the hepatic duct, you see, comes out of there. It's shared by the, the, the same one where the, where the bell goes through as your, as your pancreas. It also... It isn't just for insulin, it has other enzymes it secretes as well. And they both go into that duct. And when the stone gets, gets it blocked, then things back up. And if you get pancreatitis, it can be, it can be lethal and, and, and absolute agony too, you know. Anyway, so this, this doctor diagnosed it uh, remotely. A guy who didn't know him, he couldn't get to see his own doctor and so on, because you know, of the lockdown. So he, he, he said, oh, it's a reflux, probably acid, right? <laughs> and uh, so he had massive pain a few days later. He was given emergency surgery eventually, right? But he did a more radical operation. So days went by, you see. He was put in the urgent list for it, okay? Put in a list. You really need immediate uh, uh, operation for that. He was put on a list. That's Britain for you. But this was still too late. He felt terribly ill again, and despite the heroic efforts of the paramedics, he died. Many years of happy life which Peter and Lisa King might otherwise have had were wiped out forever. That was utterly needless. Unavoidable. I says, this is not just some isolated case. Something like 25 million appointments with general practitioners, such as local doctors, have been lost as a result of the Johnson government's panic. Not as a result of covid as the hopelessly pro-government BBC always says, the government had a choice over how to respond and took the wrong path. Well, they're, they're doing it because they're all bought and paid. They're, they're, they're owned. Your governments are owned, folks. Since millions have not had referrals for diagnosis, including cancer and heart disease, some of them will have been scythed down as Peter King was. Others will have been easily damaged in smaller, slower ways. But this is what Boris John, Johnson and Hancock have let rip. Needless pain, needless death, let them never again dare to pretend that the original bungle and the later months that they have tried to save themselves from deserved disgrace were the only way to save lives. I suspect their panic may well in the end kill more than COVID ever did or could have done. We are in the hands of fools who will not admit that they have made a terrible mistake. 
I think there's other parts and instances too. Just those still taken in by the cuddly king, Boris, image of Prime Minister Johnson. You know, this is big act he puts on. May wish to study his impatient, callous response to distressing question the Commons last week, the House of Commons, about the absurd cladding rules which are preventing thousands from moving home, often at horrible personal costs. Dulwich MP Helen Hayes asked about a constituent, Luke Thomas, recently diagnosed with terminal cancer. He urgently needs to move closer to his family for support. That would be physical support too, but cannot sell his flat as it does not have the accursed EWS1 form, as Socialism Britain mentioned here last week, which is pointless blocking so many, pointlessly blocking so many from moving. Mr Thomas has no time to wait for relief. Miss Hayes asked, when will the Prime Minister end the scandal? He brushed this off, referring her to an equally useless answer he gave earlier. If he cares, it does not show. So there you go. It's, uh, that's happening in all the countries where this, this lockdown is happening, folks. And that the hospitals are pretty well, you know, almost empty because they close all the different wards down and so on, eh? And lay off staff and, yep. The National Health Service hospitals have four times more empty beds than normal. Was it, didn't it say that 4,000 a day were going to die? Four times more empty beds than normal. And um, this one here is, let me see here. This is a medical site here with, uh, for staff and so on. It would seem to be. Yeah, it's where they actually have it's a magazine for the health workers, doctors, nurses, and staff, and so on. So there you are. Uh, that's from them. The official figures state that 40.9% of acute beds unoccupied, four times the normal number. And uh, they follow major efforts to discharge patients. That's what they're doing to discharging patients, getting ready for the 4,000 a day, and sharp drop in admissions. Critical care in hospitals at hospitals at more than normal to total capacity, especially Birmingham in the, the black country, has thousands and thousands on oxygen, it says. Tens of thousands NHS hospital beds remain occupied among the coronavirus crisis. And it says, because um, the hospital is trying to free up space and it slows down admissions from other causes. Uh, So the, the general acute beds, National Health Service, for nine, 40.9% of the NHS general acute beds were unoccupied as of the weekend. 37,500, the total 91,600 relevant beds recorded in the data. That's 4,500 more than the 33,000 National Health Service said it had been freed up on March 27th. And nearly four times the normal amount of free acute beds at this time of year. At this, see, this is a normal time of year. And yes, it's four times the amounts of free beds than normal. And it goes into critical care as well. And so the dashboard confirms hospital pressure is concentrated on critical care. Across England, 3,228 patients were in critical care beds, representing 78% of the total of 4,122 critical care beds which were available in February more have since been opened but it's not known how many so they've more than the normal critical care capacity empty beds 
Don't put that one too. Another one too is Boris Johnson National Health Service boss claimed COVID-19 hospitals emissions rising quickly despite experts saying health service is no busier than normal. <laughs> well, don't believe the, the people who work there and, and run the hospitals. Believe Boris Johnson, right? There you go. And Mr. Hancock. I tell you, isn't it amazing? That this, this, this is a must-be agenda, you see. Facts don't matter. Reality doesn't matter. So the Mail Online, the Daily Mail, says um, top experts fumed to, to Mail Online today that number 10, Downing Street, uh, has only hit the lockdown panic button because it was backed into a corner by its gloomster scientific advisors who don't want to deal with the same scrutiny that was hurled their way during the first wave. This is hours before the press conference, Health Secretary Matt Hancock warned the health service could collapse and seriously ill non-COVID patients could be turned away <laughs> unless COVID-19's resurgence is nipped in the bud. So here you are, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're ill, don't, don't even think you're going to get treated, you know, because they're not going to treat the way. If you're in operation for emergency operation, it's not going to happen, obviously, you know. Tell you, quite amazing. That's quite amazing. And it says National Health Service England has about 140,000 beds at its disposal, right? Including capacity at the seven Nightingales built during the first wave, which weren't used, by the way, yeah. and thousands of beds commandeered from the private sector. And currently they're just shy of 10,500 COVID 19 patients in its hospitals. And that doesn't mean that's why they went into the hospital, right? Just another little trick they play. It means people with uh, the disease are occupying fewer than 10% of the health service's overall capacity. And they've been in for other reasons too, you see. Leaked documents suggest that the NHS on a national scale is actually treating fewer patients than it was last year. This is before COVID, right? Just 84% of the all hospital beds were occupied across the country Tuesday, according to the document, which is lower than the 92% recorded uh, over the autumn of 2019. Both Professor Sikora and Professor Hennigan claimed the health service is put under pressure every winter from other seasonal illnesses due to having the lowest bed capacity per population in Europe. See, happens every year, folks. Mm-mm. See? How many of you are being sacrificed for the Great Reset? Because eh? they couldn't get the Great Reset through without some kind of wartime, war-type uh, scenario. Oh, we're all going to die. Uh, another one, too, is how likely is a second wave. That was September. Uh, Paul Kirkham, Professor of Cell Biology, Head of Respiratory Disease Research Group at Wolverhampton University. And he gives his um, evidence to to say it's pretty well burned itself out in reality. He says uh, that, that there's less and less happening with COVID. It says it's occurred because the level of infection required to introduce enough immunity into the population to reduce the reproduction number permanently below one occurred at markedly lower infection rates and loss of life than had been initially anticipated. 
current mass testing using the PCR test is inappropriate in its current form. In this recommended, he says that a greater focus be placed on evidence-based medicine rather than highly sensitive theoretical modeling, computer modeling, based on assumptions and unknowns. Isn't that true? But facts don't matter when there's a big agenda, eh? And again, digital identity apps to outnumber cars by 2023. Big business, folks. Jump on board. Get rich. Yeah. Yep. Tore all in a prison. And another article, too, from The Spectator on was the National Health Service overrun by COVID during lockdown. <laughs> again, what they're claiming here is that they it, it terrified, uh, I guess, the government in Britain by seeing the appalling scenes from Lombardy where hospitals are overrun and dying patients left in corridors. In London, ministers were terrified by the prospect of the same happening here. No, they weren't. All those ministers have voted yeah for the lockdown. Uh, you'll find the connections to other organizations much bigger than themselves. Today's Sunday Times published a long investigation from its insights team or insight team looking at the COVID disruptions in hospital, which makes for disturbing reading. National Health Services says faced an unmanageable deluge of patients during lockdown, and it offers several examples of things going badly wrong. Well, I don't think they had an unmanageable deluge of them during lockdown. In fact, folk couldn't get in. Anyway, I'll put these articles up, eh? <laughs> Scotland Digital Identity Service plans advance with supplier day planned for October 6. So I guess I've got it now, eh? So they put out the bidding you know, for a contract for, for prior information notice, PIN they call it, to invite participation of potential bidders and for Digital Identity Scotland. There you go. Scotland is so far under the, the SNP and the rest of it is so far left to international. It's like no borders. Why, why, why get an SNP party after these years when you try to do away with your borders? <laughs> What's the point of it all? Conquered, conquered, and they don't even know it. And of course, everyone forgets about ID2020, stuff we talked about years ago. They planned to bring in. It's just coincidence it was 2020, though. Of course it is. And the article and the the, uh, video I mentioned earlier from a woman that really you should give accolades to, she says, we've closed all of Cornwall in England down for three people in the hospital. They closed the whole Cornwall down. Right? Healthcare assistant, who probably resigned, claiming she had no work to do for three weeks at the peak of the pandemic, because they closed all the hospitals. Says uh, the National Health Service being overrun is all lies. Hmm? Shelley Tasker, 43 years of age, from Camborne, Cornwall, resigned from Trellis Hospital. And you'll see her on the video talking about her last day there. And um, she revealed what's going on behind the closed doors at the NHS hospitals. And the viral Facebook video too shows her uh, part of the Royal Cornwall Hospital NHS Trust telling members of the public what's really going on behind closed doors. In the clip filmed outside Truro Cathedral with a crowd gathering, Shelley, who was a mother and part-time photographer from Camborne, Cornwall, 
takes to the microphone and says, as much as I've always loved our NHS, it's no longer our NHS. It's run by the corrupt government and the people running this company. And that's the truth of it. You see, it's private partnership deals and so on. Often owned by the big pharma companies. We no longer have healthcare. We have we can't, we can't see dentists. I can tell you now, when I was working at the height of the pandemic, I had no work for three weeks because there were no patients. We have a particular COVID ward. None of the wards were overflowing with COVID patients, and they're not now. She went on to claim that the flu and COVID cases are now recorded as the same thing on death certificates. Have you noticed, too, there, there's almost no flu this year? It's because you're lumping them all in with COVID, you see. That's official, too. And it's not making it up. I've got the articles here on it. And it says, uh, in response to cheers from the crowd, she continued, I can tell you Friday, until this, there were three people in, in with covid no extra deaths, three, and that covers Telisk, West Cornwall, and Haley Hospital. Total deaths from these three hospitals in seven months. That's total deaths, right? It's 76 people. That doesn't mean that it's from COVID. The total deaths from these three hospitals in seven months is 76 people. That's about 10 people a month over the last seven months. And we have locked down. National Health Service figures show that 67 people died from COVID-19 at Trillisk Hospital between March and September. And again, so here's the thing too, we've already been through the scams, we've put them down, has died from it or with it, you see. And if you're with it you're, and something else kills you, they'll put you down as COVID killing you. you know, that's all been revealed too and admitted to in, in some countries, including in Britain at one point, but they're back to square one. And... Um, Says anyway, an official data seems to back up her point. There were just four people with the virus receiving care at the Royal Cornwall Hospital National Service Trust on October 29th. That's receiving care, right? So we've closed all of Cornwall down for three people in the hospital. There you go. That, that says all you see that this is a big agenda for a different purpose. The Great Reset. Yeah. And out of that will come the massive destruction of the economy, what's left of it. Oh, your massive debt, oh, total austerity, high taxation to pay off, you know, which is never going to happen. Perpetual, forever, ever, ever, generation, 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 paying off debts. That's what it's for, yeah. So I'll put this article up in the video, if you, and you'll all see it yourselves. Again, getting back to ID 2020, the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic, real dangerous agenda. It's agenda ID 2020. What is the infamous ID 2020? It's an alliance of public-private partners, including the United Nations agencies and civil society. It's an electronic ID program that uses generalized vaccination as a platform for digital identity. That's how they start it off, is for vaccination. Then it goes into everything. And I'll put this one up too, for those who care to know. <laughs> England's top Catholic Cardinal, Vincent Nichols, blasts a lockdown ban on church services, saying it's not supported by any scientific evidence and demands that ministers U-turn as soon as possible. Well, good luck on that, because they really don't like any, anything, any remnants of Christianity at all. And... Uh, and isn't that a fact too? Yeah. Isn't that something else? And he did mention that uh, 
many of the political aspects of the decision to lock down, he says. But the government is not supported by any scientific evidence and clearly shows a misunderstanding of the importance of religious faith. Now, they know the importance of it. They don't want any opposition to their obedience programs. They want obedience. And if you, are, if you only obey a religion or a god, then that, that's a nuisance, you see. You're not going to have that. No way. They've taken centuries to try to get rid of that. And, uh, yep, that's the whole point of it, isn't it? H.G. Wells mentioned it. It's much better. Once religion's all gone, he said, then government can talk right down to you when the family's destroyed as well. There'll be nobody to stand up around you to help you, back you up or anything else, and you'll just have to do what you're told. He was all for it. I'll still put that one up as well. Mental health, eh? And MMWR, again, is... uh, Mental health and substance abuse. Another, the one I mentioned earlier, I'll put up again. There's two different forms of it, perhaps, from the CDC to show you what it's doing to people. Also, um, Whitney Webb did quite a few articles, uh, or her organization, it must be an organization, surely. But anyway, it, it's it's got a few on, on the secretive HHS, HHS artificial intelligence platform to predict U.S. COVID-19 outbreaks weeks in advance. So this is where the next step's going to. It said they won't even need the testing then. They can just predict where it's going to break out. I mean, that's a good psychic program, that one, isn't it? And how beautiful it can be. Like the weather forecast, you know, next Friday, is, we've been warned that the area so-and-so is going to be hit by a COVID outbreak. So get ready to lock down and hunker. It's almost like wartime, eh? like getting bombed from the air or something. So it's all coming down, isn't it? I mentioned the other one too, Operation Warp Speed using CIA-linked contractor to keep COVID-19 vaccine contracts secret. And the new Pentagon-Google partnership suggests artificial intelligence will soon be used to diagnose COVID-19. So there's your military, again, teamed up in your fascist system with Google. Predictive health program. <laughs> I tell you. That's what you've got, folks, isn't it? Eh? No end to what they can do with computers and programs and so on. And yeah. BBC, this is an interesting article from 2016. And I'm mentioning it because, although it's a different country they're talking about, they're telling you, it says, how to spot the telltale signs of vote rigging, eh? which you normally do with third world countries and so on. And they give you what to look out for. Uh, it says, like, too many voters, watch out for more than you've got on the list. And that's what that in the States, some of the U.S. states, that way more voters than they have on the register for voting. That dead folk as well, that had that before, the last time too, I remember. But don't forget, you know, in this day and age, I mean, dead folk were people too, right? They had the right to, to vote, there you are. So it says, um, you never get a 98% or 99% turnout in an honest election. You just don't, okay? Voting is compulsory in Gabon, and it says, but it's not enforced even in Australia, where it's enforced, where you can vote by post or online and can be fined for not voting. Turnout only reaches 90 to 95%. The main reason that a full turnout is practically impossible is that the electoral registers, even if they're recently compiled, can rarely be 100% up to date. Even though no one gets sick or has to travel, people still die when a register is updated. New voters are keen to add themselves to the list. 
and so on and so on. Eh? As I once reported in an election in the Niger Delta, where some areas had a turnout of more than 120 percent. <laughs> That's quite good. Eh? They're very healthy people around here and very civil-minded, a local official assured me. But a turnout of more than 100% in an area uh, or an individual polling station is a major red flag and a reason to cancel the result and rerun the election. In a high turnout in specific areas, it tells you this too. Eh? And a large number of invalid votes too. Eh? And how it says, I open on the number of votes excluded as invalids. Even in countries with low literacy rates, this isn't normally above 5%. High numbers of invalid votes can mean that officials are disqualifying ballots for the slightest imperfection, even when the voter's intention is perfectly clear, in an attempt to depress votes for their opponents. Then more votes than ballot papers issued. I tell you, it's, uh, this is old, old stuff, isn't it? Uh, so it's not like it's, it's new stuff that's gone in the States recently, too. Another thing, too, is um, if there's a discrepancy, if something is wrong, it says, it says, and if there are more papers in the boxes than were issued by the polling staff, highly likely that someone has been doing some they call it stuffing, right? That happened in the States, too, right? And results that don't match. Mobile phones have made elections much more transparent. It's now standard practice to allow party agents, observers, and sometimes even voters to watch the counting process and take photographs of the results sheets with their phone. But then again, that's come out too about the programs that have been out since about the 90s anyway, electronic voting, uh, where they can have these, they call it the glitches in the States, but you can get 5,000 glitches at a time, you can win or lose an election. I can remember seeing that in Canada when Preston Manning was running in Canada and literally in real time on TV you saw his, underneath the, the picture, you saw his tally in real time and he was way in the lead and the one underneath him had their, their tally there as well, much lower exact it was, it was absolutely exact and when you blinked your eye they'd reversed them. The same numbers, but reversed. He he got the lesser one, and, and the one that was losing got the higher one instantly. That did happen in real time. Yeah, yeah. And and folk don't judge, trust their eyes then. But luckily, I saw it, and other, a few other people saw that too. So they, but it did make any difference? They they stuck to the to the glitch. <laughs> now we're talking about deep state. No, there's no such thing as a deep state. Eh? You know, that, oh, it's just conspiracy theory, eh? and all that. You know, it's just conspiracy theory, for goodness sakes. This article here is um, from the Washington Examiner. Eh? It says, Thank God for the deep state. Former CIA chief says anti-Trump forces responding to a higher call. Eh? Meaning that there's definitely, uh, uh, there's this embedded deep state, right? With a different idea of government and what should happen as a, than, than the people. And that's what he said, thank God for the deep state. As his former CIA acting director, John McLaughlin, expressed his gratitude for the deep state and their effort to get President Trump impeached. McLaughlin, who was acting director in 2004, embraced the idea of a deep state with the intent of ending the Trump presidency at an event on Wednesday hosted by the Hayden Center. There is something unique, you have to agree, that now the impeachment inquiry is underway. That was the one that fell through, remember, uh, last year. 
And it says here that it was November 2019, this article was put out there. But it says, um, embrace the idea of a deep state within the of ending Trump's presidency. And it says there's something unique. You have to agree that now the impeachment inquiry is underway, sparked by a complaint from someone within the intelligence community. It feeds the president's concern and often used term about a deep state being there to take him out. Margaret Brennan, the moderator for the event hosted, asked McLaughlin, thank God for the deep state, he responded. When only praised intelligence community whisperer who came forward to file a complaint regarding Trump's July 25 phone call with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, which led to the impeachment proceedings. So amazing, too. I mean, the scandal has happened with with uh, the, the folk in the Democratic Party who are actually involved <laughs> in the, the, uh, the Ukraine, isn't it? It's, it's all, the scandals have been out there. You all know what I'm talking about. And they always project on you someone else. So he's an ex-CIA. Um, well, former CIA. He'd still be CIA. But, but uh, director John McLaughlin, eh? Saying that, thank God for the deep state. Former National Security Council Chief of Staff Fred Fleets acknowledged his work with McLaughlin and called him a brilliant guy, but also said, I don't think you realize how much damage you did to the intelligence community by saying, basically, thank God for the deep state. He added, you can comment confirmed the fears of many Americans that the intelligence community is actively working against President Trump, which, of course, it was. I'm not in the politics or anything. It's all stage play to me. But uh, there's different levels of it and different layers of it, isn't there? I'm also going to put up IGIS Institute's uh, Law Enforcement Facial Recognition Use Case Catalog for those who want to peruse it. You know. And um, it's the Institute for the International Association of Chiefs of Police. It's under the UN, by the way. All your, all your police chiefs uh, across Canada and a lot in the States are members of this, this club, basically. And they'd like to thank the, the, the contributors for supporting the creation of this document. They say, so they go through it all and mention a lot of these police chiefs and where they are and, uh, and folk in the military too, colonels and so on. Yep. Quite the paramilitary organization, you might say. And so they're pushing facial recognition. I noticed that even Sudbury, with a small Sudbury there with its smaller police force, it got a big grant there too for all its higher tech equipment to go in for the surveillance society as well. And I don't think, I don't know if there's anywhere at all in Canada you can go now to get any peace, you know, the, the way it's going down. They don't want you to. And we talked about this back in the 90s, you know, that we get to the stage where there'd be nowhere left to go. And now from the University of Minnesota, I guess from uh, from Minnesota at least. But anyway, it talks about some study that they did on bacterial pneumonia. It was the main killer of the 1918 flu pandemic. And they didn't have antibiotics back then, remember. And after bad viral outbreaks, uh, you often get uh, bacteria setting in after the virus, you see. Any, any little crack at all in the mucosal lining or, or in the viral tissue, lungs and in it goes and you've got a bacterial infection so that was really a, a terrible thing that happened in the 1918 flu pandemic not the virus much of itself of course 
And the folk, again, didn't, a lot of folk were pretty malnourished back then as well, by the way. Uh, and had that world war on the go. And, yep, that's how it goes, eh? For those who don't know, uh, this, this odd Archbishop Vigano who's come out before about uh, what's happening in the States, and he's written to President Trump and so on. And, but he did write uh, another letter to Trump, and it says uh, about the Great Reset in an open letter. And this, I'll put it up for everybody who's interested. It was interesting. I was interested in, in reading it, but... Um, yeah, I like the context, uh, the, the, the terminology. It says, The historical moment sees the forces of evil aligned in a battle without quarter against the forces of good. I can't disagree with them there, you know. Because it's certainly, I mean, when you see that all, all, almost all government completely on board, scared to, to talk to the public at all, because they know they're sitting on a bogus pile of nothing. And, uh, but they're, yeah, they've all, they're all towing the line here. Well, who really is their boss, eh? Who really is their boss, I wonder? Here's Helena Handbasket. We were all heading, of course, uh, from uh, the Irish News and um, the Irish Sentinel. And it says the collapse isn't coming, it's already here. Of course it is. And for those who still believe that there's a pandemic ravaging the world, that a virus had never, has never been found has changed the world landscape all by itself. That a virus with a mortality rate less than an annual flu, even without a dubious vaccine, is a pandemic. That a virus that barely anyone has suffered from, and that flu has virtually disappeared at the same time, right? <laughs> Coincidentally, for the first time in history, that politicians and media have suddenly become concerned about you and would never lie to you about such things. If you believe all that, then you're a fool. There's nothing less. This is nothing less than an orchestrated long-term plan to destroy the global economy, bring down so-called Western civilization to the level of barely subsistence living, and to control every human on the planet in a technocratic hell on Earth. And it certainly is here, isn't it? It's, um, it goes on and on to talk about uh, the folk who, who warned for years and so on what was coming. But it says you chose to ignore and ridicule those who had finally accepted reality for what it was and pulled back the curtain of illusion to reveal the real horror of her created global paradigm. And if you didn't listen then, what now? And uh, it says, so shame on you as you watch your children, grandchildren, extended family and friends sleepwalking their way into the gulag. You deserve what's coming to you, and so on. But uh, it is coming, isn't it? Because it's a plan of, this is a real orchestrated agenda, massive agenda. It's the Humanist Manifesto, it's a Club of Rome. It's the whole thing tied into their one big agenda here. And it also gives at the bottom of the page, um, it mentions too, by the way, before we get into the bottom, it mentions the, the World, Economic, World Economic Forum, the Great Reset, and uh, what, uh, what they say is that you will own nothing and you will be happy. You know, that's, that's been hinted at by Mr. Schwab. But the collapse is here now, and Victoria's Secret declared bankruptcy. And of course, that was really a big money-making front for bigger operations too, mind you. Zara closed 1,200 stores, I'm not sure where Zara is, what is. La Chapelle withdrew 4,391 stores. Chanel is discontinued. That stinks, eh? Hermes is discontinued. Patrick uh, Philip has a, a watchmaker too, I think, one of these hoity-toity ones. Discontinued production. I guess all made, get them made in third world countries, that's why. Well. 
And Rolex discontinued production as well, same thing. The world's luxury industry has crumpled, so all the luxury stuff. Nike has a total of $23 billion US dollars preparing for the second stage of layoffs. Gold's gym filed for bankruptcy. The founder of Air, uh, is it Airbus? Is it Air, Air, I thought it was Airbus, said that, uh, I'm not sure what it is, uh, but said that because of pandemic, 12 years of effort were destroyed in six weeks. But this, this, is, the, this is the planned takedown of much of the economy. You know, this, is, this is just a sample here. Even Starbucks also announced to permanently close their 400 stores. We work, we work is another company, isn't in great spot either. The list goes on and on. And um, Nissan Motor Company may close down in USA. Biggest car rental company, Hertz, filed for bankruptcy. They also own Thrifty and Dollar. Is that Dollar Store? I'm not quite sure. Biggest trucking company, Comcar, fell for bankruptcy. They have 4,000 trucks. The oldest retail company, J.C. Penny, fell for bankruptcy to be acquired by Amazon for pennies. And biggest investor in the world, Warren Buffett, lost $50 billion. That's probably from his back pocket in the last two months. He's got plenty of pockets left. Biggest investment company in the world, uh, BlackRock, is signaling disaster in the world economy. They manage over $7 trillion. The biggest mall in America, Mall of America, stopped paying mortgage payments. No point paying if no one's coming in and everything's shut down. Most reputable uh, airline in the world is Emirates, laying off 30% of its employees. U.S. Treasury printing trillions to try to keep the economy on life support. An estimated number of retail stores closing in 2020 is 12,000 to 15,000. The following of the big retailers that have announced closing. And you've got Jai Crew, The Gap, Victoria's Secret, Bath and Body Works, Forever 21, Sears, Walgreens, Game, GameStop, Pier 1 Imports, uh, Nordstrom, Papyrus, uh, Chico's, Destination, Maternity, Models, AC Moore, Macy's, Bose, Art Van Furniture, Olympia Sports, Kmart, uh, Specialty Cafe and Bakery, and many, many more. Unemployment claims reached an all-time high of 38-plus million. Unemployment is over 25% out of 160 million of workforce. Close to 40 million are jobless. With no income, consumer demand falling drastically, and the economy will go into a free fall. This is just the USA. By the way, um, and they also go into the, uh, many other companies too, um, at least some other companies as well. But here's the thing. This is, this is supposed to happen this way. This is, this is the reset where the, you go into a post-consumerist society. You'll be living on beer essentials shortly. That's what they mean by austerity. This is what they plan to take the country down with, the world down with. Austerity measures, great uh, austerity measures, forced austerity. And it's, it's all literally here. Eh? They're, getting, they're getting their way. Remember to again, this before I go, I'll mention a few bucks my way, cutting through the matrix.com, remember folks? And uh, buy the books and discs, or at least send cash for some donations. And hopefully I can keep all my sites going in this time of uh, feudal overlordship, as we have these oligarchies that are warlords. They're warlords now, aren't they? What you can say, think, do. And they haven't finished, they're just starting now. With their social credit system of uh, you have to obey, obey. Once you have the cards in place, it's totally cashless. You, Bertrand Russell will have his way. He said that the credit system, in the 1940s and 50s, he says, 
our government will dish it out to the people, a token system that will place money. And you can't, they'll just cut you off if, you've, if you're deemed, uh, you've, you've committed an antisocial crime, meaning you've said something, thought something, did something. And you'll suffer until you're on your knees and suffer until you plead forgiveness and, and they'll turn on the tokens again. You can't save the tokens up, he said. It's interesting. Uh, if you don't use them in a month, they'll start at the same amount every month for everybody. And we're going into it. You think you're, things are just evolving day by day. This is planned years and years ago, folks. Long time ago. <laughs> Punishment and reward, self-censorship, self-policing, etc., etc. Eh? Carrot and the stick. Eh? There you go. And bipartisan Washington insiders revealed their plan for chaos if Trump wins the election. I'm sure of that, too. You're giving you... Months and months of uh, supposed rioting and all that kind of stuff to make you think there's a big army inside ready to go to war. But they talk about the, the TIP, and I mentioned it before, Transition Integrity Projects, where they went through the scenario, like a war scenario, of what would happen if uh, Trump uh, won or lost the election, and refu- or, won and refu- or lost it and refused to leave office. And the link to the tip here, the, the characters involved in writing it up are all there too. According to Tip's own document, even their simulations involving a clear win for Trump in the upcoming election resulting in a constitutional crisis as he predicted the Biden campaign would make bold moves aimed at securing the presidency regardless of the election result. We already had Pelosi and others saying, don't ever back down no matter what the score is at the end of it all and so on. You see, the whole point of it is this whole demonstration, the show, is to bring in a post-democratic society. Are you getting the picture? And so you lose faith completely in your system of government. This was, I remember being on talk shows 20 years ago, and since then too, where we discussed this this whole scenario, they would make you so sick of politics, and, and sickened with what they do with the corruption, also that that uh, you, you'd almost want a new kind of system to be introduced. That's what's going to happen. You see, they're all playing their parts, of course, and that's exactly what the Club of Rome, and we have said that in all the writings that democracy doesn't work. They can't get things done. It's too slow because of people's rights and so on. And also, uh, the World Economic Forum, they want efficiencies. Well, technocracy, they get things done. We make this app, you you use it or else. That's it. Obey. <laughs> so I'll put these articles up for folks who, who care to see it. And uh, and I'm not pleading complete, uh, saying complete misery here. I'm just telling you to get, uh, like always, You've got to start standing up for yourself and stop just obeying. Once you start obeying, you'll be walking backwards forever, for your whole life long. And I'll put up that article too, uh, and the talk by the Lord, that British Lord, who literally knows his stuff. I mean, he was in the High Court for a long time. And, and he says what's happening is unconstitutional in Britain. 
and the, the lockdowns using police and so on, that you cannot, that's not lawful at all by any means of stretch. The government politicians cannot simply decree of what the police start to do. You have to make, either make laws, but you can't make rules. Well, it's a new rule. You either make it law or, or not. And if you change the laws, you've changed the system altogether of what your government is. So he makes his case. And uh, I don't fall for that either. I mean, a guy at his level has to know that this whole thing is part of the World Economic Forum, the Great Reset, and that everything, their whole future, the plan for the world, hinges on us buckling under but destroying the economy not with COVID or the idea of COVID. You know? He must know that. He couldn't not know that to his level and, and the, the milieu that he mixes in. That's the way it is. So remember, folks, bad times are coming regardless. They're not going to let up with this. And again, how much turning you accept is how much, or how much turning they're going to do to you is, is it depends on how much turning you're going to accept. And they will push and push to get all these behavioral insights teams and nudge units and so on, working to see how far to push you. And when it ease off a little bit and then push back again, even more and more and more. Your tax money is funding all these psychopaths that are on board with this system. You personally have no right, apparently, to decide your own future. And that's, that's the big statement. And I think you should all be rather ticked off about that. Really, I really think you'd, you should be. At least a little, eh? <laughs> just put it mildly. <laughs> You have, no, you have no say in it. You have to just obey. It's all being decided for you by your betters, by all these specialists, these ethicists, psychopaths, you know, degrees in, in ethics, eh? Goodness sakes. But this had to happen. It had to get to the stage anyway because it was planned a long, long time ago. And as I say, morality goes down the tube when you toss out religions, which were developed over thousands of years, remember? of caring for people, rights of people, laws of people. And people don't realize it, and they really don't. They really, really don't realize it. Because they've been trained to hate. And the word Christianity, very clever too, a long, long program to make you hate and distrust, be distrustful of it. But, but don't forget that Christianity was the first religion that came out to give you individual rights. Rights from God, not from government. And that and governments, I hated that ever since. Hated it. Because so many governments in the past have, have, have tried to get round all the different rights that religion gave you. Eh? Where people would either have something to say, well, it's written right here, so... And it and, doesn't and matter what you believe, I'm telling you folks, that it's written right there, right? And uh, for generations, I've put that down as, as what you follow. You follow the, the deity and not the government on certain areas. Eh? That's been an awful bane to them all this time. They hate it. That's why they've been shutting down all these Christian churches, by the way. Literally, yeah. <laughs> they won't go into certain other people's uh, holy places because they're terrified of losing their jobs, getting demoted or... Because, you know, this is too sensitive, but the, 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 yeah, the churches are, the Christian churches are fine, you know. 
Right now, you should literally get, be getting rid of all your politicians and replacing them with more decent people. Same with all the police who've gone against their own population. Yeah, that's a dangerous army, a paramilitary force when they do that. It's like wartime. Regardless of wartime, in fact, in the military, and the Geneva Code and so on, but soldiers who are told to do something that they find is abhorrent and illegal have the right to say no without being shot against the wall. You should remember that. So the police, they have that right to say, well, if they don't say it, I mean, they're all for it. So they're again, the enemy of the people. And that's what it boils down to, you see. And if they're working for the people, they have to treat all the peoples the same, but they don't. <laughs> Everything's so politicized now that they, they daren't, daren't, daren't. So they pick the easy targets. Uh, you, you are seeing uh, the system take its toll, a planned toll, mind you, of taking you into a, a post-democratic, post-productive, post, uh, post-industrial, and to an extent a post-consumer society as you bring you into the, the global reset poverty scenario. Help each other out. You've got to have friends. You've got to. Don't just bottle yourself up and isolate yourself. I get emails from lots and lots and lots of people, and I try to get back to so many people. But uh, to me, they're real people. They're real people. You know, they're not just numbers or names. And and they get little insights into folks' lives and so on. And and it's meaning, very meaningful. And so don't feel you're lost and, and, and forgotten by any means at all. And I like to know how folk are, especially across the whole world, because it, it, it's good to see how it's happening in different countries, what's happening, and, and what folk personally are experiencing. Important, this is important. This is, history is being made, and your emails about that are all part of the history, you know that, as well. Not the authorized version of, oh, a dangerous disease slaughtering 4,000 a day uh, in England alone, and all that nonsense, and... Yeah, which, which they all red-faced about when they're challenged with it in, in politics. It's just astonishing. That... So anyway, as I say, don't forget you're not alone and you can get in touch with me and so on. And even if I can get back to you, believe me, I read them all. And I know who, I know who is who. It's, it's very important. And again, send me a buck or two here, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And... Um, well, hopefully we'll keep going on for, for a bit longer, though, until they, they, they literally cut everything off, eh? Because there no re, there's no redress to anything anymore now, when you have overlords and warlords running all the all media organizations, social media and everything, but there's no, com- there's no court system here. You're going into the banana republic, eh? <laughs> That's where we're going. And by intense, the planned, the planned post-democratic uh, society. From myself, Alan Watchman, Tier Canada. This good night, may your God, or your God's go with you. <laughs>